Campbell Soup bring you Amos and Everybody, it is Saturday night, July 16th, year 2011. I'm on twos. It is 7:28 here in the West Coast. Hope you all have a good day. My dad's birthday today, so we've been busy celebrating it. But first, we'll say I put a dear Lord, thank you for the wonderful opportunity of being on the station. Bless my dad. Thank you for having him be in my life. Thank you for letting him be my dad. Bless all the listeners, supporters of the station. Uh. Look after Kim, if she's still in Pennsylvania. Look after John, Remen, and Bill Bragg as they uh, power around together. Look after our friends out there, Lord. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Okay, here's some Christmas music while I get Patricia on. What's our special guest?
turn down the Christmas music and hope everybody's having a great July. And hello, Patricia. Hello, Walden, and Merry Christmas, everybody. We are back with our Christmas celebration. You know Christmas in July is Walden's special time because he can't have it 12 months a year. He will settle for two. Uh, we thought... For Christmas, the United States Marine Corps Reserve Toys for Tots program would be a great feature to talk about in July. So tonight we have a surprise for you. We have a very special guest, Major Bill Brine, who is Vice President of Marine Toys for Tots Foundation. Hi, Bill, and welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, we're just so happy that you'll be able to uh, spend some time with us tonight. Um, I think probably 99.9% of the people in this country know the name Toys for Tots. They hear it every Christmas, but not everybody knows the background about it, um, how it works, and in particular for us, what your role is and how you became part of the Toys for Tots Foundation. Boy, how's that for a mouthful? <laughs> yeah, I can talk all night about that, uh, about all that. Uh, it, Toys for Tots uh, had an interesting beginning uh, in 1947. Uh, you know, we're right after World War II. There's a lot of families, uh, you know, who have lost their fathers primarily during that time. We didn't have the social uh, support system that we have uh, now, and uh, there were... Uh, a lot of families that were struggling during the holiday season and uh, a major bill Hendricks, who uh, was a reserve marine uh, major in los angeles uh, and his wife diane were having dinner diane had just finished making a little doll and she said bill why don't you find an agency that you know will uh, accept the doll and give it to a, a less fortunate child during the the Christmas season. This was uh, in uh, late November, early December time frame of 47. Well, Bill put the doll in his car and uh, uh, dutifully that week looked for agencies, came back and, and finally said, Diane, there is no agency in L.A. Uh, that specifically does that. Uh, and so Diane, being a good Marine Corps wife, put her finger up uh, in Bill's face and said, then you need to start one. So <laughs> Uh, Bill and uh, a handful, well, actually, Bill went to his commanding officer and said, uh, you know, I'd like to take some of our Marines, collect toys, and give them to less fortunate children this Christmas. And his commanding officer gave him one order and uh, very definitive and said, don't fail. And uh, so from that point on, they collected about 5,000 toys. Uh, distributed them to uh, less fortunate families in uh, L.A., and it was a very successful program in a very short period of time, and uh, so much so that the Marine Corps decided the next year, 1948, that they should do it nationally. So we've been, uh, we've been doing it, uh, collecting toys uh, for less fortunate children uh, for 63. This is, I think, our 64th year. Uh, now and uh, e each year um, uh, we try to reach as many uh, children uh, living at or below the poverty level uh, as we can. I might be hopping ahead a little bit here, but can you give us some numbers 
in terms of the numbers of families or children or toys or dollars, give us a, uh, an idea of the size and scope of the project. Sure. Well, you know, we started, like I said, uh, 5,000 uh, toys uh, in 1947, uh, grew a little bit uh, every year until around the 80s, uh, eight, nine, late 80s, uh, when I first got involved, uh, we were uh, helping around 3 million children. And, uh, and now, 25, uh, six years later, uh, last year, we reached 7.2 million children. We're very proud of that. We collected about 16 million uh, toys, books, and other gifts uh, that uh, were appropriate for these children. Uh, you know, not all the toys are uh, what we would call uh, uh, top shelf uh, 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 toys. A, a lot of those are uh, stocking stuffer type things. So we might give a child, um, you know, a Tonka truck, uh, maybe a book or two uh, for a child uh, of the appropriate age and, uh, and another stocking stuffer to uh, uh, make their Christmas package complete. So uh, uh, we've gone all the way from 5,000 toys to over 16 million last year. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a tough, hard job uh, during the holiday season. It's, a, it's full of a lot of activity, a lot of pleasure and excitement. But uh, we have a lot of people, Marines, and a lot of volunteers who work very, very hard to make this program happen. Tell me how these people come together. You've got community volunteers, you've got Marines and Marine Reservists who are working on this. How does it happen? Well, you know, uh, the Marines uh, have have been running this program, and, and uh, uh, as it kept getting bigger, we always said, well, let's just leave the program at this size and we can manage it. Well, the next year it got a little bigger. And then we said, well, let's try to hold it at that size. And the next year uh, more people found out about it and, said, and needed toys and more people found out about it, wanted to donate toys and gifts and get involved. So uh, like it or not, it just, uh, it has a life of its own and we can't, uh, you know, we can't not try to reach as many families as we can. And that's not the Marine Corps way. You know, our job is to, uh, we want to reach all 14 million less fortunate children if, if we can. But um, in all the major cities across the country, we have Marine units running very large programs. In many uh, of the smaller communities, uh, we have former Marines, uh, retired Marines, people who like children, people who like Christmas, uh, who volunteer to help out in the program. And, uh, you know, it's very important to get those volunteers. Uh, everybody knows uh, where our country's having some financial problems, and uh, uh, the Marine Corps uh, is getting smaller uh, as one of the answers to make the defense budget uh, smaller. And uh, for that reason, there'll be fewer Marines uh, able to uh, run their programs in these communities. So it's important to that unit and to the success of that community's Toys for Tots program that uh, more people volunteer to help out. So this is going to be a, uh, a big year for trying to get, uh, get our Marines to recruit more volunteers for, uh, for the Toys for Tots program. 
Before we finish up, I'm certainly going to ask you how people can help and how they can find units in their own communities or in their own areas. We're talking with Major Bill Grine, who is Vice President of the Marine Toys for Tots Foundation. And I'm just so happy that you were able to join us tonight. Give us a call if you have a question or a comment at 714-545-2071. Most of our regular listeners know that number by heart now. Bill, how did you get involved in the program? Well, in uh, 1986... I was uh, uh, received a transfer from Quantico uh, Marine Base, where I am uh, now, uh, to uh, the 4th Marine Division in New Orleans, and that is the uh, reserve division uh, that uh, has all of our reserve units across the country, and one of the responsibilities of that unit is to uh, run the Toys for Tots program. And uh, my billet as public affairs officer was to run the national part of the program uh, for uh, the reserves. So uh, I got involved uh, just because it was part of my duty uh, duties to do that and uh, got really involved, really enjoyed uh, what I was doing, and I was close to the end of my career. Uh, and at the end, we realized, as I had mentioned earlier, the program just keeps uh, getting larger and larger. And uh, as we found out more and more about how charities operate, uh, the Marine Corps needed some help uh, to run the program year-round. And there was no one in the Marine Corps uh, that had the, the time uh, to run the program uh, year round, and there was no one. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different things that uh, uh, are involved in running uh, a major charity, and it's it's practically it, it's almost a business. And the Marine Corps didn't really want to get involved in running the business end of the program, so we started a foundation in the late '80s uh, that. Uh, I thought would be helping me run the program while I was still in the Marine Corps. Didn't uh, quite work out that way. Took a while for it to get started. But the year I retired was the year the Marine Corps uh, authorized and got permission to run uh, and open a uh, Toys for Tots Foundation. And uh, uh, I uh, retired from the Marine Corps and became the vice president of uh, the foundation where I've been for the last 20 years. Uh, helping to uh, face funds and, and run the program, the business end. And, and there's things like uh, registering in the states, all the states, so with the attorney general so that our Marines can uh, collect toys and ask people for toys and, and to raise dollars and do different functions uh, to um, uh, promote the program. So uh, all these things are uh, necessary evils as far as legal uh, things go. So we uh, we do that so the Marine Corps doesn't have to. Uh, and in addition to that, uh, uh, the foundation raises toys throughout the year. You know, the Marines only do it in November and December. Uh, we do it throughout the year, fully knowing that all of our marine units, and we have uh, 714 Toys for Tots programs across the country, uh, they all will run out of toys 
before they're going to run out of children uh, asking for toys and needing toys. So our job at the foundation is to raise toys and dollars to buy toys throughout the year. So come Christmas, we can give uh, these marine units and Toys for Tots programs locally a lot of help so they can keep their lines open and reach more children. Now, do you have time, uh, a timeline during the year where you need to be at a particular point in raising dollars, you need to be at a particular point in collecting toys? Well, you know, uh, the good and bad part of the program is, you know, if we don't raise any money, we don't buy any toys, uh, we don't go in debt, to, you know, to, to buy toys. We never spend a dollar uh, that we don't have. But we have already purchased, uh, you know, with a lot of dollars that, that came in too late in December to help our Christmas program last year, uh, we use to buy toys this year. And we have already spent probably $12 million uh, ordering toys uh, for Christmas 2011. So uh, we, uh, we have a lot of toys coming in. We've uh, talked to a number of corporate sponsors, uh, toy manufacturers, Toys R Us, Hasbro, uh, Scholastic Books, uh, and a number of other companies that are going to uh, donate uh, gifts uh, that we'll be picking up. If uh, Some of them we've already picked up and have stored. Others will be coming in between now and, uh, and early December for distribution this year. We uh, expect to have about $25 million worth of toys and books donated to us uh, this year, and uh, we'll raise another uh, you know, 20 to $40 million, hopefully, to buy the toys that, and gifts that we need. Bill, it's going to be a long, long time before we hear from a caller who says, I'm so busy, I don't know how I'm going to do it before Christmas. <laughs> this is just incredible. We, we have a, a lot of work to do, and every month uh, when we hit, uh, get to the 25th of the month, I think, how many months is it now till Christmas, uh, and, and how much do I have to do? Uh, but, uh, you know, there's... Uh, a, a lot of uh, a lot of work yet to be done. Uh, you know, naturally, a lot of uh, the dollars that come in are coming in in November and December. Uh, you know, it's right after Halloween. Uh, we we get to the first of November, and people naturally turn their attention and thoughts to Thanksgiving and Christmas, and uh, a, a lot of attention comes our way, and uh, and that's. That's great. Uh, you know, we we need to help uh, our local uh, Marines and Toys for Tots volunteers uh, appreciate having the toys and uh, donated to them, uh, and uh, we uh, appreciate uh, a, a lot of the dollars uh, that come in uh, only because. Sometimes uh, we'll talk to uh, a unit and uh, find out how things are going, and they'll say, well, they're very good, except for, you know, I've got 5,000 toys uh, for little boys, and I only have, uh, you know, 500 toys for little girls. It's, uh, you know, it's way off, uh, and for some reason uh, people donated only little boy toys this year. So right. with the cash we raise, 
we will send that uh, unit to maybe $10,000 and say buy more little girl toys locally, help the local economy, and, uh, and also it will balance things out so you can reach uh, uh, both little boys and little girls in your program. We have a caller, Fred from, from Vermont. Hello, Fred. Hello. Um, I just, uh, first of all, I wanted to thank the, the gentleman for what, what he's done. I know in, in this community in Vermont, it's big. And I just thought I would uh, throw out an idea that we started here in my community about five years ago. There were just a couple of friends. Um, and we always used to have Christmas parties, and we thought one year, why don't we have a, a potluck party and instead of charging people to come to the party, everybody brings a dish and everybody brings a toy for the Toys for Tots program. And the first year we did it, we had about 30 people. I think last year we had over 150 come. Wow. I love it. That's, you know, I hear stories like that all the time. Um, we just had, uh, I just read a letter this past week uh, a little boy, uh, six years old, had his birthday and said, please don't bring any toys for me. Bring a toy that we will give to Toys for Tots. And uh, a lot of children uh, are doing that. Uh, a lot of adults having holiday parties, uh, you know, at Christmas time, uh, and, uh, and ask people to bring one present. And uh, in, in many cases, we get our Toys for Tots Marine or volunteer there to at least pick up the toys and to say thank you. Uh, you know, it doesn't happen all the time because we don't have enough Marines to go around to every party, but, but uh, it, it happens uh, as much as we can possibly make it happen. But that's a great idea um, and uh, one that uh, seems to be working in a lot of communities across the country. And it's a real simple way, you know, to orchestrate it. You're not, there's not a lot of labor hours. You're not running around door to door, and people seem to love it. So yes, you know, That's they get, to, they enjoy the party. They were going to come anyways, <laughs> and they were uh, many times they were going to bring a gift of a, you know, a bottle of wine or something uh, for the host. And uh, this is something that they can do that uh, uh, they can. Uh, you know, know they're helping children and they're fitting into the party well. And uh, and gee, if they wanted to, they could even take it off uh, as a tax deduction if they wanted to do that. That sounds great, Fred. Thank you so much for calling in. That's a super idea and brings it down to the community. You've got a special community up there. I know that. So well, thank you, and I want to thank you also, sir, for your uh, service in general. Oh, thank you. Good. And have a nice day. Thank you, Fred. Thanks, Fred. Bill, how in the world do you guys manage to store it? Do you store it at marine bases? Do you, you have volunteers that donate warehouses? How do you handle the storage problem? Uh, a, a combination of both. Uh, some of our larger units, uh, when, uh, when we're offered uh, toys, uh, will uh, uh, we'll open their warehouses and, uh, you know, for instance, if we were to get, uh, say, uh, 20 semi-tractor trailer loads of, uh, of toys uh, from Toys R Us uh, this month, uh, we would uh, probably distribute those to a couple of our larger units that have warehouses and then wait until uh, early December and then break those down even, long, even smaller and send them out to... Uh, to all the units. 
Now, some of our units uh, have uh, uh, don't have large warehouses and need to uh, need to either rent uh, or they uh, uh, they ask and look around the community for uh, uh, for a donated uh, piece of. Uh, you know, uh, a warehouse or, or building uh, so that they can uh, can use it. Like our uh, our unit in uh, Fort Worth, uh, Texas, uh, uh, there has been a uh, uh, somebody who owns a grocery store that went out of business. They own the building. Uh, they uh, have used that building for the last four or five years uh, to uh, uh, collect the toys, store them, and uh, you know, use them as a as a place where they sort the toys and distribute them from there. Bill, tell us about the kits. How do you identify kits who qualify to receive toys, and how do you get the toys to them? Well, you know, uh, <laughs> this is the marine in me coming out, but uh, the way kids dress these days, <laughs> uh, I think they all look like they're in some kind of need uh, for for help. Uh, but that's. Uh, that's just a conservative guy talking. Uh, we are very good at collecting the toys. We're very good at getting attention, uh, picking them up, sorting them, uh, organizing things so that uh, uh, the toys are ready. But when it comes to identifying those families that meet the, uh, uh, the financial need, and that is the only requirement we have is the family has to be uh, living at or below the poverty level. Uh, we need help in identifying those families. So we go to city and county social welfare agencies. Uh, we go to, uh, in some areas, to, uh, we work closely with the Salvation Army. All those agencies who are um, organized to identify and work with the less fortunate families in the community. They help us uh, identify the, the families. And uh, from there, uh, we'll do one of two things. Uh, either uh, that agency will send the families to the Marine unit, and uh, for instance, they'll give them a, a authorization piece of paper that we can recognize uh, that will uh, will say Mrs. Smith has a little boy two and a little girl six. And uh, when she shows up, we will uh, escort her to the toys that uh, are appropriate for a little girl two and a little boy six or uh, that type of thing. And uh, if not that way, the second way is they uh, that agency will give our Marines a list of children and we will put together uh, a bag for each child, and then the organization comes, picks up the toys, and they distribute the toys to the families. Uh, and the whole idea is for, for our hope is to make uh, moms and dads who may be down on their luck uh, a little bit to, to, uh, to be the heroes, to be Santa, uh, you know, for, um, for their children. Uh, you know, people have in the past said, why don't you take more credit and put a Marine sticker on each toy so that children know it comes from you, and, and that's not our, our purpose at all. Uh, you know, first of all, it's impossible to put 16 million stickers <laughs> on toys, but...
communities where our Marines live and work uh, to show our, you know, uh, our appreciation for for what those communities do in support of the Marine Corps. Is there an age limit on the children you are able to help? I'm sorry? Is there an age limit of the children you are reaching out to help? Well, you know, it's, uh, it depends on the, the community. In some areas, uh, some of our uh, marine units will go, all, will go all the way up to, you know, 16, 17 years of age. Uh, and others, uh, they say, you know, we don't get enough toys uh, to help the children, uh, you know, to 12 to 13. So uh, we just, they just can't take on any other age groups because they don't get the toys. Uh, so uh, it, it depends locally. Uh, all of our units go up to, uh, to uh, uh, you know, 12, 13, 14, uh, and uh, a good portion of those will go up even higher. Um, and that brings up a, an excellent point, <clears throat> and that is one of the areas where we have the most difficulty in getting uh, gifts is the preteen and early teen children. If uh, anyone is looking to find uh, and to do some shopping, uh, you know, we would appreciate it if they would think about. Uh, you know, giving a, a gift to a child who's in the preteen, early teenage years, uh, that is the most difficult uh, age group for us to service. That part I can understand. It's, it's easier to shop for a little kid and get caught up in the Santa Claus and the mystery and the magical part of the holidays, but when you get to preteens and early teens, it's a different kind of magic. It's a different kind of need. It is. So that, that doesn't surprise me at all that that's the group. Yeah, and, and it's a social need. Uh, you know, uh, these children by that age generally don't believe in Santa any longer, uh, but they still need the recognition. Uh, they still want to go back to school and join in the conversations with what did you get for Christmas, how did you do, you know, that mm -hmm. type of thing. And, uh, you know, the the self-esteem, self-confidence uh, that comes with uh, with being remembered and, and being able to uh, participate in, uh, in those kind of conversations, we think, is very important. I'm going to take a guess here and with say within that group, the preteen and early teen, that it's the boys you have the more difficulty in accommodating? You know, I, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, it uh, and it might differ between from one unit to a uh, you know to another um, you know and and it's uh, some of these uh, age groups uh, you know are uh, some of the the gifts become a little more expensive uh -huh. and uh, you know a lot of folks uh, you know have a budget and uh, you know they set uh, a certain amount and and uh, to buy gifts for older children uh, especially if it's electronics and those kind of things, they can get extremely uh, high. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we think things like, uh, uh, you know, uh, skateboards and, and with helmets, of course, uh, uh, books, some sports equipment, uh, wallets, iPods, uh, uh, you know, uh, appropriate uh, jewelry for that age, things like that make, uh, make great gifts. And, uh, uh, you know, 
But to, to answer your question, uh, I, I'm not sure which is more difficult, uh, boys or girls. Uh, uh, probably, uh, uh, you know, if it's a if it's a male Marine running the program, uh, <laughs> he may not know what to say about girls for uh, for ages. Hopefully, uh, he'll ask his wife. That's interesting. Are people able to call their individual units, their community units, to find out where the areas of greatest need are? Uh, yes, we have uh, a website, uh, toysfortots.org, O-R-G, and uh, on that uh, we have a list of every one of our uh, units so uh, a person could find the, the local unit closest to them, and uh, it uh, uh, usually uh, will give them their uh, phone number, name, uh, you know, of the coordinator, phone number, uh, email address. We try to do as much as we can uh, by uh, uh, by computer uh, and uh, uh, these days, and uh, so they can find out who to contact uh, uh, right away by going simply to our website. That's amazing. I mean, this, this entire operation is just blowing me away. It always has, but now you're really knocking my socks off here <laughs> with 16 million toys. What is your target for this year? 2010 was 16 million toys. What's this year? Well, you know, uh, the typical Marine response is uh, if we did uh, 16 million uh, last year, uh, we're going to do that much more. Uh, we want to do more this year. Uh, the goal is always we just want to reach as many as we possibly can. And uh, we don't give the Marines a goal. You have to be very careful. You know, Marines are overachievers. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you tell a Marine that uh, he simply must reach a certain uh, number and he hadn't reached it, we're afraid he'd go out and rob a bank or, or something to uh, to get money to uh, make sure he got uh, he got his mission completed. That's how how important uh, you know it is for yeah. a marine to to complete his mission. So we don't give them um, uh, any kind of uh, of goal. They naturally know uh, they know what they did last year, and if a new marine comes in, uh, you know, and Sergeant Smith takes over and uh, he looks at last year's figures and he says well i'm twice the marine he was so i'm going to do better than him so they automatically put pressure on themselves uh to uh, to do more but there's 14 million children living at the poverty level and uh you know that's uh, uh that's a lot of children we reach about half of those and uh, you know, and that's working really, really hard. So uh, I guess the the answer most Marines would have would be, you know, we want to uh, we want to reach them all, but uh, it's going to take uh, you know it's going to take a long time for us to get there. You said a little earlier that you have 714 Toys for Tots programs. We do. We expect we may have a, uh, a close to 730 this year. Okay. All right. This is good. You're, you're, you're growing because when you start spreading out 714 programs throughout 50 states, um, and I, am I correct that this is a United States program that you did, have not crossed borders anywhere? Is that correct? That, that's correct. Uh, we're uh, uh, in all 50 states. Uh, of course, the District of Columbia uh and uh, uh, we're also in Puerto Rico and uh, Guam.
Guam because we have a marine base there. Okay. Uh, we run a program there as well. Okay, so you start spreading 730 programs over that amount of territory, and it can get a little thin in some areas. How does a program get started in a community? Well, it, you know, it's uh, we have on our website uh, uh, directions on how to uh, how to start a program, and uh, the way we uh, we work it uh, is if there is no program in an area. Uh, you know, and someone wants to start it, we uh, were thrilled to uh, to talk to them about it. Um, you know, they must uh, uh, agree to a, uh, a background check. Uh, we always check out every uh, everyone who wants to start a program. Uh, we think that's very important to make sure that they're uh, a pillar in the community and someone who uh, will run a, a good program and and uh, uh, protect the good name of the Marine Corps and the good name of Toys for Tots and and more importantly than that uh, will uh, you know do uh, serve their community well. So the 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 Marine Corps, of course, as I mentioned earlier, is not getting any bigger. Uh, you know, and they're they're trying to consolidate as much as we can. So it is not Marine units. Uh, that are expanding. Uh, it is uh, the uh, local volunteers, former Marines, uh, retired Marines such as myself, people uh, who uh, just want to get started, run a program in their in their smaller community. That's uh -huh. where we have been growing over the last five years. Now you talked before we went on the air about support ratio, the amount of money that comes in goes out to places where it belongs, and you've got an, uh, just a staggering number by comparison to other organizations. How much, how much of the money is actually put to work? Well, you know, we think that uh, that's very important when someone makes a donation, uh, you know, how much of it, uh, you know, goes to program costs, and that means your mission. And, of course, our mission is getting uh, toys, books, gifts to less fortunate children. Uh, we uh, spend 98% of, uh, of the uh, donated dollar uh, goes to our mission, uh, and uh, two, actually less than 2% uh, goes to, um, you know, fundraising costs, costs that, uh, you know, you just have to have to make things uh, uh, go. And uh, the nice thing is uh, that not one cent goes to any one salary. Uh, it uh, it just goes to making uh, you know paying the uh, the airplane bill to you know if we're going to talk to a, a corporate sponsor and try to uh, get them to uh, to participate in Toys for Tots. Mm -hmm. It's remarkable when if if anyone has ever been out looking for information about nonprofit organizations and how the money is spent, I've never come across one that has a two percent margin there. Well, you know, there's a, a there's a watchdog, charitable watchdog agency uh, called the Better Business Bureau's Wise Giving Alliance, and they have uh, 20 standards that uh, that they uh, think that charities should meet. Uh, we do meet all 20 of those, but uh, one of them is uh, you should have a minimum of, I believe it is. Uh, uh, 30 or 60 percent 
uh, to program and uh, no more than uh, uh, than 40 percent, 35 to 40 percent, uh, you know, fundraising and uh, other costs. So uh, we uh, uh, that's the minimum to uh, to be uh, accepted. And we, of course, exceed that uh, by uh, quite a bit. And we're we're very proud. We work very hard to uh, to keep those costs, uh, uh, you know, uh, under control. The program has earned quite a few recognitions along the way. Can you talk about a couple of them? Well, uh, you know, we're the uh, the seventy second largest charity in in the country. Uh, 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 and, you know, that's out of about one and a half million, uh, which uh, is uh, is something. Uh, we uh, we are uh, four. We received a four star rating by the Charity Navigator uh, in fis- fiscal control, meaning fiscal management, meaning that uh, uh, they like the fact that 98% uh, of our donated dollar uh, goes to where it's supposed to go. Um, we uh, uh, have been recognized by uh, 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 Fortune magazine. Uh, we've been recognized by uh, Reader's Digest as best children's charity a few years ago. Uh, so we're, um, uh, you know, we have uh, have done just fine. All of our audits have just been uh, uh, been superb. So uh, we're uh, very proud of uh, of everything and the fact that we're a, a good business as well as uh, as a, a successful charity. Do you have a couple of kids stories for us? Perhaps some feedback that you have gotten from local organizations about individual successes, or have you gotten Marines from these groups? Well, you know, it's funny that uh, uh, you say that. We we have uh, uh, had a, uh, uh, a Marine contact me uh, uh, a few years ago, and uh, uh, he had been... Uh, he wasn't an orphan, but he was in a large family that fell on some really hard times. The family just could not, uh, you know, handle the the children, so they took them to to an orphanage, and uh, uh, you know, he was pretty much left at that orphanage, and and happened to be in the Houston, Texas area. Um, and uh, he said the first Christmas, uh, you know, uh, he expected nothing and uh, because he, he never got anything when he was at with his family. So he just expected it was another day. And he said, uh, you know, some uh, Marines in dress blues uniform walked in and uh, he said, uh, you know, shared the toys with him, his uh, his family, his his brothers and sisters who were there, and other children, and uh, he said it it made such an impression on him that uh, you know when he finished high school he worked his way through college and uh, was commissioned uh, as a lieutenant in the Marine Corps. Then went uh, when he made captain was sent back to be in charge of the Marine unit in Houston and to be in charge of the Toys for Tots program, the very same one that had uh, helped him when he was a, a boy. So What a great story. Yeah, he, uh, he really couldn't, uh, still can't, couldn't talk about it without getting uh, tears in his eyes and, and emotional. That, that is such a great story. There are not a whole lot of people in the world who could understand a program like this from both ends. Correct. And Correct. he does. 
and we had another lady who came to me, uh, her company. Uh, she was um, worked for a company, and she wanted them to be a corporate sponsor uh, with the program. And so as we talked, um, you know, I said, well, why, why is your interest what is your interest in Toys for Tots? And, and uh, she said that when she was younger, uh, she was a, a mother of two children, and it was Christmas time, and uh, she said, uh, you know, she was a single mother, and uh, she said, I just didn't have any family locally to support me, to help me. She said, I had a Charlie Brown Christmas tree uh, in my living room. Someone had given her and she said, I was in the kitchen while the children were watching television. And she said, I had emptied a cylinder of Quaker oats and I was painting it, trying to make it look like a drum uh, so I could give that the next morning to my five-year-old little boy. She said, I already had two, two straws from McDonald's that were going to be the, the little drumsticks. And uh, she said that was going to be his present. And she said, I had nothing for my two-year-old little girl. I was just going to wrap a doll she already had. And she said, I figured she wouldn't know what was going on. So uh, she was safe there. But she said it was Christmas Eve. She said, I felt lousy and uh, couldn't have been lower uh, while I was painting that uh, uh, Quaker Oats cylinder uh, uh, container. And uh, and there was a knock on the door, and the kids beat her to the door. But uh, you know, when she got there, she opened it, and there on the stoop was uh, a box with toys for a little boy five and a little girl two. And she said the the children just knew Santa had dropped them off, and uh, were very excited. But she saw two Marines getting in a van across the street to drive on to their next house. So she said uh, ever since then, she's had a very warm spot in her heart for Toys for Tots. That one just filled me up. That, that's a hard. I'm going to have trouble talking for a minute here. <laughs> that's a good one. It Do is you, a good story. It's, uh, oh, that's a great story. Uh, yes, and we've had you know uh, lots of stories. We've had a family that supported us. Uh, you know, uh, for for a number of years, uh, they made it a, a lesson for their children, you know, to uh, uh, learn to give uh, better, rather than to receive. They always made sure uh, that the children uh, gave. And then, uh, sadly, the father died one year. Uh, they uh, they weren't a wealthy family. You know, they were struggling like uh, most of us are and, uh, you know, just didn't... Uh, have the insurance and the things that uh, he should have had, and suddenly the family fell on hard times. And and instead of giving toys, you know, for the next couple of years, uh, the Marines there uh, were there to uh, to help them make ends meet until they could could get things going again. Wow, Bill, if I've heard you correctly all the way through here, people do not have to feel obligated to buy a big present, you know, so like a, a standalone gift. Smaller ones can be pulled together to make a larger collection for a child. So as you said before, a book, um, any, any small items. Yes, will, I mean, will... we, we, we make use of, of everything. Uh, you know, we appreciate uh, 
you know, a, a main toy, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a Tonka truck, uh, a doll, uh, you know, anything along those lines for uh, for younger children. Teddy bears and things always uh, make uh, uh, different sizes. And, uh, you know, we like to give a, a main toy, a big toy, and then, uh, you know, a, a couple of books or some smaller, you know, smaller stocking stuffer kind of toys that mm-hmm. uh, that fill in as well to to make uh, make the package complete. Okay, so we're talking large or small. Greatest need is typically preteen and early teens. People can find their individual community or the the closest to them, uh, the program closest to them at your website, which is www.toysfortots.org. That's about as simple as you can get. <laughs> that is great. And cash is great well, because yeah. you're going to you know, be buying. Uh, we have a, on the website, so there's a place that uh, they can make a, a donation. And, and the nice thing is, uh, we think, uh, you know, there's a lot of great charities uh, out there. We know that, uh, and and we encourage people to support them all. The nice thing about ours is that for a $10 or $20 donation, um, you know, you, you've solved a problem for, for one parent. You know, that's a, that's a main toy that we can buy, uh, with that, with those dollars. So, uh, it, uh, it helps a lot, uh, you know, and, and the person who donates that kind of money should feel good that they solved a problem for someone, uh, during the holiday season. Do you have bigger and better buying power than the average bear would have in a store? Yes. You do. So uh, if we, I give we you do, $10, uh, you're, you're you know, going... Uh, and when you walk in a store uh, or, or a nut, go to a num- number of toy companies and you say, you know, I have $2 million in my pocket or I have, uh, you know, that kind of money, uh, you know, it's a lot easier to buy a lot of toys for uh, for less uh, less money so or, you if, know, less cost per toy. Uh-huh. So uh, we buy in bulk, uh, in bulk, uh, seriously, uh, of course, and uh, we've just made a, uh, I think we just spent uh, about $12 million uh, ordering toys uh, that will be delivered to our units. Uh, all 714 units will get a lot of those uh, uh, toys along about uh, the last week of November or the first week of December. Well, that is so, really great yeah. to know. I mean, some people, and me included, this has happened at different times where I think, well, you know, you can you can give money in a lot of places, but maybe the heart part, H-E-A-R-T part, is in actually participating and going out and buying a toy. And what you're telling me is if I spend $20, I'm not going to get as much for that $20 as you can get, and you Correct. know what to buy. Correct. And, and uh, another nice thing uh, on our website uh, is if you're wondering what to give that uh, uh, your child's school teacher or what to give uh, whoever is uh, hard to buy for, uh, you can make a donation to Toys for Tots on our website. You can fill out a little form, and we will send a card uh, to that person uh, saying, you know, uh, that uh, so-and-so made a generous contribution to the Toys for Tots program as a Christmas gift in your honor. And uh, uh, it's uh, we've, we've got a, a number of beautiful cards 
uh, with our Toys for Tots logo and our Santa on it, or uh, one with uh, our uh, a teddy bear dressed in in dress blue uniform <laughs> and uh, uh, very seasonal, uh, you know, good feeling. And it says a little bit about you know how Toys for Tots helps less fortunate families and children, and uh, how special they must be uh, if uh, this person made a donation in their name. Did the, did the toy manufacturers mail you guys a brochure ahead of time, or does somebody actually go and visit some of the uh, toy manufacturing to look over and to decide what to buy in bulk? I mean, yes, yes, we have. Uh, our vice president of operations, uh, a lucky guy he, that he is, gets to go on a toy uh, toy buying trip every oh. spring. Oh boy! And, and he uh, gets to play with all the toys and and decide which ones he visits. I think uh, somewhere around eight different toy companies, and uh, uh, he gets to then choose which ones he thinks are the best deals, which ones he thinks will go, uh, you know, fit better into our plans. Wow. Does he need an assistant? <laughs> That's what we always laugh. Uh, you know, it's my job uh, to raise the dollars, and it's his job to get to spend them. Uh. And, and I said, it's just like at home here. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't sound quite fair, and you probably have 80,000 applications. Uh, there, there are 80,000 applications to go up in space in the first commercial uh, space shot, and I guess you have 80,000 applications to be his assistant as well. <laughs> it's, a, it's not a bad job. Oh, well. I, before I ask you what I should have asked you and didn't, I have a question that you can refuse to answer, but I love to ask people when we're doing Christmas shows. Do you have a Christmas tradition that you have either – taken from your family and continued it or created your own for my personal family uh-huh um the uh, tradition has always been uh, uh church service on christmas eve uh which is the uh, uh most important thing and uh, uh and and we used to as a child we always would uh, would give a gift my brothers and sister and I, a gift to our parents on Christmas Eve. Everything else was open Christmas morning. Even when we were, you know, uh, in high school, it was just tradition that uh, that Santa, so to speak, broke, brought everything, and we uh, checked it out in the morning. But uh, we felt uh, very strongly that our parents were to get their gift uh, Christmas Eve after we uh, went to service. That's, that's a lovely tradition. I've never heard it before. Um, so you're you're a one of a kind here. I I just love that. No, seriously. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's uh, sadly, uh, you know, I uh, I'm of the age that uh, you know we've lost my mother and uh, and my father's in assisted living, but uh, um, you know it was a was a great tradition, and uh, I I continue with my. Uh, my children, uh, you know, uh, we go to to service uh, church service to, together on Christmas Eve, and it's a it's a nice uh, nice thing. It's it, a special. It sounds like a wonderful the, thing. Really Bill, is. is there something I should have asked you that I didn't, or that you would like to add? Well, uh, not not really. Uh, I think we've covered just about. Uh, 
everything that uh, is is important. We, uh, you know, like I mentioned before, that you know the Marine Corps we think is one of the world's finest uh, fighting forces, and uh, uh, if you don't think so, just ask a Marine and he'll <laughs> tell you. Uh, but uh, uh, that's uh, one of our missions. But uh, we take. Uh, the Toys for Tots mission very seriously uh, as well, uh, and we take it so seriously that it is written in the uh, uh, operations orders for uh, for the uh, the Marine Corps Reserve. It is actually part of uh, our mission to raise uh, toys and gifts for less fortunate children. So I did not know that. Yeah, that is remarkable. And we just think you know it's it's not it's not just the toy. You know, it's uh, you know, it's what the toy does. It's uh, the recognition, the self-confidence, and self-esteem that that uh, benefits the child. So uh, we think uh, think that's uh, uh, very important. Uh, we don't care if people know that it's a, a Marine Corps program or not. We just want people to know that Toys for Tots is is there to uh, to help less fortunate children, and and uh, you know they can get involved. Uh, uh, because the Marine Corps is getting smaller, uh, we're going to need more individual uh, volunteers to help us in those communities. And, you know, they can do it by uh, helping uh, collect toys, helping working in the warehouse, sorting the toys, uh, bagging or distributing the, the toys, those kind of things. Uh, you know, they can help at their business by being a a toy drop-off location. Um, uh, there's a, uh, a gentleman who owns 63 Applebee's restaurants in Long Island and northern New Jersey who sells little coast, well, like, like postcards that say something like Applebee's and, and they leave a line for the customer to write his or her name, support Toys for Tots. Mm-hmm. And when the customer pays uh, pays the bill, he's asked, would you like to add a dollar for Toys for Tots? And they do. The customer writes his or her name on the card, and they post it in the windows, around the counters, uh, all over uh, the restaurant, so people know that customer helped. And uh, they sold, almost in those 63 restaurants, they sold uh, over a quarter of a million <laughs> cards wow. uh, you know I love it they're I love everywhere it. and uh, uh, so it's uh, it's the season uh, you know the Marine Corps uh, hit on something in 1947 I call it the three C's uh, you know Christmas uh, you know as a as a uh, holiday as a secular holiday as a religious holiday uh, children uh, especially uh, less fortunate children and the core and, uh, you know, patriotism and, uh, and what we represent to the American people. And it's just a, uh, it's just a, a great combination that's served well for 63 years. And hopefully, uh, while I may be not be around for 63 more years, I hope. Well, Bill, we are so proud of our Marines and we thank you for everything. Far beyond Toys for Tots, we thank you for Toys for Tots, but we thank you for everything else that you have done for us and our country. Well, it's, it's our pleasure. We've, we will be in touch with you before Christmas and hope that we can arrange a time when you can come back and uh, 
and talk again about Toys for Tots and how people can help. Well, I look forward to it. It'll be our pleasure. Stay on the line uh, for a couple of minutes while Walden switches over, and then the three of us can have a couple of minutes on the phone. Okay. Great. Don't forget, everybody, toyfortot.org. Here we go.
And hello to everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. No, well, I don't know. If and the New Year. You're I don't not know yet. Get away with that one. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Just Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Happy birthday. Are Are you okay? Uh huh. I have a question. I'm trying to cover all bases. Listening to that was fabulous. The music? Ah. Uh-huh. Ah, wasn't it very good? Just so, and you know, as a goodie, because Patricia is an expert in Christmas music, so she knows what she's speaking of. When she says that's good, that's good. Oh my goodness, Patricia has enough Christmas music for two-thirds of the world. So, um, if you would like some, and you call in and answer a trivia question, I will send you some Christmas music. And it's really hot stuff. Seriously, what what were you playing? Who Who is... Where, what? Is this a commercial? It's a transfer from a record album. Brought together by George. I believe it's done. I'll, I will look it up. But George, somebody wanted to order us. Hello there. You're on the air. Well, that was really nice. Oh, hi. hi. How are you? Uh, that was pretty neat. I got I to gotta turn my phone down. Wait, hang on one second. Okay. Let me get away from this thing here. Um, yeah, that was pretty Who is the organist? Um, I think it was George Wright. Okay. Um, I think it's one of the classic organists from the 40s. And it, yeah, probably was on a pipe organ or something. Oh, I that think was, it must be. Oh, that, that was a pipe organ for sure. Yeah. But that was really good. Well, ne- uh, next week, I, I will, oh, what's happening here? Next week, I will set um my um, keyboard up with um. With some bells and stuff, but tonight let's just play. You know, Ron, for a beginner, you play pretty well. For a beginner, Ron, you play pretty well. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) But next we will have more bells in. Wow. Oh, wow. Thank you. And you'll even have a harp. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Can't wait. Can't wait. Yeah, I had to to find an instrument that can make the sound of a harp because um, I always wanted to be able to... They tell me that when you go to heaven, Mm -hmm. all the angels will play harps. And so I wanted to make sure I was numbered amongst the angels. Yeah. So I got, I bought me this keyboard that can make a sound of a harp. And I have some friends that I always kid. I said, you better listen to this harp because that's the closest you'll ever get to heaven. <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> well, you know, somebody's got to be in the heaven's audience. Well, you, you know, well, and you know, that's not an easy instrument to play, right? It's like, a, isn't it like oh. 120 strings so or something? Yeah, the strings have different colors, and, and you know, you and I are all in our color blind, so we have I know, I know. We have to go by the touch. Do, do we get the field colors? Yeah. I don't know. What does green feel like? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. Well, if I ever get grand green, I'll let you know. Run! Well, I know what I... Hey, listen, who is... Walden, tell me um, about Benny Goodman. I know... 
He did some comedy shows, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, you know, Benny just passed away 25 years ago within the last week or so. Um, well, Benny Goodman was a guy who was not known for um, <clears throat> his verbal skills. So, uh, you would hear him back up on the Camel Caravan shows, like the variety shows, mostly big band music, uh, shows, command performances. But really, as a band leader, he did not really back up any particular show on a normal basis. He was mostly would do guest shots, like on command performance and things like that. But he must have had some of his own radio things because uh, on my on my computer it has him listed as some Benny Goodman shows. Right? Yeah, those will probably be his you know his band remotes would be my guess. Uh, but you know he. Uh, he, that's basically about it. I don't, I don't have anything that, wait a minute, yes I know. He did substitute for Phil Harris on the Jack Benny show. Okay. So there are some Jack Benny shows and when Phil was in the service, uh, I think Benny Goodman picked it for him in one or two of those shows. Oh, how about that? Yeah. Ron, the Benny Goodman that I am sending you, I did not listen to because I'm not a big band fan. So I'm not positive, but I think they are Benny Goodman shows. I gotta go find them. Hey, I, I I gotta run for a little while, but I'll, I'll call back later on. Did Did you check your Pony Express mail yesterday? No, I didn't. Oh, you bad girl. Uh, I know. Uh, no, Pony I... made a special effort to get there. You remember? You remember? Pony. Hey, hey, Ron. You remember a show called Jukebox Jury? Yeah. I'm gonna play a little bit of that tonight. Good. Um, on the panel, everybody. It was a show. That Bill Davis' husband Peter Potter, who was a New York LA disc jockey, put together, where they tried to introduce records. I'm gonna play one that Billy May, the famous orchestra leader, tried to do sort of a uh, a interesting novelty song, and on the panel deciding if this thing was worth it or not with Phil Harris, Mickey Rooney, Donna Reed, and Debbie Reynolds. Well, I'll be listening for it. <laughs> I gotta run now. I'll Bye. Be, I'll call you guys back a little later. We'll call later. See you later. Bye. Aloha. Aloha. There's one. Oh, my goodness, when he alohas in a hurry, he alohas in a hurry. Yeah, he he gone. He quicker He's than a flash. Gone. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. I want to go back to the to the organ. Yes. Are, are you playing it from a CD? Yes. From cassette. I'm playing it from straight CDs. So, um, somebody knows how to copy it to your computer like Walden does? Walden, hopefully, if there's a friend called Larry Gaffman is supposed to install a program in the mall. Uh-huh. And that folks will allow me to do that. Uh-huh. You know? And that means that you'll also be able to burn a CD. As long as it's on your computer, you can burn a CD. Um. Um, um, or, 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 when they're on your computer, uh -huh. you can attach them one at a time to an email. Uh, I like Dropbox. Yeah, I know, but I'm not going there anymore. I know. <laughs> <laughs> what we gotta do, get, we, we, what we should do, do, do an FPT server. That would be safe. Yes, that would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. Yes. Maybe we can talk to Larry Gaffman and put in... Uh, Phil Zilla on our computers. Uh-huh. Good old Larry. 
Larry, you got more stuff to do for me. Poor guy. Poor Larry. And if you're listening, Larry, you will be getting Duke Ellington. I was going to email them to you because they're so short. The the Nutcracker Suite that he did, um, he he did not do the entire. Um, one month, the, the entire ballet. Right. He he did not do every single note, every single part of it. He did, but not the whole part. I, what am I trying to say here? He, he did not do the, the complete. Like score. when you get to the dance of the sugar plum fairies. Yeah. He did not do complete the complete score. Well, the, yeah, the, the sugar plum. That's it. That's it. The chucky plumber. Yes. He when when he finished, he didn't repeat. He didn't do that. Do, that do that. Um. Yeah. So. One way or another, we'll make sure Patricia gets her. Say what? One way or another, I'll make sure you get the whole CD. Yeah. Really? I have a trivia question. Oh, for me? For everybody. For everybody, okay. What radio personality? He did. He He was a substitute on a comedy radio show that he he was the star of for one episode. <laughs> who, who is best known for being a major TV comedy star? He led a orchestra which produced multiple albums. I want to know who is this person. Here's a little sample of his work. This person is a musician or an orchestra leader? Orchestra leader, but not really known for that. Okay. Here's a little bit of his work. Come on, CD. I guess it's not going to play. Oh, well. Play. Oh, well. We'll just see what happens there. Let's, let's, uh, we'll, we'll have to revisit. Uh, well, we can pop this puppy open. See what's going on. Oh, good grief. Walden's got a project. I always do. Let's see All here. right. Well, while you've got your project, can I go through some stuff? Mm, no. Mm, mm, mm. You want to go through stuffy stuff? See if I care. Okay. We didn't give a theme for tonight. Let's, let's see here. Let's, let's try this one more time, Patricia. If not, we'll give up on this one. Maybe it's not an audio CD. Maybe it's a DVD. And if so, I can't play it. If not, so, you should be able to play it just like you would a CD. But this, I have a really, 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 really old CD player. No, it's... it's You've got a whole different set of equipment, and I I forget that. Uh huh. Okay. We don't have it. So you it, it's the show back to you, Patricia. <laughs> <laughs> boy, oh boy, you talk about this sounds like something out of Jack Benny. This is great. Okay. All right. We have a theme for today. Well, <clears throat> yeah. May I, may may I do the proper introduction? Here she is, the star of the show, the one, the only, talented and lovely Patricia, with the theme of the night, but we don't have to go there yet, because here's the orchestra. So my trivia question is, this gentleman substituted for a comedy show as a star on radio, but best known for being a comedian on TV, and he made multiple albums, here's one of them. Who is he?
there you go. So that's one trivia question. A TV comedian? Uh-huh. No joke. Yep. Maybe multiple, uh, at least, I think, close to a dozen albums. Victor Borga? No. No, of course not. He was piano. He was piano. I don't know. Somebody else will have to call in. And when you go to Frank Percy's Hudson House, when he had a studio, he would have this on a loop throughout the house. So it had this nice little warm feeling throughout the house. For a 10,000 square feet house, wasn't bad. Anyway, 714-545-2071. Merry Christmas, everybody. And now, here to start the show, Patricia. Is it my turn now? You bet. Boy. It's going to be a long show tonight, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> Poor Walton. <laughs> well, we have a theme tonight, a Christmas theme. Hooray! Yeah. We're doing handmade, homemade, anything. No, I mean Christmas. Let's see. Do, co- do homemade cookies count? Homemade cookies, gifts, cards, decorations, and stuff like that there. What doesn't count? I don't think there's anything that doesn't count unless it's the Grinch. Oh. Uh, you, could, you could do the Grinch. Yeah. 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 I pulled one of Boris Karloff's narrations tonight. Yeah. And I was dozing off, and I thought, how long is this thing? And I was only at six minutes. So I thought, <laughs> God. This is not a good one to send to you. <laughs> it was, um, oh gosh, the year, a year without a Santa Claus? Huh, okay. I think that's the name of it. So you don't, you wouldn't. He narrated it, and I guess you need a visual to go with it. So you wouldn't highly recommend this at the moment, or else you're really, really, really super, super tired. Well, maybe you know if you would work instead of an Ambien, maybe Mm -hmm. no sleeping pill. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, and I really like Boris Karloff, so I was kind of surprised. Maybe I was just distracted. I'll go back and try again one day. Or one year, <laughs> depending on the, on the situation. But I didn't pass that one on to you. So um, could be homemade CDs with Christmas stuff on it. So anything. What did you do? What do you do? What did your family do with homemade or handmade Christmas stuff? 714-545-2071. Or... Just call to say hi because we've got trivia. As always, a correct answer will get you a CD with your favorite radio shows. First-time callers automatically get to choose a radio, a, a collection of radio shows. I will send them. And we have history notes and useless but fun stuff. And drum roll, please. Do you have your, your sound effects? Ah, uh, I can go look. I don't know. Mom cleaned in here this week, so. Oh, dear. So. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> this is not good. Uh-huh. This is not good. Okay, well, we can dispense with the drum roll. I found free ice cream. Hooray! Is this cool or what? Tomorrow, July 17th, is National Ice Cream Day. We love that. We love that. And <laughs> ice cream places are going to give a free cup or a cone of their soft-serve ice cream in celebration of National Ice Cream Day. Hello there, Carl. Happy Ice Cream Day. And Merry Christmas to you. Thank you. Well, thank you, Dennis. How in the world are you? I'm fine. And, of course, I have a question. Okay. Oh, no. Uh, I'll, I'll be back later, okay? <laughs> okay. Um, I was listening to a Duffy's Tavern. Uh-huh. 
And one guy was trying to explain how he was a really good boy. He didn't smoke. He didn't drink. He didn't gamble. And he didn't even know what 930 was. Aww, was that and then everyone laughed. Was that Finnegan? It might have been. Yeah. Um, everyone laughed. 9.30 at night. What time was um, that Walden uh, on the schedule of day and time? What time did Duffy's Tavern air? Uh, that's hard to tell. I think we have to get out the books and look. I think it was one of those shows that moved around. So it could have gone at 9.30. Right. Let me see what, what Dunning has to yeah. say. So maybe that's how come Finnegan didn't know what 9.30 was because the show aired at 9.30. Let's see. So you just go ahead and keep talking while I look up Duffy's Tavern here. Well, you know, I listened to it and it was like he went on and then everyone laughed. And I thought, well, is 9.30 some sort of code for a score in craps or something because he had just said he didn't gamble? Uh, Friday nights at 9.30. From 1950 to 1952, do you know when the show you listened to, do you know the date of it? No. Here. So you think it was when the show started or ended? Well, it says, um, let's see, Wednesdays at 9 o'clock, Bristol Myers, from 1946 through 1952, which is a lot of years, for six years. Duffy's Tavern was broadcast at 9.30 at night. So my guess is that it was Finnegan, the one who was kind of a doofus. He was just the mopey dopey kind of guy. And Which which guy on Duffy's Tavern was not a doofus? <laughs> well, <laughs> Sorry. It was the king doofus. You're right. <laughs> Everybody was kind of a... Um, Actually, there, there, is, there was one. Less than top of the pile in the IQ department. There was one. Um, Finnegan's nephew, we don't have any episodes the first year or so, was a quiz kid. So they did they did try to play. Oh, really? It. Yeah, they did. Right. And, you told us that and one And it was played by Dick Van Patten, by the way. How about that? Yeah. Well, anyway, for six years, it was aired at 9.30 at night, which would make it extra funny. If he said, I, I don't even know what 9.30 looks like, like he was mentally absent during the show. That would be my guess. That's a good question, though. Yeah. I should have kept my mouth shut and asked, made Walden answer without then, uh... No, I would never, I would never have made that connection. And I hear these things, you know, in particularly in the comedies when they have either a live audience or dubbed in laughter. And yeah. I'm like, okay. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I read one time, I went to a student, and I, you know, we did have typical, typical comedy. For example, I read one time, guess how many jokes the Bob Hope show averaged in a broadcast and how many did the Jack Benny show average a broadcast? Holy cats. Um, Bob Hope was something like four every 15 seconds. Something like that, yeah. So that's a lot throughout the show, but of course... And you know what? Statistically, rate-wise, uh, it was more than that. More than four every season? Yeah, seconds? Hope did what? 140 jokes a, a broadcast. Well, 40 jokes a broadcast? 140. Oh, 140. Yeah. Well, 
Well. A half hour? Yeah. Like, you know, 16 a minute. So every 10 minutes would be 160. So, yeah, four, four every 15 seconds would be about right. Yeah. So that, that, um, that. Probably that. more, though, because he had, you know, the, the straight entertainment. Well, of course, he had music. He had, two, he, he had maybe two songs and a commercial. Yeah. And then, what do you think Benny Average? That one I wouldn't even guess. About 35. Because it was always the setup. Uh-huh. The setup and punch. Yeah. And they always, they always had a sitcom type. Right. Setup. Right. So, it, it was not a, a barrel, a, a barrel roll of laughs and yucks the way Bob Hope's show was set mm-hmm. up. And he was he was unique. I don't think there was any other person on radio who did stand-up comedy the way he did. True. Here's a good trivia question. Guess how many people were on his, and during the war, how, how many writers did he have on staff? Eighteen. Fifteen writers on staff. I think he had eighteen at one point. Probably did. But can you imagine? I know. It's just amazing. When Bob Mills described how... The writers worked independently and then came together and he went shopping. <laughs> like, this one's good, this one's good, I'll take this from yours. It was just amazing that a show could actually be knit together and come out seamlessly when he was taking pieces from 15 writers. So, I think, you know, getting back to what Dennis is pointing out, I think because certain co- shows lends itself to a topical humor or something that was to know for that time, we we who don't are not familiar with that sixty seven say, huh? What? You know, we we miss we miss that we miss on that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why you're here, so I can ask you. <laughs> it helps. There you go. It helps. There you go. Are you in the market for a question? If I can find them. No, but I did want to say something since you brought up Jack Benny. Mm-hmm. Uh oh. Um. It struck me listening to his shows from time to time, that he might have been the first person to make a virtual show. By virtual, I mean his show was about making his show, and you never actually heard his show. Yeah, that's true. Was he the first? I, I, I think you hit upon something. I think I don't know of anybody else who had that format. Where What we're talking about was, say, you hear the show, everybody, and he, they're in the drugstore, and they're talking about playing the show. And they walk into the rehearsal, and they're getting ready for for broadcast time at the time when they go right on the air. Um, I think you're absolutely correct. You know, Benny's also the one, and he, nobody's never heard this one. Grabbed it from September 11th, 1949. What made uh, what made this show unique for the first 26 and a half minutes? You never heard Jack Benny. It was the first show of the season, and the writers decided to put Benny on only the last three and a half minutes. Why? Because what they were trying to do is set up a, a, a tour bus. Visiting through Hollywood, visiting all the cast write-ups, and so we're getting, you know, he, the, the tour bus was going to NBC, and the punchline is it was gonna stop at NBC, and the first time you heard Jack Benny said, "I'm gonna get off here." It would get the way they set up the show, and I don't think any other uh, comedy shows 
star would have done a structure like that, basically skipped the tw- first 27 minutes of his show, yeah. and with his, uh, his, you know, his st- cast have all the laughs, all the routine, as the tour bus is driving through Hollywood and visiting all the different cast members' house. Yeah. Makes you wonder if he had to appear in court on a traffic violation. <laughs> <laughs> if, if there was a particular reason that the writers left him out of the, the first part of the show. No, they just wanted to try something different. Well, that sure was different. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think he was an incredible entrepreneur, mm-hmm. you know, as far as comedy goes. Yeah. He was, yes, you are right. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to give you a question anyway. Are you ready? Please. I beg your pardon? Please don't. Oh, but it's Make okay. my head hurt. Your, your hair hurts? <laughs> my head. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right. Here you go. What you can give of, me one question. What color Christmas did Elvis Presley sing about? Mm. Boy. That's off the wall. Uh, no, it isn't. Elvis Presley did a Christmas song, and the title had a color in it. I bet it's not white. I'll bet it's not white. <laughs> that was Bing Crosby. He sang about a white Christmas. Yeah. But since you brought up Crosby... Yes? Um, in his movie, he has a little song that I've never found a recording of, and it was about, um, oh, God, it was, um, When they were having sandwiches. This is a song? Yeah, and he sings this little this little song to the girl in the movie. Um, I should call her a girl, I know. It's not politically correct. The lady. I'm a yeah. girl. Um, you can call me girl. Hello, girl. Thank you. I'm adorable. You are. <laughs> Man, you're 79 years old now. I know. Listen, yeah, you know, I have to stop saying that. Some people have been confused by that, and they actually think I'm 79, and that's, you know, so any time we say that, I have to say... That's just, like, amazing. <laughs> oh, I'm... Oh. You have such a nice voice for a 79-year-old. Oh, I know. I'm so amazing. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you very much. Well, you're not going to answer my question here. Oh, now, the, the song that he sings to the girl, is it, is it one of these songs that he sings when he was a priest? Like Bill St. Mary's or something oh, like that? Mary. No, it's, it goes something like this. When I'm worried and I can't sleep, I count my blessings. And sleep. Yes, I've heard that. Um, I've heard it in the movie. Yeah. But he never made a recording of it? If you can find me a name, I can find the song. I can find it. I would bet it's Count Your Blessings. Count Your Blessings. Alrighty, I will find it. If it's out there, I will find it. Bing Crosby, Count Your Blessings. I love that song. In fact, 
when I find that they're playing the movie, you know, on TCM or something like that, mm-hmm. I'll go watch the movie just to listen to that song. I can't think how many movies sold because of the music. You know, um, think of Holiday Inn. Mm-hmm. Think of all the, all the great songs that were written for that show, uh, like White Christmas and Easter Parade and all that. People uh, know those songs, and it must have helped show the movie, you know. I am sure they did. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, well, if okay. I find Count Your Blessings by Bing Crosby, I win a CD, right? Yeah, she went to see the uh, that she's asking me to mail her. That is the one. <laughs> okay, here you go. Here well, you go. I think Patricia finally should get rewards. Uh-huh. All the answers she finds. Well, you know? Yes. Okay, I found more answers. Um, the Grinch. The Grinch stole Christmas? How the Grinch stole Christmas? Are you familiar with that story? Uh, yeah, I've seen it. Okay, well, we're not going to ask you that one then. You have to answer, oh, yeah, I love it. So I won't give you that question. All right, which which Christmas movie, since you're into Christmas movies, and it is not... The the Grinch did have a really cool dog, though. That's the question. What was the dog's name? Oh, God. Oh, Lordy, Dennis, Dennis, Dennis. I don't care what his name was. I just liked him. A cool dog. All right. Well, I'm going to go to the question that I would have hit anyway. I would, this is a multiple choice. Oh, I might have a chance at that. Okay. I'm, I'm going to give you four answers. So you, you've got, even if you've never heard of this before, you've got a 25% chance of getting it right. Which Christmas music has been played more than any other? I'm sorry, not music, movie. Which Christmas movie? Is it A Christmas Story, Home Alone, Frosty the Snowman, or It's a Wonderful Life? It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, I just knew you. That would be tough to figure out the answer. This is true. Yes. But this, this is true. I have a question for you in response to that. All right. Um, and this will be a hard one. And you don't have to answer because I know you guys deal with uh, celebrities all the time. But um, Jimmy Stewart did a phenomenal job in that. And then they made a remake with Marlo Thomas. Mm. Now, do you think the Marlo Thomas version was up to the standard of the Jimmy Thomas version, or the um, Jimmy Stewart Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart version, or not? You're asking. <laughs> I mean, there is, of course, it wasn't up to the standard. I, I get very frustrated in general with people who try to remake the perfect, and that was one of them. Because that, in that case, I just thought. You know, why did they bother? I know, I know. And the same thing happened in, well, with Steve Martin in the Pink Panther movies. Excuse me, there is only one Pink Panther star, and that was Peter Sellers. So, 
it, it just it really baffles me when they try to take something that is so perfect and such a classic and remake it into something what Alden and I were talking the other day when they did the Green Hornet why did they bother naming it the Green Hornet because it has nothing to do with the Green Hornet okay he runs around in a black beauty and he has a green mask on his face that's it I think I know why they do it though why because Hollywood now, especially in the movie business, TV bit it's gotten so expensive that guys try to hedge their bets. They try to look for a property that they knew had been successful in the past, and they try to copycat it or bring it, it bring it in today's yeah. terms. And that's what that's what I, that's, I think. Sometimes that's part of it. Um, my answer uh, is, if you've I, already got perfect, why bother? Well, I had one thought, and it's from something I heard a long time ago. Mm-hmm. That um, Picasso mm-hmm. would, in the mornings, do replicas of Renaissance art paintings, mm-hmm. and then gesso over them, and then come back and do his own painting. He would do stroke perfect copies of Da Vinci's and Michelangelo. Very fine, fine artist. And what I had wondered is if these people were actually trying to do a study as opposed to really, you know, remaking the movie. But then they sell it anyway. No, no, I don't don't think so. I wouldn't give them that much credit. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted your opinion. (laughs) I'm never short of opinions. (laughs) I will find, if it kills me, Count Your Blessings by Bing Crosby. You have earned it. I didn't do anything. Well, you answered the question, and so now I have to go out on my hunt, and I will do that. So, and later, we can talk later, I've got an expression with a definition or an origin. And it's a good one, so maybe we can talk later. Okay. All right. Take care. Talk to you later. Take care. That's a great expression. What? Take care. Take care. Yeah, it is. Well, you use it all the time. I know. It's my little handle. Okay, so now we've got two questions out there to be answered. Did Elvis sing about? And who who was the Grinch's donkey? And who was the orchestra leader? Hello there. You're on the air. Yeah, hi, Walter, Patricia. It's hey, Ralph Cohen. Hello, hi, Ralph. Ralph. How are you? Okay. Oh, uh, nice. Last week I was so pooped I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't call you. Oh boy, we we tired you out, boy. When you know when the audience falls asleep, we know we're not doing our job here. Oh no, that's not the case. I, you How know, we got we have five acres here, and uh, the maintenance on it is enough to kill a horse. I'm not getting any younger, so it takes me longer than it used to. Where's you out? How's, how is my chicken? My chicken, not chicken. <laughs> oh, got no chicken. Oh, uh, no, you, that's not what you told me. He's going to fight for Sunday night dinner, Patricia. We did have chicken for dinner, but I didn't, uh, I didn't call it Patricia. Oh, good. Where's my chicken? You got it. I'm going to get you a chicken. I, I, I'll send it to you. <laughs> I don't 
don't want you to send it to me. You said you were going to get baby chicks, and one of them could be named That would be per- that would be perfect. He, he Ralph can mail Patricia a live chicken in a box. Do not. You're getting, do not Patricia, you're getting a chicken. <laughs> Say what? Say that again. You're gonna get a chicken. You've been asking about your chicken and chicken this, and now I'm gonna send you a chicken. Well then, quit giving them ideas, okay? Uh, have you got room for more than one? Are you serious? I I barely have room for me in here. <laughs> Something's annoying. All right, I won't send you chicken. Chickens chickens are not allowed. <laughs> Apartment building. Um, how are you? Oh, good. Yeah, we had a good uh, had a good week. Uh, the weather here is unseasonable. It's it, it's cool. No kidding. Usually a hundred degrees around this time of year, and it, it's it's been running in the seventies and eighties. I don't know what's going on. Enjoy it. I understand the rest of the country's getting wiped out with heat. Absolutely wiped out. They- Did you see the news like on Monday? How many states were over a hundred and five? I know, and they said Wisconsin uh, and. Minnesota. Just for the audience, over 15 states. Yeah. Well, 105 that's degrees or more. That's crazy. Parts of Minnesota and Wisconsin were 115. <laughs> I mean, that's unheard of for that part of the country. They said if you normally go to a vacation place on the lake, a cottage, because there are 10,000 lakes up there, they said you're better off staying home because the cottage is going to be even hotter than what you're able to find at home. I mean, at least you can you can go to the supermarket and it's air-conditioned in there. It says, stay home, it'll kill you. And this is at Lakeside Cottages. They said the temperatures are just going to be so brutal, you're better off staying home. Yeah, they said the humidity's going to be out of sight, too. Wow. Isn't it that part of the reason why back in the 30s and 40s people went to movie theaters because it's about the only point they had air conditioning? Well, they didn't have air conditioning for the most part. It was very unusual to have air conditioning in the 30s and 40s. It really started coming in in the latter 50s. But But I was just thinking, I think movie theaters were about the only places, weren't they? Well, but movie theaters, it was unusual to have an air-conditioned movie theater. Hmm. You know, they used to say uh, uh, 20 degrees cooler inside, and they would use the term air-cooled. Air-cooled. And I think they used to blow fans over blocks of ice. They, I'm, I'm sure uh, at one point in time. I'm sure that some of them did that. Most of them had an air um, current system. They would capture the prevailing currents, and it would actually be a breeze going through the movie theater. So indeed, it was at least 20 degrees cooler inside the movie theater. Even in the brutal heat here, in um, in this particular area of the country, that's the way they cooled the movie theaters. And people did go because it was cooler, but not because they were air-conditioned. So the, what about cars? Do cars have any fan or anything? Uh, you, no, you, have air conditioning. Open the window and stick your head out. That, that was it, huh? No fan or no nothing inside of a car. No, you know, you had a little blower on your heater that I guess you could... But you'd just be sucking hot air in anyhow. Uh-huh. Sucking hot air is not a good thing. No, it's I hate that. <laughs> you know, I waited I waited for years and years before I bought an air conditioner huh? for the house. 
and I, when I bought it, it was when we, I was working on the graveyard shift, and I had to sleep during the heat of the day. Ah, okay. And uh, without that, I, it would have been unbearable. But I refused to put an air conditioner in my car until I had air conditioning in my house. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose you could have slept in the car. Gotta have, you gotta have rules. <laughs> Organization. Okay, do you know what the Grinch, the name of the Grinch's dog is? Oh my goodness, no. Fido. Oh, Ralph! Oh, did you ever watch How the Grinch Stole Christmas? Uh, yeah. I can tell you're it, really it, excited. It didn't really capture my attention that well. I guess not. Okay, well, we'll leave that one. Do you know what color Christmas Elvis Presley sang about? Uh, it seems to me it was a blue Christmas. Yes, it was. Oh, it's going to be a blue Christmas without you. Yes, it was a blue Christmas. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Now, out of... Out of all the shows that I sent to you in that mega sample CD, what has tickled your fancy in addition to Damon Runyon? Uh, uh, I was listening to that the, uh, just this week, and uh, I'm trying to think if anything really stood out to me. I only listened to a few programs. But they, they, they were nicely grouped, uh, you know, several of one particular show. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I found it enjoyable, but I, I didn't, uh, I didn't really come up with a winner. Okay, well, let me, let me tell you what's new for this week. Yes. Um, a couple of them are left over, but uh, I, are you into music? I mean, do you like, um, you know, music of the 40s and, and big band type stuff? Yeah, I, I always like the uh, the big band sound. Okay. Uh, I prefer my music without words. <laughs> I've got some Benny Goodman. Oh, he was good. Would you like some Benny Goodman? Hello, yeah, Benny Goodman's fine. Okay, Benny Goodman. See, I just knew I could I could come up with something that you would like. So, if you, if you like your music without words, then what was your favorite music, Ralph? Was it a, a particular orchestra? Well, you know, I, I, as I said, I like the, the big bands. I like Glenn Miller and all that stuff. But right. I, I kind of like uh, uh, some semi-classical or classical music. Like, like Percy Face or something like that? Uh, Montevani? You know, like, uh, I, I like Beethoven and uh, Rimsky-Korsakoff ah. and uh, Mozart uh -huh. and stuff like that. I really enjoyed that. I uh, had a uh, a very powerful uh, uh, hi-fi set uh -huh. before, even before stereo was around, and I used to blow the windows out of the house with that. You know, the Tchaikovsky's eighteen twelve overture, oh, yeah. stuff like that. Great stuff. Okay, I I'm think back. It's I'm great. Uh, Sorry, I was fussing in the kitchen. I can send you some classical goodies. Oh, well, uh... You just never told me you like them. Yeah, well, it, most people don't... I don't know, in today's market, I guess most people don't go for that stuff, but 
I always liked it. I go for stuff like that there. So I will I will squirrel around and put together some um, a classical CD for you. No, yeah, okay. Don't send Stravinsky. I don't like Stravinsky. <laughs> I'm not big on list either. So, um, you know, uh, maybe some Beethoven and Bach and, you know, Bach is like, I like Bach. Did, did you, um, I like you have a theme tonight or? Yeah. I, I just turned the radio on shortly uh, before I called you. Oh, boy. Tonight's theme, handmade and homemade for Christmas. Christmas gifts, Christmas decorations, Christmas cookies, Christmas cards. Did you do anything like that? Do you do anything like that? Did your neighbors do anything like that? Yeah, we don't. But the, a couple of friends uh, really go to extremes to, to produce something personally to give to you, like uh, one lady does uh, walnuts, uh, some kind of sugar coating on them. Yeah. I don't know how she does them, but they're fantastic. And uh, every Christmas, here comes a jar of this stuff. And my friend and his wife make uh, liqueurs and things like that. Uh, uh, well, I think the last thing they made was Sambuco. Which, which is a, a favorite of mine. I don't know what that is. I've heard of it, but I don't know what it is. Tambuco is, um, it's sort of licorice uh, after dinner sort of a drink. Okay. And uh, quite often put it into coffee and set a flame. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, uh, yeah. Put it in a espresso and... You float that stuff on top, and you, you kind of burn off the alcohol, but the, the taste stays in the coffee. Uh -huh. I really like that. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. And then uh, Grand Marnier. I love Grand Marnier. That's good stuff. Oh, it is good stuff. I used to drink it when it was really cold out, and you could just feel that stuff go down and start a fire in your belly. That just warms up your tummy. Sure do. It's good stuff. Did you or do you make anything for Christmas? Did you ever do? Uh, I was, yeah, on occasion. I, I had a. Uh, I bought a bandsaw, and I started making ducks, not chickens. <laughs> ducks. Okay. Yeah, I, I was cutting out ducks and uh, painting them up and giving them to friends. Well, that sounds neat. Maybe I'll send you a duck. <laughs> sure. I, well, I could, if, if, you, if it's a bandsaw, that means it, it's flat, right? I mean, it wasn't a decoy. No, no, nothing so like it's, that. It's just, thing I could put on the just, wall. Uh, oh, flat wood, but the duck shape. Yeah. I used to make the wings separate and the feet separate, and I cut out, uh, I cut out some whales and wow. porpoises and things like that. And I used to mount them on a, on a dowel uh -huh. for the base, and uh, everybody liked them. Do you, do you still do whales? No, I haven't done anything in quite a while. Uh, I, you know, it's a, it was like a passing fancy. I worked on it for a few months and really got into it. And, uh -huh. uh, that's the way I am, though. <laughs> I, I got off on stuff. Many different areas in your life between the Navy and watchmaking, and oh my gosh! Oh, you remember everything, don't well, you? Well, not everything. You've got a whole lot of things in there that I don't remember. The watchmaking, I remember, and fishing. Yeah, you... that's something that I 
I, I still maintain an interest in, you know, old uh, gear-driven, yeah, spring-driven watches. There was, and I have a few. There, there's a program called How It's Made. And yes. I happened into one yesterday, and they were making precision watches, self-winding watches with jewels. Oh, yeah. And they walked through the entire process from from stamping uh, the the temp from the template to I mean the fine work that goes into these things the screws they use are like human hairs for goodness sakes yeah isn't it interesting it's just remarkable what yes. what makes a good watch Ralph is it the if you're looking at what, can you tell what's it a good watch and what's it a uh, you know a, a terrific watch? I mean, yeah, if, if I look at the movement, I can tell. Uh-huh. You know, like uh, some watches were what they call pin levers, uh, and they just had metal on metal for uh, for bearings. Uh, then, then they make better watches. With uh, a seven jewel watch, would have like a a jeweled escapement. The wheels in, in the drivetrain are mounted in steel or, or uh, sometimes brass. But then your better watches are have jewels all the way around for every uh, every wheel has its own uh, has two jewels at least. And in the finer watches, there's another jewel that sits on top of the jewel with the hole in it. It's called a cap jewel. And these things run really smooth. And they don't, uh, you keep them clean and oiled, they'll, they'll run forever. Hmm. Well, I got a whole new bucket of respect for you when I watched them go through this building process. And, the, you know, with the back of the watch off, looking at the mechanisms and the precision of these things, I thought, my goodness. And the steadiness of the hands. These people do not drink coffee, do they? <laughs> no, and that's uh, that's why I can't work on them today. My hands aren't steady like that anymore. Wow, it was remarkable. I swear, the screws that went that they dropped in to, you know, as as they were building this thing, they would drop the little screws in. I I don't think I've ever seen a screw that tiny. Yeah, they're pretty small. You had to use tweezers to pick them up, stick them in the in the hole to get him started. Oh. And then they have to add screwdriver. Good eyes and no coffee. Yeah, I would say no coffee. No coffee. Remarkable. <laughs> Just remarkable. Okay, well, classical music, I will send you. Benny Goodman, I will send you. I'm so happy I've got something that will please you. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I'm going to look around and see if I have a duck around here. If not, I am going to send you a chicken. Okay. <laughs> Just make sure it doesn't cluck, okay? Well, do you want a chicken? Sure. Make sure, make sure, make sure you can make a mechanical cluck. That way, Patricia won't say anything. Oh, dear me, dear me. Uh, My mailbox will smell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, listen, I'm gonna back out of here and go to sleep. Boy, I hope you find it, duck. <laughs> you, you guys are on all night in the bedroom. I, I, listen, I wake up and I still hear you. Yeah, we're still here. That's I never shut you off. Oh, you're so good to us. Yeah. All right, Ralph. We'll talk to you soon. Best when you wake up, you can always give us a call back. That's right. Yeah, okay. Uh, have a good evening. Bye now. You have a good week. Bye-bye. 
Anyway, during the Frank and Bobby Bush last night after we got done with our part, and Bobby got internet service, so now they're arranging to get a computer, so that way Frank can start listening to us. Oh, hooray. Yeah. Oh, so, hooray. 714-545-2071. Hello there, Carl. You're on the air. Yeah, it's Kurt. Hello, Kurt. Kurt, how are you? Okay. Uh, a little uh, a little better, I guess. Um, uh, yeah. Went to the doctor, and um, they said that my levels look good, except that my a couple of my calciums are starting to creep up, so they want to put me on a different medication, which is very expensive. And so I'm still hoping that God's going to fix my diarrhea so that I don't have to do that because, I mean, uh, I don't know yet how it's going to work, but the medication is $7,000 a month. A month? A month. A month. And it's, it's in the thalidomide family, and so... Okay. You have to do all kinds of uh, jump through hoops to make sure that, you know. Not going to get pregnant. That's right. right. Anyway, um, so how are, you guys are doing a good show so far. Thank you. Did you hear our Toys for Tots person? I did. I did hear part of that, yes. He was so yes, nice. I think that's great. Really a remarkable person, a remarkable program. They had 16 million toys last year. That's unbelievable. It is. It is. And he said it covers everything from, you know, the great big unit toys yeah. to the smaller ones that they would put together, like in stockings. Yeah. But a 16 million that's, toys. That's wonderful. I mean, I'm glad that even in this economy, you know, people were still at least last December. We're still, you know, able to do stuff like that. Yes, yes. I asked him when I was talking with him earlier this week and arranging for the time with him, I asked him if the giving has been different or um, much less because the economy has been in right. trouble. And he said, no, it was really surprising, but in general, they were still cruising at, I say cruising, They they were getting contributions both in dollars and toys yeah, that's enough to keep them floating. That's wonderful. I agree. Yep. I agree. Well, I'm glad you're starting to get some decent reports. Yeah, um, like I said, I don't know. I mean, we're hoping that I don't have to do, because I, I, I have to um, find out what I have to do because, you know, I'm on, like, Medicare, and so I don't know. You know, I have to find out what's going to happen with with that medication if that's what they have to put me on, mm -hmm. um, uh, because I can't have the uh, stem cell transplant. The cells are waiting, but yeah. you know, and they'll keep for years, so that's no problem. I'm going to email a website to you. Uh, just just let me make a note. Walden, talk for a minute while I make a note to myself. <laughs> note to self. Note to self. Anyway. This is, this is, well, I'm wrong you, that could do Patricia, write a note to herself. Okay, I wrote a note to myself, um, and I'll explain it in the email. Okay. It, um, I'll explain it in the email. Okay, sounds and good. Then, and then we can talk about it, but it, it might be a vehicle that you can use to get some, uh, some assistance from drug companies with medications. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, that's, yeah, um. I, uh, they, I, well, the person that I talked to thought that if I gave them the name of the medication, 
that they could tell me what the copay is, but they said, well, no, you have to tell us, you know, how much you're going to take, what the strength is, how often you take it, and all that. Right. So I got to write her back and, and do that, and then they can tell me, you know, how much the copay is going to be. Patricia, any idea what the most expensive medicine that people could be on? Oh, any yeah. idea? I have heard 10,000 a dose. There is, yeah, there are cancer, there are cancer medications, and they are just unbelievably expensive. Wow. And they're, they're called, they're unbelievably expensive, at least according to the drug companies. They're what they call orphan drugs. Uh-huh. Yes. They, it, there has been intensive research and development that has gone into creating the drugs, but the, the need or the market is so minuscule. Mm-hmm. Well, also some of the orphan drugs are used off-label, too, because there, there are other drugs that are used for, you know, for... Not what they're not what they're being prescribed for. Well, that's that's true. It's it's rarely an orphan drug that is used in that way. Um, there, a lot of the neurological drugs, for example, I say a lot of them, several of them, will cross over into other disorders, and they'll be used for off-label treatment, meaning that the FDA has not approved the drugs to treat a specific disorder. Right, they're right. It's for another disorder, but because it's successful, doctors will order it what they call off-label. That's, yeah, that's, that's right. Um, well, you can take a look at this site and um, see if there's anything up there, and maybe you could help me with some names of medications and I could do a little bit of digging around. It's a pretty easy site to navigate. Um, but I'd, I'd be happy, very happy, because I've used the the site before for myself right so i know it's uh it's got current information it's up to date and uh, if you can help me with the names of some of the medications well the only well the, the medication they're going to give me is called revlimid which i believe is r-e-v-l-u-m-i-d i think uh i may have to go back to the aftercare summary and because actually when i was doing the transcription um which really used to be my day job. Um, I, I hadn't typed that one often, so I really can't swear to it, but that's what it's, um, they didn't want to put me on the other stuff on the Velcade that I was on last year because uh, of the numbness in my feet. And the, they said that the Velcade could make that worse and permanent. But as far as I know, it's permanent anyway. So yeah. hey, anyway, that's just one of those things. And, uh, and, you if, know. if it's something that works in your favor, hooray for both of us. Yeah, yeah. It's like I said. It's one of those funny things, you know, where I I can see where the, you know how how they wouldn't want to use it. But um, anyway, do you um, do you have any questions? I know one of the questions you had. I don't know if you had it answered or not. I have to. Uh, if this answer is well, I'm sure the answer is right. My wife and my stepson agreed that that that. Um, did you get an answer on? Um, on the Grinch's dog? I did not. Do you have the Grinch's dog? Uh, yes. Uh, it's Max. The Grinch's dog is Max. And my my wife and my stepson both gave me that information because I did not know it. Thank you to your wife and your stepson. What would they like in a CD? <laughs> they don't know. They don't even. They don't listen to old radio. So. Oh, that's sacrilegious. Well, I know, but. Oh, be still, my little heart. It's yes, I. I butter. Well, actually, you know, that that actually does bring up uh, an, kind of an interesting question because obviously as a blind person, you know, I have always liked OTR. But, you know, I have, you know, I wonder how a lot of the, the sighted people that, 
you know, that I know that that don't that don't care about it or aren't interested. You know, how how do the people that are cited? I mean, do you just did you just kind of stumble across it one day and say, I like this? That's exactly what happened. Yeah. Well, that's. That's good. I mean, I'm I'm glad it works that way. Yeah. Well, it's the way it happened for me. I don't know about others. It, it will be interesting to hear. A lot of people um, who have a lot of our listeners who have called in have said things like their their parents right. to it, or they remember when they were little kids having heard some of the shows. Um, so they were familiar with it. I happened on it and recognized a couple of names when it got to Cibber McGee. I said, I know that. I, I know that name. I understand that now. Oh. But I just kind of fell into it. It was quite by accident that I found Yesterday USA. Yeah. I was looking for talk show radio. Ah, okay. I'm a tech. I don't care what you're talking about. I mean, there are some things that I just, I, I just can't, <laughs> I can't listen to this. You know? Yeah, like sports. Well, no, you know, even sports I could do, but I mean, there are some really <laughs> nutty people out there who have radio stations, but I was looking for talk show radio, and yesterday USA came up as a talk show mm -hmm. uh, with older topics, and sometimes, you know, so I, I tried, you know, I tapped in, and one of the old-time radio shows was playing, and that was my first. We, I grew up remembering with the live tree, and we, uh, some of the 70s really started to go through artificial trees, and occasionally we would buy a live tree just to sprinkle it up, but, um, currently, uh, we, uh, current tree we bought from Kmart, and the ones we bought, the, 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 the new ones now, have the lights built into them. That's kind of cheating. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, somebody no. has to sit there and say, who put these lights away last year? Yeah, yeah, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, uh, you know, I'm just a tradition. We still have the mouse that I chewed up as a kid. You know, you put that on a tree and and interesting ornaments like that. But, uh... Oh, you were a, a lovable little child, weren't you? Uh-huh. I got away with murder. <laughs> You're still so lovable. Ah, that's what helps. So lovable. That's what helps. Anyway, but, uh, um... No, we pretty much been, uh... We've been pretty much been, you know, artificial tree. I remember as a kid... Uh, basically, you remember have glass ornaments, and I seem to remember, I don't remember, one year they broke, and with my eye palm, we always were worried about something getting, getting you know, breaking uh -huh. into the eye. I seem to remember spending some time in a hospital one time, but, you know, we so we stay away from buying, you know, the pure glass ornaments. Uh -huh. um, but I don't even know if you even see those in stores anymore. I don't even know if they even sell pure glass ornaments anymore, you know? Um, Are you talking like clear? Clear, yeah. They do. They do. They? do. Yes, yeah. they do. Yes. Um, now, I haven't really kept up with the Hallmark ornaments, but I know that you know you can go into like you know five and dime stores or you know dollar stores, I should say now, and and still buy them. Yeah. Um, I, I, for years, you know, we're biking with tight. Generally, we would all, and I think most families still do today, we would buy our Christmas stuff, 
paper and wrapping paper and ornaments the day after Christmas for next oh, year. Yeah. You know, you couldn't beat those deals. Mm -mm. I have, I have a good collection. Anybody who needs wrapping paper, pick me. <laughs> you got it, huh? You know, I just love paper. I love paper. I have a question for you, too. Ruh-roh. Mistle, does mistletoe grow in your areas down there and out west? Well, out west, yes, but you have, to go, you have to go into the forest to go look for it. You have to go uh, into the forest. Yeah. Lynn Noy says it grows in Arizona. Mm -hmm. Elf shot it out of one of his trees for me last year in Northern California. I don't think it grows here. Well, I remember as a child a couple different times, our farm was a half a mile long from east to west. Uh -huh. And we lived on an end that was a dead end uh, because of the interstate coming through uh, I-64. But on the back end of our place was an actual through, uh, uh, the road went through over an uh, overpass. And I remember one day, it was probably, it might have been early December, we start hearing a gunfire off in the, off in the woods, uh -huh. into the, uh, the property. And we went out there and, you know, we're thinking gunfire, you know, dead carried, you know, uh, dead, you know, shot squirrels and had uh, a thirty thirty and he, we grabbed the gun because you don't know what you're going to run into out there. And we went out there and the fellow was shooting mistletoe out of trees, you know, in our woods. That's right. And, uh, shotguns. You know, we, we didn't know if he was shooting mistletoe or shooting stakes, you know. Yeah, no, it's mistletoe. And I, I looked up Christmas information. I mean, you know me with looking up information. Yeah. And that's how I found out. You shoot mistletoe out of the trees, and mm -hmm. in England, apparently, it's a it's a huge crop in England, and mm -hmm. they have some pretty bountiful crops of mistletoe growing in trees. It's a parasite. Yes, well, I I know that uh, in Louisville, on, I work on the east side of Louisville, and um, the whole area is just covered in mistletoe. And I mentioned that to a coworker of mine, and I said. Gosh, there's a lot of mistletoe, and he goes, huh? And it's like, that's mistletoe up there. And he he didn't know what it was till I explained to him what it was and showed him on the Internet, you know, what mistletoe looks like. And yeah. uh, like you said, it's a parasite and all that. So, but well, uh, I'd be happy to look up the areas where it grows if my Internet service was working. <laughs> <laughs> it probably is, but I'm going to have to reboot my router in order to, to make it work, so I'm kind of stuck on hold here for a little bit. There, I think there's a button on the back of your router to push that would reset it. Yeah, but it shuts down everything. Um, oh, it does, yeah. And, and everything starts from scratch, so hmm. I would be talking to you no longer while I was oh. waiting for the other part of me to come up. So when we take a break later or Walden plays some Christmas music, I'll pull the plug and, and start from scratch. Are you with uh, Charter or? I'm. I switched over to CenturyLink from Comcast. I was with Comcast, and now I'm with CenturyLink. Do you regret that? We'll we'll talk about that at the end of the year. <laughs> Just wondering. Uh huh. <laughs> we'll we'll talk about it later. Um, this is not the first time I have had to say, I'll be back in a couple of minutes. I have to reboot my router, among other things. So, Boy. all right, are you ready mm -hmm. for your Christmas question? 
question? Yes, it's a Christmas question. <laughs> sure. All right. Why not? When, Why not? Which soda company, pop company, soft drink company, was the first to use Santa Claus as an, as an item in their advertising? That would be Coca-Cola. It was Coca-Cola. You are so cool. Hey, speaking of that. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, currently running out here in California during baseball games. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Here in the month of June, I'm assuming July, yeah, July, Pepsi Cola is running ads for Santa Claus. Mm. It's two elves saying, gee, Pep- Santa's on vacation. You know, he's drinking Pepsi instead. No kidding. Yes, I couldn't believe it. Especially Patricia's mantra about commercial, talking about other products in the commercials. Well, they didn't talk, they didn't mention the name Coke. Well, they did, and they talked about, but he said, oh, I thought Sam was a Coke. He said, yeah, but he's on a vacation. That's why he's drinking Pepsi instead. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Now, that that would be okay, because it, it, it was not a, a side-by-side comparison, uh-huh. like they would have a can of Pepsi and a can of Coke. Yeah. And they did do those commercials for a while. Let's have a taste test. You, you right. taste the Coke and taste the Pepsi. Who knew? But, I, when you turn the television off, and the next day you got up, and someone asked, well, which one did they pick? You'd have to stop and think. But I thought it was amazing that here I'm hearing... Yes. Uh, c- 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 some commercial for Pepsi when they're talking about Santa Claus and Coca-Cola products. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, that is really amazing. Now, is that a local ad? Uh, it sounds national to me, but they, they run it during the Angel Baseball games. Hmm. Very cool. So I'm wondering if you Google that puppy up, maybe you can find it. Well, I could if my internet would work. Well, we can we can take care of that really soon. Pull the plug in a little yeah. bit and uh, we'll, we'll fix that. But in the meantime, Dan, what yes, you how help you? What kind of goodies could I send? Well, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. You sent me a few Christmas shows, I think. I'm sure I did. Yeah. Um, you could send me some more Christmas shows. Uh, Christmas shows? I can do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, back to Pepsi. Do you have in your areas uh, something called Pepsi Throwback? I have not heard about it yet. Okay. Well, it's here in our area, and I, um, it's been, I don't know if it's going to be a regular thing, but it's uh, Pepsi made with actual uh, sugar, the way it used to be made before they switched the formula in can like you, the early 80s, I believe. Can you tell, can you tell the difference? You, you know... To me, it seems like it's a more crisper um, taste, uh-huh. and it seems like you don't have to drink as much. It seems like, you know, you... Your thirst is quenched, huh? Yes, uh-huh. I understand, for example, Dr. Pepper mm-hmm. sells the original formula there in the, in Texas, in, in the local, you know, the town I was born. You yeah, know, other, but, other countries, other states don't get the really true formula. Mm-hmm. That, that, that there is a bottling company in Texas, I forget the name of it all. Well, it may be Waco. Probably, that probably sounds right, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, for many years, uh, I believe that same Waco bottling plant are also uh, bottled uh, Big Red, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with Big Red or not. Yeah, I, I've heard of it out here. I think I've drank some of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a good product. Yeah, it's, I love Big Red. It's just uh, basically sugar water and 
and red dye. But <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I'll save it for you. If somebody serves it to me, I'll save it for you. Uh... Okay, I will get some Christmas shows out to you. Nice All right. Bundle. Sounds great. I really appreciate it. Okay, Dan. I'm glad everything went well with the reenactment and that you are upright and taking nourishment. That's right. Absolutely. Hey, um, what do you think about that Lemon Abner uh, clip I sent you? I sent an email earlier. It is wonderful. Walden, I'm going to send it out to you. Where did you find it? There is a um, radio archive website right? called, it, called LKY Radio. And it deals with uh, radio stations that were in Louisville, okay. Lexington, Kentucky. Well, um, would you explain to Walden what this is? Uh, Lemon Abner giving an honorary degree from the Pine Ridge, was it Pine Ridge University? It was. It was, uh, I believe, 1939. It was a clip from WHS Radio in Louisville, which was the 50,000-watt station here. And... It was a group of Kentucky dignitaries that got together, and somehow they had gotten a clip from Lemon Abner, and Lemon Abner gave away these uh, degrees from Pine Ridge University, and um, it was like one was from the governor of Kentucky and other people like in Louisville at the time. Okay. Have you ever heard of these degrees being given out? It was a 30-minute program. The only one I ever heard of, and Walden may have more than this, was the one um, that was awarded to Jack Benny in Pine Ridge. They never mm -hmm. left Pine Ridge. They didn't take it to him. Jack Benny showed up in Pine Ridge to collect his honorary degree. And this is the first that I realized that they that this, Jack Benny was not a one and only. Um, when we were talking with Donnie Pritchard last week, uh, Pitch Ford, last week, mm -hmm. um, he thought that in some of the earlier shows, they might have given them out, but because so many of the earlier shows haven't surfaced or they didn't survive, uh, he didn't know of any. So this was wonderful. This is almost, uh, let's see, it's 14 minutes. It's a 14-minute long presentation, and it's... Um, Grand honorary degree, uh, I, and I'll, I'll send it out to you, Walden, and you'll probably recognize a lot more than I did. But it is fun. Oh, I forgot to mention. I, you know, I didn't play the the, the night before Christmas that Robin Amler did for us last week. So I should play I thought that. Thought you did? No, I haven't. We talked about it. I didn't play it. Oh well. Um, I'm, I, as I said, I'm, I'll email this out to Walden, but I do thank you so much for finding it and for sending it on. It is just a fun, fun piece of work. I just wondered how unique it was. I didn't know if they did it so much because of the station being a 50,000-watt station at the time or if it was due to Kentucky or... Well, I, I will send it out to Johnny uh, Pitchford as well. He's the person we talked with, the president of the Lemon Abner, the National Lemon Abner Society, and see whether or not he's got any history on it or if this is new to him. I'm suspecting it's going to be new to him, so you're going to get accolades from all over the place on this one. But it, well, it no. was really fun to listen to, and I thank you so much for sending it. Sure, I'm just, I'm really interested in finding out just, um, you know, um, how unique it was, you know, yeah. it's like... 
Well, Donnie will... Come here. <laughs> when I hear... And then, like you said, he should know if anyone would know. If anybody knows, it's Donnie, and I, I will make sure he knows where it came from and um, get you some information. And he puts out a monthly newsletter, or is it strictly just on the Internet? Um, it's not a newsletter, but he will send out periodic information emails. So if you sign up, you know, if you go to the site and uh, leave your email address up there and say, hey, you'll be on his mailing list. Oh, that'd be great. I, I listened to parts of it, but yeah, they used to, me. They used to have a printed, uh, a printed bi-monthly newsletter, but it got to the point the, the the writer really got so busy in his other writing projects, so they, what they do, they just post articles when they can up on their website, but huh. Donnie updates it with new information because he's busy actively involving so many different things regarding Armin Abner, so, so, be well worth, and that way you can keep track of the comic strip, he sends out, you know, he's put together the comic strip that's being, uh, uh, on the internet, so uh, that's another way to keep keep up to date on that. That's a fun yeah, I, I went there briefly, and it looked really interesting. Yeah. yeah, so you'll have a fun time up there. Okay, well, I will send it to Walden, I will send it to Donnie, and I'm guessing that they're going to be as surprised as I was, and it's, it's just plain fun. Thank you so much for sending it, and sure. I will get some Christmas shows out to you. Sounds great, once you get your internet back. Yeah, once I get my internet <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Dan. You have a great night. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Too fun. Too fun. I'm I'm doomed. I am absolutely doomed here. Well, should we... We can play a little music. That way you can have access to the internet. Well, if you play a little bit of music and give me... Oh, it probably takes about one and a half minutes uh -huh. to do this. Well, can, why don't we continue our trivia question? Who is this orchestra leader who had a famous TV series and also radio, but known as a comedian? So we'll play a little more of that. I guess not. Hello there, you're on the air. Well, let's see. Shall we give her time to look on her router or whatever, or is she going to no. call on us? No, no. I, I, we could do that. That way, that way she is loaded for bear and can do everything that she normally does. Up to you. Really? Well, that means you guys are going to be talking about me while I can't hear you. Yeah, wait, let me, before you cut out on us, Patricia, let me just say that, you know, in a way, I feel bad that I started this rumor about you being 79, <laughs> um, because I didn't realize how much you would catch on all over the place. I know, it's, but, it's a wolf. Not all over the place, and you know, it, you, the people who... Um, it's a global phenomenon. It's a global yeah, it's a phenomenon. phenomenon. <laughs> Why well, I'm glad I can't even pronounce that. Oh, you know, I mean, you've got Milton believing it, uh -huh. and you've got Bill believing it. These are your friends. I know. You have, you have. I know. You have been deceptive. By the oh, oh, oh. Wrong with I, it. So I want to know what email um, provider you use for your uh, computer. I use. Uh, you mean the emails that you get? No, no, no. See, I have Outlook Express for my... Uh, oh, oh, I see, I see, yes. I have a form of Outlook Express, but I stopped using it. I am, what happened? I'm, well, I'm, I'm going exclusively with Hotmail because, and, and that's internet-based, so I don't need an email program to use Hotmail. I realized that when I 
switched over in January when I switched over to CenturyLink, a new provider, it was the fourth time I would be asking people to change my email address because I had changed service, actually the fifth time I had changed service providers, and Hotmail never goes away. So I'm just using Hotmail exclusively now. And you didn't, and you didn't transfer from your desktop to your laptop, you can, um, you can, you can do it on both computers? Uh-huh. Well, well, the reason why I ask is my wife, like I told you in my email, she's so happy. Yeah. She purchased a um, notebook, um, I mean, book, um, what do you call it? Anyway. A MacBook or a notebook? MacBook, yeah. yeah, she got the MacBook Pro, huh? you know, and she tried to get Outlook Express from her desktop. She can read, but she can't send out or something. Oh, she has to set up the um, the program. You, you actually have to put together information in the email program, your Outlook Express, and it has to be coordinated with your Internet service provider website. She has an account website with your Internet service provider, and the two of them... You have to load information. Wait, hang on one second. I'm going to let you. I'm going to put you on the speakerphone. Would you say that again? Okay. I'd, I'd be happy second. to say it again. But okay, it's, say it again. It's going to sound confusing. In order to use Outlook Express for sending, you have to go to. Oh, I'm going to close my eyes and and think of it. You have to go to the accounts uh, file. And I, I would have to open it up. Let me see if I can open it up and give you some information about this. Wait a minute. Uh, I, what, what we could do, I could play a little music, hook, hook you up you know, if you need a little time like that. Oh, it's not going to make any difference. Okay. Hooked up okay. To, uh, okay. Yeah, well, go ahead and, and play some music. She can, she, okay, she can open up, but she cannot send. Right. It's, it's, well, if you're uh, receiving, you probably already did most of your homework. Um, let's see, secretary. okay, under, under, Holden, are you playing music? No, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm just letting you two talk back yeah, and forth. Well, if, if you could go ahead and play music, because this doesn't make Okay, okay, why, why don't I, why don't I disconnect with you, Patricia? Well, oh. Let me, Ron, stay listening to this, and I'll bring Patricia on. I want to play a little bit of Jukebox Jury. And they are going to try to figure out if this Billy May song is a hit or a miss. And Peter Potter had a panelist of Mickey Rooney, Phil Harris, Donna Reed, and Debbie Reynolds. And it is something I don't think Patricia can get off the floor after she hears this. Peter Potter had a panel. Yes, Peter Potter had a panel. And he picked peppers. Yes, yes. So, <laughs> he picked a pack of peppers. Yes. So we're going to play this part that way, give Patricia a couple minutes, and then she can hear the tail end of this song, which I know she wouldn't want to hear anyway, and hear the rest of the panel. All right, now, wait, before you go, I'm going to hang up. That's why I'm, do that's why I'm doing it. Okay. Okay. And, so, and, and I'll you, wait for you to call me back. Right, and Ron, you hang in there, because I want you to hear this. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so don't run away. All right, guys, here we go with Peter Potter. Another little visit away from ABC's Hollywood studios and a trip to Pine Ridge, Arkansas. No, it's this one here. You know what I mean? You can't win. See if we can win this one. It's brand new. Tell me, will this record be a hit or a miss?
Mark your ballots, whether you think it'll be a hit or a miss. Yes, sir, mark them up. If you think it'll sell 200,000, mark it a hit. If you don't think so, mark it a miss. That was Son of India. The Maytimers, Billy May arranged it. Paul Smith featured it, the sparkling 88. Got all the ballots. Phil, this is a ragtime version of the Song of Indies you know. This is your music, Mr. Harris. Elucidate, enunciate clearly for the people. Well, I thought Liberace was never better. <laughs> like a candelabra out here while you discuss this record. Well, I tell you, anything that Billy May's got anything to do with, I got to go along with it. I, I, um, I think Billy May had something definite in mind when he made this record because, uh, no, I'm serious. I really do because, uh, it's Phil's opinion. Let him speak now. It's, it's my opinion because I think that he's one of the finest young arrangers that we have in the business. And I know there isn't a corny bone in his body. So I know that if he made this record corny, he made it on purpose. So uh, whoever it is he's got in there or whatever it is, you know, they might be going to open saloons again. (laughs) (laughs) Debbie. I can just see myself going to Tijuana and throwing away eight or ten dollars on that record. On this same record. (laughs) Debbie. They didn't run out of tequila. I'll play it. <laughs> I might even ride the swinging doors a little bit. <laughs> Debbie Phil's got a point. He's got a point there. How about the jukeboxes in the malted milk shops? So I say, uh, this was not Liberace. It was Paul Smith at the piano. Debbie Phil. Smith. <laughs> Paul Smith. Not one of the Smith brothers. He's Paul probably Smith. the father. He's one of our finest piano men, actually. Uh, uh, Was this uh, worth a dime of your time to put in a dime to hear it? Well, it's worth that just for the laugh, you know. (laughs) I think it... uh, Well, I don't know. I think it's just just the craziest thing I've ever heard. I I can just see him sitting trying to play this piano with the hand going back and forth. (laughs) I would spend a dime or two. I I don't have eight bucks, and I I don't drink tequila, so I don't know. You swing on doors. (laughs) Bill does. Mickey. I know you enjoy high you swing on Quiet, please. Quiet in the courtroom. Knock on them, too. Mickey, how did this Well, may I say, Pete, that it's a real pleasure for the second time tonight to have heard a great lyric and a... <laughs> because this is a song that you can remember the first four words. No, but all kidding aside, what Phil said about Billy May uh, being one of the great orchestrationists of our time and, of course, uh, having something definitely uh, in mind when he did it, I think he must have been swinging on the door when he did it. Thank you very much, You know what makes it funny? Because it's possibly true. And a hello bit jukebox show with Phil Hurst, Mickey Rooney, W. Reynolds, and we haven't heard Donna Reed, but I thought that'd be fun. And Patricia back, and there's Ron. 
Hi, everybody. Hello. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. No, no, no. You got that wrong again. Do I? We cannot do New Year's in July. We can only do Christmas in July. Ron, can I wish everybody a Happy New Year in July or not? Not really. Oh. I, I will go along with it. Oh. With it. I've been outvoted two to one. Yeah, yeah, you're outvoted. <laughs> you know, because she's older than you and I. I mean, we got to go. And we, oh, uh-huh. That's right. You have to behave <laughs> your elders. <laughs> you have to respect your elders. Uh-huh. Sure you'll never live that down. Ron, I think probably, I don't know how it works in Hawaii, but if I were in Gail's position, I would Wait, call my Wait, let you talk to Gail. Hang on. No. I think you have some fun and talk to her. She's she's not like me, so <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on. You're one of a kind. Patricia no. wants to talk to you. Hang on, and Gail wants to talk to you too. Hang on, Patricia. Hey. Okay. you want to talk to her. And I'll, I'll listen on the radio. Hang on. <laughs> okay, she's... I guess you can explain the internet to Gail. Oh, Byron, oh, my... did you get rerouted again, Patricia? Oh, my... Yes, I did. I pulled the plug and I'm all... She rebooted her computer. Okay, hang on one second. I'm all connected to the internet. Hi, Patricia. <gasps> Gail, hello. How are you? I'm fine. I understand that you have become a Macintosh person. Oh, I'm trying to. Well, I'm really trying. I but think you are my, going to. At this point, my grandkids know more than I do. Yeah, you know what? They, it's kindergartners know more than I do. It's really terrible. I go out and I visit schools and I look at what the kids are doing with computers and I just tuck tail and go home. <laughs> amazing. Just amazing. Yeah, they put them on so early. I know. Amazing. Oh, I think. And our school, I think they're trying to convert to uh, the Mac program because uh, we have a lot of that now. And I think they're phasing out on the other ones because the other ones just give problems. And, you know, they can't. Yeah. They can't. Like last year, um, most of most of the uh, would shut down, you know, every so often. I don't know if they overloaded it or not, but uh, it was uh, frustrating, frustrating for the teachers. So now they're switching over, gradually going over to the Macintosh? are using Macintosh and have been for quite a while, quite a few years. They, the, the programs are simple, the computers are, are simple to use, and the, the pieces of equipment, they're just workhorses. They can take reading. Oh. They just keep on, they're like Energizer bunnies, they just keep on going. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got a Macintosh that is probably eight years old. And she's finally giving some hiccups. I'm just heartbroken because I love this computer. But I don't know anybody who has a seven-year-old Dell or, you know, one of one of the um, or a compact, the commercial computers. Uh-huh. Taj just stays there. So I'm happy. I hope you're as happy as I am. That, that yeah. That you've gone yeah. to the Macintosh. Um, yeah. When I started to tell Ron, and um, then then he. He's sick to me on you, you poor lady. Uh-huh. I think what probably would be easiest 
is if you called your service provider, the, the yeah. company that provides... I think so, because it says over here, cannot send message using the server SMTP. Right. Server, you know, we use the HawaiiRunner.rr.com. And um, so it says that the Hawaii.com server refused to allow a connection on a default port. <laughs> so I think that's, I have to call them. Well, that's and, what I understand. There's, there's apparently a piece of information that you have uh, entered or a piece of information that's missing uh -huh. in the program, in the uh, Internet Explorer program when you set it up, and mm -hmm. they will be able to help you find it much more quickly than I can. Mm -hmm. So I think if you give them a call, tell them you can receive, but you can't send, they'll walk you through to make sure that the information that you have entered in the program is correct. Uh-huh, uh-huh. If you can receive, you're more than halfway there. It's just right. a, a single little piece of information that either needs to be entered or corrected. Mm-hmm. They'll do it for you, I promise. Okay. <laughs> right. It's so good to talk to you. Thank you for taking such good care of me and... and um, Making sure that the pony is fit. <laughs> Gail and Ron and I talk about the Pony Express. We're sending the pony back and forth with. Um, yeah, that's really cute. <laughs> and it's really, you know, and I never, I never mentioned to you, and I've been meaning to do that. You use different color CDs. Um, you use colored CDs. I, I use just you know, either plain white or... Oh, yeah, yeah. Metal. Ron does. He, he uses all different kinds. The, the different colors. They are making it fair. So <laughs> it doesn't matter to him. Well, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but it matters to me, and I really appreciate it because I, when, when you send me the colors, now I realize that just automatically when I look for Damon Runyon, I'm looking for the green CDs. I don't have to go through a stack. And it's just wonderful for me to work with, and I, I appreciate it so much that you're doing that. Uh-huh. Oh, well, I don't, it's Ron. <laughs> well, then, um, oh, I have to tell him thank you? Okay. All right, I'll tell him I, thank you. Ron. It is so Okay. It is uh, so go ahead. Well, we, well, we, I, I had to listen to you on delay, so I, I don't know what you said. Well, if you listen, you, you'll know. But it was, it's so nice that I could talk with Gail. This is fun. What I told her was that I appreciate so much that the CDs you are sending are different colors. <laughs> it, <laughs> oh, well. For me. Never, never thought of that. Well, it is for me. <laughs> I mean, I am. Oh. oh. But, Hello, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's, it right. really is making a difference for me because, for example, you put Dr. Christian on purple and you put um, Gregory Hood on green and you put, uh, you know, I'm there, and they're, they're different colors. So when I go to look for a show, I'm not digging through 48 million CDs. I know, well, you know um, from you. What I do at home, I, I try to put all... Your CDs in a folder, you know. Uh, this is Patricia folder, and you got all kinds of good stuff. Then I know, I remember who sent me what. And, oh, Patricia sent me this and whatever. Aren't you good? Yeah. Well, I have a little surprise in your envelope for you. That's nice. Hey, listen, yeah, you know, I, I've been, I really have enjoyed uh, the Monitor series because um, 
you know, they're very refreshing and they're, and, and it's good variety of stuff and and some of it is serious, some of it is fun, you know, all kinds uh-huh. of stuff. So and, it really and some are and musical and it's really interesting. Yeah. I didn't realize how good monitor shows are were. I didn't even know Monitor existed except for Walden and the one night we had who who was on the show Walden who wrote the book about Monitor? Uh, Joe, Joe's name is Dennis Hart. Dennis Hart. Yeah. And Teddy Thurman was also a guest. Teddy is the person who did the weather reports on these shows. Uh-huh. And the shows are so good. I never even knew they existed. Of course, yeah. I never knew anything existed until a couple of years ago, but Let's see, when was, uh, Walton, what year was Monitor on, what, uh, was it 60s, the early 60s? you remember? Walden? Say again, I'm, I'm, I'm back, I was just, I had a question. I wanted to know what years Monitor was uh, broadcast. 55 to 75. 55 to 75. 20 years? Yes. Wow. Uh, uh, just on the weekends for the entire 20 years? Just on the weekends from Friday to Sunday, sometimes 40 right. hours a weekend. And they eventually cut it down to, I think, 24 to 16. Well, the only monitor shows that I have are the ones that came from the monitor website. That I Dennis, downloaded them and, right. and organized them and put them in the file. That's why Dennis Hart is very frustrated. He's home for 20, and he's only got about 60 to 70 hours. Um, You know, this is... I think this is probably is it's probably amazing to me that if you think about it, we have a better collection of our old time radio shows of the nineteen forties than we do have anything from radio from the late fifties on to today. For goodness sakes, I think we probably have a better collection from the thirties. Correct. It's it's pitiful. It's pitiful what maybe radio wasn't that good over the last forty years. But I'm you know, uh, again, I don't know how many people like myself and Lori Gaffman buy the tape things. I mean, think of all, think of all the great interviews Billy Farber did over the years, or the yeah. great features that came out of New York that we hardly have any air checks running around out of New York radio. I know the Gaffmans are about the one that covered a lot of L.A. Um, well, it would be interesting to know what Larry and John think about it. My, my thinking... Uh, let me erase that. Larry and John, do you think my idea has any merit when we're ta- the period that we're talking with the late 50s and into the 60s mm-hmm. was when television was really getting hot. Correct. And that makes me wonder if people who were broadcasting on radio had a why bother attitude. I don't know, but if you think about talk radio started in L.A. in 1960, you know, I think by then very far with 59, you would think people in Gene Shepard, you would think people would have still been rolling tape. Yeah. But I've got a lot of Gene Shepard. Uh-huh. And you know who, who, you know who did, who, you know who responsible for most of that? No. Mike Candy. Mike Candy, <laughs> Mike Candy was a Gene Shepard nut who, who would record those, we broadcast in the 70s, so most of those came to Mike Candy. Hey, by the way, well, what month does uh, yesterday USA have their their um, their um, you know um, auction fundraiser? What is it? The no- auction is in November. No- November the I think oh, I think I think Kim Black even has set it up. I think it's November twenty seventh, okay. the last Sunday. You guys keep on talking. I'll be right back. Okay. okay. You'll be you'll be right back. All right. <laughs> I hope 
right back. Oh, that's right. Well, well, Patricia and I are not planning to go anywhere for the next five hours anyway. Four hours or whatever. Okay, the last Sunday in November is the 27th. Yeah, and I noticed Kim already had it up on the when we were promoting the reps, uh, convention on the reps portion of yesterday. He, when we were talking about the rep store, he even put up the date of November, November 27th. Uh-huh. So... Well, that's, that's when it's going to be November. That's when it's going to be, yeah. So, people, you if you have items, or if you want to make items, cassettes, CDs, MP3s, send them down to Kim Bragg at 2001 Plymouth Rock Drive, Richardson, Texas, 75081. This is what... The bread and butter to keep the station going is that big fundraiser. And they'll have a preview on the 20th normally. And they'll have the auction. It normally runs about 8 hours on Sunday, November the 27th. And it's a good way to do some Christmas shopping. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, before I go, um, what you, you asked a question about this band leader. Um, yes. Was the question already answered? Then? Nope, it hasn't been answered. And let's see here. Do I have? Was it Jackie Gleason? Oh, here, let me see if I have. Here's a little more of it. Who is this leader? Who is this leader of this orchestra? Okay, it wasn't Jackie. Okay, and who do you think it is? Was it Jackie Gleason? You got it, Ron. That was Jackie oh. Gleason. That's right, because you mentioned a television. Yep. Ball. Yep. That was Jackie Gleason made at least a dozen albums or so. Yeah. Well, anyway, I I I, I will uh, look for, check your Pony Express mail Monday, Patricia, and I think you'll be happy. And then I'll check my Pony Express mail about Wednesday or Thursday or whatever, and I think I'll be happy. I know, I know, I'll be happy. And next week. We're calling with my keyboard with chimes and harps and bells oh and whistles. And oh, my goodness. Well, before you go, you answered Walden's question, so that means I can send you something. And then, uh, what was it? Um, did the color come out of Elvis Presley's um, thing? It did, but if you didn't hear it, you're, you're eligible. I'll have a blue Christmas. You did good. Without you, or whatever. <laughs> You did good. What Unfortunately, when I sing, it's like a course in music depreciation, so excuse me, you know. Good stuff. Would you, like, would you like a set of whatever became of? Whatever became of? In fact, you know, 30 years from now, my grandkids will be listening to Yesterday USA. <laughs> They'll say, whatever became of Walden and Patricia. Yes, and would you like a copy of that? <laughs> and then they'll you know, have my voice and your <laughs> Sounds good. Would you like a, a set of that, or would you like something else? Oh, what is a set of whatever? You know what would be nice? Somebody said you were able to get some hit parade shows, right? You see, got you have so. some hit parades. Yes. Yeah. How some, many shows would they put get for you? I don't know. I think it was, I think I think they asked for something of the uh, Frank Sinatra during the war years, and I think. Patricia got a dozen of them. Well, if you can hold on one second, I've got it right in front of me. Well, I got a, que I got a question for Ron while Patricia's looking that up. When you're performing, Ron, yeah. you're getting paid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do, do you ever sing along? Do people ask you to sing to your piano playing? I don't, I don't sing. You I, don't sing? I, you're not the Nat King Cole of Hawaii? No, I'm not. Oh. I... 
fight. I, what I can do, though, I say I can play for you and you sing, and I can play the, probably any key that you do sing. <laughs> and sometimes it's hard to recognize what key they're trying to sing in. But, uh, hey, so did that always work, or you get somebody who can't really sing and it makes your job tough? Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. They start off in the key of G and end up in the key of F or whatever. <laughs> I, I only have nine shows and I'm on the lookout for more. Would you like them? How many you got over there? Nine. Oh, okay. That's, that's all I have. That's not bad. That's good. That's good? Yeah. But you know what? I think I'd rather go for the whatever we came of. I think I can do that. Yeah. And take your time. Because I'm going to send you some more. I'm looking out for some more de detective things and stuff. So we'll be trading some more stuff, I'm sure. Whatever because And it's fun to trade with each other because we keep that pony going back and forth. Mm -hmm. And we keep on trying to find deals at Costco for hay and barley and stuff, you know. <laughs> and he makes, loved his oats. There you go. Love oh, anyway, you two have a good Christmas and um, we'll... Talk to you later. Oh, By right. the way, one more stuff. Um, <laughs> your theme. What did we make um, for Christmas? Yeah. I had a second grade teacher, and she. She was second rate. Oh. Oh, second grade. Okay. Okay. Oh. <laughs> she was a second rate grade. Okay. Just wanted to make sure. I thought you meant grade, but I thought it came out right. She may be. She may be still alive, and she might be listening. I don't want. Her things are second rate, but anyway, <laughs> grade, and she was able to make this plaster of Paris. Uh -huh. We would we we put our hand into this plaster, and then uh, it will dry up, and our hand print would come out our fingers, our you know where our fingers are, and our our palm. Uh -huh. and that was our gift to our mothers. Oh, and how sweet! I know, and my mother for many years kept it, you know, um, and it showed the size of my hand when I was in a, when second grade. And you were just a teeny little kid. Yeah, it was really, really neat. Oh, that's fun. I know, and she, and I had another teacher, my third grade teacher, who let us use, make our hot mats out of, out of reed and raffia. Huh? That was neat, too. We could you, you, it was a hot mat. You could put, you know, your hot dishes sure. on top. Uh -huh. That was another Christmas gift that we gave to our parents. Yeah. So those were the most creative things that um, I remember making as a youngster and being taught by uh, school teachers. I and love it. I think our mothers appreciated that more than any bought gift, you know. I agree. I agree. I have a question for you. If I gave you reeds and raffia today, could you weave them? No. You couldn't? I don't think so. I'm not the... I, no, I don't think so. No, I, I wouldn't have expected that you could. I would have been very surprised if you had said yes. We'll have to feed it to the ponies. We made mats. We made baskets out of reeds and stuff. You did a lot. That's how to bend the spokes, you know. Huh? We made baskets, and it was interesting. Yeah, I had a very creative teacher who, who taught us 
how to do things like that. And to me, our parents appreciated that gift more than anything they could have gotten because it was handmade. Yeah, I agree. And a lot of work was put into it. A lot of work. Oh, we're looking forward to your stuff, and and you look forward to my stuff, and Walden will talk to you guys next Saturday with some musical stuff that I'll put together. Oh, that's but, great. Thank you for doing that. And we'll have some fun. Very cool. Aloha. Aloha, Ron. There he goes. 714-545-2071. I haven't gotten past ice cream. I know. Well, All right. And, and the show just started. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, they, they kind of give it uh, in a left-handed way because you have to buy an adult portion of ice cream before you get a freebie. But it's still a freebie. Mm -hmm. So that is the Carvel Shops, Carvel Ice Cream Shops. <sighs> Sunday is National Ice Cream Day. Oh, be still my little heart. And in honor of National Ice Cream Day, you will get some free ice cream. How about Carvel. that? How about that? Yeah, this oh, is good. Right. So I was saying, um, I was telling about some of the shows that I have, the newbies. Yep. What yeah. do you got? What do you got? What do you got? What have I got? What have I got? Oh, yeah. Here's what I've got. Well, I've got one-night stand interviews um, with with and about the uh, big band era guys. Mm -hmm. And there is a lot of big band music in these. They're about an hour long. So that, that's pretty good stuff. And I've got Benny Goodman and Grand Ole Opry. Now, this one, hold on to your jeans on this one, Walden. Ready. I sent a copy of this to Bill. Are you with me? I'm, I'm all ears. The Hillbilly Boys. Perfect. It is Hillbilly. I'm not a Hillbilly. I mean, it is, it is, um, what's the word I want? It's not mountain. It's not Appalachian. It's, it's, I could. Western? No, it's, it's like early. Yeah, I would say like, it's like early Western music. music. Uh -huh. It's pretty good stuff. Uh-huh. Okay, then I've got a show by the name of Suspicion. I think that's one, that one is broken up into a couple of pieces and it gives you lots of clues and you're supposed to figure out who did what. Okay. It's kind of on an Ellery Queen style, uh -huh. but it's not nearly as good. Mm. However, it is there. <laughs> so, and I did find the standby for crime and I listened to one or two of those shows. It is along the lines of Gregory Hood where a non-detective is helping to solve a crime. Right. And it's pretty good. It's yeah. not, not a bad show. I, no. I don't think it's up to um, Gregory Hood standards. No, but considering it's a local show, I think, yeah. it, I think it's pretty good. So I've, I've got that one to give away, and we've been talking about Monitor. Mm -hmm. Grantland Rice we talked about last week, and those are half-hour shows, half-hour sports shows, and they're very well done. I've got Chandu the Magician. I've got about 200 of those shows, and they were, what, 700? I mean, it was a huge number right. of Chandu the Magician. It was a serial that, were all of the shows half hour? Chandu, uh, it started out at 15, and then in the summer of 48, it went to a half hour. It went to a half an hour. Uh -huh. It had a huge run. Yeah. But, um, 
it, it's a nice collection of shows, and, and it was kind of a fun show. Chandu the Magician was taught his magical powers by a yogi in India, and they're on the search for his brother-in-law, Robert Regent, who was a ongoing type thing. And uh, it's pretty good, if you haven't heard it. Am I here? Yeah, there. Yeah, I'm getting all kinds of sounds. I know, you're getting all scratchy. I don't think it's me. Okay, we can take uh, a vote. It can't be me. <laughs> I don't do things like that. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Every time you move, it makes a sound. Well, I'm here. Am I moving? You must be. How? How do I know? Well, how do you know? Yeah. Jeez. Uh, isn't this interesting? Okay. Well, I've got the Golden Age of Radio interviews. Those are good. Mm -hmm. And nobody has asked for information, please, recently. Ah. And that is such a good show. So, and for Lucille, if Lucille is listening, I found a show called Strange Adventures. I did not listen to the show. I do not know if it's good. I do not even know if it's spooky. But the name sounds pretty promising, Strange Adventures. Do you know that show? Nope. No one on me. Hmm. How about that? Okay, and I've got, of course, Christmas music for 2011. I've got a whole bunch of... Uh, hey, for me? For you? For me, can you make the One Night Stand, One Hour Interview shows? I thought I did that one time, but I would be happy to okay. do this. Okay. One night stand you want. Yeah, the one the interview. I think it came uh, from the same side with Dick Burrow, that cork and mm -hmm. go Yeah. That's right. Right. Okay. I think you've got a set out there, but I'm well, when I was going, happy. Yeah, when I was going through, I, I, I think I have the band remotes one night stand, but not the, the interview ones. Okay. Okay. Oh, sure. I, um, that's fine by me. Sounds good um, to me. Just don't be upset if you... How am I never going to be upset with you? You never get upset. Uh -uh. You know, but I mean, if you if you look at something and say, wait, I just listened to that. No. no I, I would be happy to do that. Good, good. Okay, let's see here. I've got other stuff. Oh, I already told you about um, Dan sending the Lemon Abner information. Yeah. It is a 14-minute, it's actually a show that uh -huh. takes place in... Kentucky, he said Louisville, mm -hmm. and the mayor and the governor, the Louisville mayor and the governor of Kentucky wind up with honorary degrees from the Pine Ridge University presented by Lum, and poor Abner is sitting off in the corner saying, is it my turn yet? Is it my turn yet? It really is very well done. It's very funny. I will send it out to you, and I'm going to send it to... Uh, Johnny Pitchford and see whether or not it's something new to him or if he can give us some information about it. It's really cool. So what have you got in your lineup? And then I'll go back to my other stuff, like we've got a Stump Walden question type stuff. Well, we, we got we got some radio shows. Uh-huh. Uh, we have a Fermi and Molly show. We have a Amos and Andy show. Uh, we, we got Christmas music here. We got any old stuff that we want to do. And stuff like that there. Uh -huh. You know what I think is making gurgles on the phone? Um, on my on my lap. And when I put it away, it sounds better. Well, that probably is true. Um, I would rather blame it on you. That's okay. <laughs> is this it? Are you still getting odd sounds? 
it sounds good. It sounds much better now. Yeah, it's the computer. I have the computer on my lap, which is what a laptop is supposed to do, right? Right. Duh. Duh. Okay, well, I've got a hoot list. You know what a hoot list is? It's something that gives Patricia a laugh. <laughs> that's very good. <laughs> that's fun. Oh. No, that's not what it is, but oh. I like yours better. Oh, good. I went through our list of family and came up with a group we have not heard from in a long time. Oh, a man. A hoot list. So I'm sending out a hoot. Are we ready for let's, our hoot? Let's go for it. We've got John in Florida. Yeah. Maurice in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Ken in Bakersfield, California. Yeah, yes. Bob in Wisconsin. Yes. Jerry in Washington. Yeah. Cliff in Ohio. Yes. Uh, where did I leave off here? Okay, Candy. We heard from Candy in Utah. Right, I remember one, her. One night she was listening, and yeah. it was one night, and she got a World War II um, collection of, in, of goodies for her dad. Right. And there was something in there for her, but we have not heard from her um, since that one call, so okay. I don't even know if she's listening. We've got Ray number two in Illinois. We have two Rays in Illinois. Ray. Yeah. And uh, Ray from Chicago called us a couple of weeks ago, but he's back and forth between um, Wisconsin. Wisconsin? Uh-huh. Wisconsin. He's got a, a summer place in Wisconsin and the business in Chicago. And when he's in Chicago, he can hear us. When he's in Wisconsin, he can. So we're, we're getting caught on the backside here uh, if, uh, if he's able to call in. Richard in Richardson. We haven't heard from him for a while. That's true. And of course, Lucille in New York. Right. Bill in North Carolina. Yeah. Russell in Dallas. Oh, yeah. Casey in New York. We yeah. have not heard from Casey for a very long time. That's I'm true. really concerned about him. Yeah. Um, it's been a while since we heard from Charlie in Seattle. True. Jerry in Maryland. Yes. Leonard Ellenberg. Yes. I got an email from Leonard this week. Good. And he's, he's feeling better. Good. Then he was, so I was really, that was really promising. But he is such a super guy. No doubt. Um, Rich in New Jersey. Yes. We haven't heard from him for a while. He was having computer problems. <laughs> Charles in New Jersey. We have not heard from Charles for quite a few weeks. and I Dave, saw him on Facebook, though, so I know he's... He's, he's, he's okay. He's All okay. right. And David in Alabama, I still have to send an email to him. He was so good to send World War II income tax or the, the, yes. the, the history of income tax to me. And I'm working my way through it, but that's no reason not to have sent an email. So so that's my hoot list. Do we, did I miss anybody on our hoot list? I don't think so. I think you got a good, a good cross-section of the family there. We just have a, a big group of people mm -hmm. we haven't heard from, mm -hmm. and it would be nice if you just gave us a call or sent one of us an email to let us know you're okay. And if you're a new listener, by the way, or and you can become a new caller, or an old listener that can become a new caller, please do, because you get a bonus if you do. Because we love to hear from people around here. Uh, you know, 714-545-207. You can just call, say hi. You get radio shows. Get radio I get show. a dot on my map. We yeah. haven't talked about my map for a long That's time. That's true. Patricia has a a 
a um, map of the United States handy. And she went ahead and put little itty bitty little, little, little dots around the United States just to keep track where everybody's at. Each time we get a call from someone who has not called before, I get to put a dot on my map uh, only to the place where... <laughs> If you're calling me from Minnesota, I will not put a dot in Illinois, I promise. It will go to Minnesota. Are you ready for some fun information? Sure. Would you like to know that on July 16th when we started this show... Well, it's still July 16th in California. That's right, it is. Yeah. Okay, you still got 40 minutes to go here. I sure do. 1969. What happened on July 16th, 1969? A man landed on the moon. Well, it blasted off. Blasted oh, off. Oh, it's yeah. the 20th. It's the 20th, yeah. Apollo okay. 11. You're good. I, I know. Here, you, know here. I, you know why? Why? I can take after you. <laughs> You're so sweet. You yeah. make me feel so good. Oh, I'm glad. Oh, you help me stay adorable. I know. Because you're so lovable. Oh, gosh. All right. Martha Stewart. Yes. Something happened to Martha Stewart in 2004, on she, July 16, 2004. She was put in a slammer. She was put in the slammer for five months. That was, that was seven years ago. Now, here's, wow. here's what made me go, what? On August 3rd. But it might as well be, and she, it works. She, she's flat, huh? She's, yeah, she has very little uh, variation in, in the pitch of her voice. And she makes it work. It's just a very unusual situation with her. I don't know of another person who has a voice of such a quality that could be a broadcast voice without having... Inflection, that's the word I was looking for. Inflection. She has very little inflection. It stays in the middle, but she makes it work. That lady's going to be 70 years old in a couple of weeks. Yikes. Okay, today's birthday. Today's birthday. Yes. July 16th birthday. Yes. Michael Flatley, who started Riverdance, the the group of Irish dancers. Right. Clog, clog right. dancers. Yep. Lordy, I love Michael Flatley. Mm -hmm. He clearly has retired from dancing. I mean, the, the stress probably wrecked his bones by the time he was 40. But that guy could dance. Oh, my goodness, could he dance. He would come flying out of the wings, and it was like if somebody had shot him from a gun. It was, it was just so cool. And it's still, if you can find a river dance or Lord of the Dance. Lord of the Dance, Lord of the Fire. Yeah, I think my mom saw the show twice live. Uh, and, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you just hold on to your heart mm -hmm. when you see Michael flying out of the wings. So, anyway, Michael, happy birthday. You really are a fabulous dancer, and I appreciate you a whole bunch and a bunch of other people, too. It was Ginger Rogers' birthday. Ah. And Barbara Stanwyck. Yes. Two, two. Great actresses. Yes. Ginger Rogers was born in 1911. When was she dancing with Fred Astaire? In the, in the mid-30s, in 1935, 36. She was still very young. Yes. 
she was in her 20s. Yep. And she died in 1995, so that would have made her 84 years old. Right. She was also a DAR. Oh, really? Uh-huh. The daughter of the American Revolution? Revolution. Yeah. Did she have a family name that you remember from the Mayflower? don't know about that, but... Uh... My understanding is she was a member of the DAR, Daughters of the American Revolution, but yeah. nothing from the Mayfire, I don't think. And her mom was a very strong figure in Hollywood. Um, but, you know, Ginger Rogers, I think, was an Academy Award-winning actress, also in the 30s, for her acting ability, besides her great dancing skills, she and Fred Astaire uh-huh. made a great couple. Yep, she was good. Yeah. She was very good. Very good. But I'm... Barbara Stanwyck was an interesting person. She was she was a she was a in the thirties, forties, and fifties. She was not a studio actress. In other words, she did not have uh, a contract with a studio. So huh? she was a freelance, and she was nominated just how many times, Patricia, for an Oscar? Oh my goodness! How many did she earn first? She earned none, but she was nominated five times. And she didn't take she one. Didn't, but probably because she was not tied to a studio. But the, really? Yeah. Because, that would have made a difference? Uh-huh. How, I mean, that's political stuff. Yeah, yeah. But still, she, she was so respected that here she was not tied down to uh, getting the uh, studio backing. She was nominated five separate times. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really sad. Because she was a, a remarkable actress. And she Very much so. extremely well. Very much so. She was really good. I'm just kind of reorganizing myself here a little bit and see if I can get rid of some of this crackle on the phone. Am, am I still crackling? Snack, crackle, and pop? Yeah, well, we'll it's, be right, it's good. It's good. It's, 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 it's improving with age. I, I, I have character. You I do. I circle with character. Okay. Special days in July. Oh, this oh, is oh. good. Hmm? Do you have any more birthdays? No, I didn't mark down any more birthdays. My dad birthdays? And my dad's birthday, too. <gasps> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The 16th. Yep, the 16th. Had a party. Had a big party. Talk about the party. Party was, we had uh, 37 for guests. So we had hamburgers and hot dogs on a grill and coleslaw and baked beans and red, uh... Red potato uh, salad and three different cakes from oh. lemon to chocolate to carrot. Oh, carrot cake? Carrot cake. I'll be right there. Yeah, you should have been. <gasps> People brought coconut pineapple ice cream, which is my dad's favorite. And we had live entertainment. We brought a gentleman in who my mom saw two weeks ago. Terrific singer. Guess a, he brought a karaoke machine. And sing nothing but the great songs of the 40s and 50s. And oh, how neat. Even up to, uh, you know, uh, no, um, uh, Diamond, you know, uh, yes, you know, Carol, Sweet Caroline, Neil Diamond. So he, okay. he, he had, he had it down pat. Had a good old little southern accent, so he could really do an Elvis Presley voice too, but he was just, just terrific. And that was, that was, that was the day. Oh, that sounds like great fun. It Did was he have fun. a good time? Hmm? Did he have a good time? Terrific time. Oh, yeah. how super. That's right. So anyway, that's 
my sweet dad birthday today, so not bad. He is a special person. We're going to have to put a patent on him as well. Uh huh. We're maybe, going to patent your man. But don't, you know, do you think? You know, maybe maybe that's what we need to do. You can just interview the parents sometime. I asked about that a long time ago. You're welcome to do it. We'd have to send you to your room for. Oh, you're in your room. I'm Wait in my minute. room, but I can guess what you have. I can guess what you have the microphones, and you can get talk to mom and dad. Good people. Or, or alternate whatever you want to do. Uh huh. They're good people. Yeah. We're gonna have to do that one yeah. night. Yeah. Okay. We we've got a whole bunch of good stuff. We've got before and see, and I'm I'm hopping down here because I got other stuff. We've got a Stump Walden question, we've uh, got Walden's history question, uh, we've got a baseball question, and we've got Walden's brain teaser, and I've got extra information about rationing during the war, and useless but fun stuff. What would you like to do? And I have special days in July. What would you like to do? But you have great stuff, but still not as useful? No, I, no, I didn't have any useful stuff this time. <laughs> no useful was, stuff. Useless but fun. Nothing no, useful this time. No, nothing useful. Not unless you're entertaining at a party and you need a conversation piece, then I guess it's useful. Yeah, true. Yeah, so what would you like? Special days in July or your questions? Spe would... Special days in July. Special days in July. Mm -hmm. Okay, we have got, of course, National Ice Cream Day is Sunday. And um, just as an aside, I did a little bit of research here. Do you know who sanctioned National Ice Cream Day? Uh, it was my best friend in the whole wide world, Patricia. <laughs> you really do have to go through Congress in order to get additional... Well, you, are you sure you didn't do that? I tried. But okay, well. <laughs> but Ronald Reagan beat me to it. All right, Ronald! ...instituted National Ice Cream Day in 1984. Now, what you, know, you know, ironically, this week, uh -huh. I was listening to a commercial put together by the Transportation Association, uh -huh. and they were using Ronald Reagan as their spokesperson trying to get, get you know, they were, you know, doing flashbacks to his old speeches about transportation. Wow. He and, he, they were switching he and Bill Clinton together. I thought that was an interesting way... To try to endorse, you know, people yeah. to support transportation by taking two t present speeches and going back and forth to try to endorse it as a, as a, as a, as a current modern-day ad. Wonderful. Now I have a question. You, you prompted a question. Yeah. I saw a real fast clip yesterday on television. This is newsworthy. They were shutting down Route 405 yep. in Los Angeles. Yes. And apparently it is a major artery. Yes, it, it's so gigantic. Why are they shutting it down? They shut it down because they um they want to blow up a bridge and take they take a whole bridge down to widen the to widen the streets. So and so how long is it going to be closed? Till Monday morning at five. Okay, so this is not months. And. What and happened to traffic when people realized that they could no longer get to work or nothing, home from work on 405? Nothing happening. In other words, everybody has, everybody has adjusted to it. It's running... It happened on the roadways, though. I mean, these, these roads are already... It, it, it's like you're plastering the walls with cars. It's just people just have been so beautiful about not making adjustments in their schedules and things. There's been no problems this weekend. 
Wow. Oh, that is so nice to hear. It really is. And uh, guess what? You know, if they didn't make the, the Monday deadline at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock or whatever, uh -huh. the construction company, guess how much they were going to be fined per hour? Oh, per hour. It's it's a biggie. How yeah. much? $72,000 an hour. I, I would have thought probably more than that. I'm just surprised they even agreed to put that in their contract. 70, 72000 or whatever it is. You know, yeah. So, but anyway, but no, that's, that's, the re that's the reason why they're doing that out here. It's ten miles that they shut down completely. Well, they were they were expecting uh, they they prepared apparently they prepared the people very well for it. They did. This this is on national news. They, they were did. making announcements that they were shutting down four oh five, and I didn't it, even know what a four oh five was. Four oh five, and it's also the same weekend we're having here in my backyard. We bought our county fair mm. for a whole month, and that draws a million people. Yeah, and. So how close are you to 405? Uh, I can go right on to 405, because the 405 covers through Orange County, all the way up into L.A., up in Orange County. So, well, but, we're not, but where the affected area is from us, it, it's over an hour away. Over an hour away, okay, because yeah. they, they it seemed like they were concentrating on the L.A. area. Correct. Is that, is correct. that correct? That's what they're doing. They're mostly close to the valley. Okay. But L.A. to the valley. We're, you know, not too far where you were, um... At the Sportsman's Lodge, per uh -huh. se. Okay. But, uh, you know, it, it only, it only gets a, a bad rap for traffic and things, but really, if, it, considering the amount of traffic we get, you know, some of our intersections in L.A., you know how many cars they get a day? Oh, it's squillions. Over a million cars a day. Yeah. And considering how much traffic it is, I think we do remarkably well. Considering, I think you do remarkably well. Yeah. It, what impressed me was the signage. The mm -hmm. roads are and the highways and the interstates are very clearly marked. They are. When we first went to New Jersey as a family back in 90, we were totally lost. I, well, I, I, I can understand that. Yeah. Systems are, are so diverse there. We looked at the signage and we were just confused in New Jersey. Compared yeah. to, to, you know, folks driving in L.A. for all these years. So. Yeah. Well, in the, in the L.A. area, what struck me was that your safest place was in the middle uh -huh. because you've got right ramps and you've got left ramps. Mm -hmm. I mean, almost universally, highways have exit ramps on the right side. You do uh, on the right side of the road. You do not have exit ramps from the high speed lane, and in California, you do. You've got exits on both sides. So that was that was a little unnerving, um, because there there were, uh, were points where it, you got you got on uh, you you took an on ramp and you are in the right hand lane and your next turn is from the left hand lane so right. you had to cut across three or four lanes of traffic in order to get to your turn off which was coming up very quickly. For, <laughs> yeah, so. for people for people who first move in here, it, it's a, there's definitely an adjustment period. Like my mom. And this is 65 when she moved out here. I think it took a year before she got to, get to drive the freeways. Yeah. You know, it takes a while for people who are not adjusted uh -huh. to how everything's laid out. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's pretty much any area mm -hmm. that has roads, because, you know, larger than a farm road. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so we took care of National Ice Cream Day, and we thanked Ronald Reagan for this. All right.
bless his heart, what I need to do now that I realize Ronald Reagan made a National Ice Cream Day is to go see if he made a National Jelly Bean Day. Oh, I bet he had it. Who else would not have done that? He, he must have done it. He must have. Ice cream. He must have done it for jelly beans. Okay, July 18th, which is Monday, right? Mm-hmm. Right. National Caviar Day. Well, I've never had caviar, so... Well, you probably would not get it past your little finger <laughs> cracker. <laughs> you of all people. Uh -huh. You see the word. Um, fish is a four-letter word for <laughs> <laughs> Yes, spelled F-I-S-H. Correct. Right, it is a four-letter right. word. Four word yeah. is supposed to be a very bad word. Uh -huh. um, I like caviar. Caviar beans. Well, you know, I mean, you are part of the champagne caviar set. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you can keep the champagne. I'll just take your portion of the caviar. <laughs> That's all the same to you. Just give me a bowl of caviar and a spoon. I'm happy. You're good. You're good. Good. All right. Stuff. Okay. July 19th. You like anchovies? Yeah. Oh, I love anchovies. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. Oh, my goodness, yes. Okay. And I don't think you could like caviar and not like anchovies. Okay. No, no. Well, you know, salty, fishy. Uh-huh. Salty, fishy stuff. Okay. Anyway, yes, I like both of them. Okay. I like anchovies a lot. Okay. We'll eat them right out of the can. Mm -mm. July 19th is National Raspberry Cake Day. Nice. I have never had a raspberry cake, never mind a national raspberry cake. Did you ever have a raspberry cake? No, nope, but I had... Then like a raspberry fill and a donut. That, oh yeah, that's good. That's good stuff. Raspberry filling mm -hmm. is very good. But I, I, raspberry cake, I've never had a raspberry cake. You know, you can make a strawberry mm -hmm. cake, put strawberry flavoring mm -hmm. in, you know, the cake batter. Right. But I never heard about raspberries. All right, now July 20th. What day is July 20th? That would be my... That's when the man walked on the moon, yeah. All right, the moon 20th day. would be Wednesday, right? Yeah. This is so cool. It is Ugly Truck Day. Oh. Is this good? That's good stuff. It, 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 parenthetically, the place that lists some of these things, there was parenthetical edition. It said, it's a guy thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a guy thing. Ugly Truck Day. And then on the 21st, that's Thursday, that's a Thursday. Thursday is the 21st. It is National Junk Food Day. Perfect. Ice cream now, and junk food in the same week. Now, this is this is an honorable... Now, what classifies junk food? Well, probably most of our diet. <laughs> 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 uh, I think potato chips probably qualify, mm -hmm. although I think... Potato chips ought to be kept. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to make a list of junk food. Mm -hmm. um, Nash, how would you define junk food? I don't know. I mean, what is the top ten junk food on the list? Lots of calories and little nutrition. Probably lots of calories, lots of fats. And lots of nutrition. And lots of sugar. As long as it had little nutrition. I don't know. I think fats probably have it. Probably. My, my thinking would be... What really classify junk food has got to be the nutritional value. Yeah, that's what I said. High-calorie, high low-nutrition. But let's say if you had a low-calorie, low-nutrition, that would still be considered junk food? No. No? No. Okay. Celery is low-nutrition, low-calorie, but it's not a junk food. But I'm not getting... Celery is no calorie. But I'm getting no nutrition. Celery, did you know? 
celery has a negative calorie count. So, I knew that, and I, and I knew there are some other foods that are like that, like uh -huh. two or three others or something. It takes more energy to consume it than you get from it. It has no calories. It has zero calories, and you have to use calories to consume it, and therefore it is a negative calorie food. Then you got meat, though. It still has a, a nice flavor about it, so how couldn't it be no calories in the flavor? Well, I drink Crystal Light, and yeah. it's got no calories, but it's got flavor. Yeah, okay. Of course, that's artificial. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'll have to think about that. I mean, I, I don't know. Just, well, we'll talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this reputable site that I go to that lists all of these crazy things has a paragraph that goes with National Junk Food Day. Perfect. It says... Creating an official national day requires an act of Congress. We found no record of this. While Congress may be accused of going on occasional junkets, we don't believe they would support junk food. <laughs> so that was that was what. I don't know. I, I bet if there's enough money in in the deal, I bet Congress might be able to pass it. National Junk Food Day. Uh huh. I don't know. I think so. All right. Do you know any congressmen? Um, As in, sit down and have a cup of coffee. I I I've I've talked to him in classroom. I don't know anybody. No, personally. no, nobody. Ashley, though, my congressman. Uh -huh. and I think this is a nice service. Mike Ashley called me on the phone. I've had telephone conversation. What he does, it's a great service. They have town hall meetings on the phone, and they call citizens in his district to be part of it. How neat. Yeah, so in other words, you hook you hook up at night, he's just taking, you know, taking calls, like having your own private talk show, but hold on the phone. So you can sit there and listen, or you can press a button and ask him a question. Very nice. It's a nice service. Well, the next time, would you push a button and ask the question about National Junk Food Day? Uh, we can sure give it a try. I think you might be disconnected. Well, uh, he didn't disconnect me the question I asked him. What was it? I asked, what was a typical day like? Oh, that's a good question. Mm -hmm. Did he yep. tell you? Yes. He spent most of it back. He spent most of it back here in my in our district. Then he would fly back on the week. You know, fly, you know, fly Monday through Thursday, then fly fly back home. Mm-hmm. And you know, just basically conference meetings and things and reading, and trying to get. Just trying to keep ahead of the head of the game, pretty yeah. much. Rough life. That's I mean, it, it really is a a grueling schedule that these people keep. Yep. Yep. You don't have to disagree or agree with them politically. No. It, it is just a statement of fact. It is a grueling schedule. That's true. Okay, so here's here's the expression for the week. In the catbird seat. Love it. You've heard that? Yeah, Red Barber is best known to be in coin, coin, coin that phrase. Really? Yes. In that's the catbirds. Yeah, that's it, it's the phrase he coined. He coined when he used to do the announcing for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Yeah. And that was that was his, that was one of his expressions that he was known for. He might have been known for. I'll, I'll bet you a nickel he didn't coin it. Probably not. But it's what more people who hear that expression. They associated with him. him. Yeah. It's, it's like, holy cow. Uh-huh. Holy cow. That was, don't tell me, don't tell me. 
Holy cow! One was one was Pee Wee Reese and one was Phil Rizzuto. Phil Phil Rizzuto. Well, not those two guys, no. 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 Who was the holy cow guy? Well, I know uh, Harry Carey. That's it. Yeah, he he did that. Holy cow! We're talking s words here. We're doing good. I have a reputation to maintain. Well, you've right. been keeping us undercover. We can take sport talk for Patricia anytime. If you have a sport question, if you want like to know how the Yankees are doing or the Mets, give us a call, and I bet Patricia can put her two cents in. Oh, she has two cents, but she won't have the right answer. <laughs> if you're asking how a particular team is going, you might be able to ask me, where does this team live? I might come up with a half a dozen. But in the catbird seat. Mockingbirds are sometimes referred to as catbirds, huh. and they are typically at the top of a tree when they sit and sing, Right. and that's where the catbird seat is Perfect. at the top. That's where it came from, from the mockingbird. Perfect. Are you listening, Dennis? I looked this up just for you. How about that? Yeah. You want to do a show? I'm ready. Let's do a show, and then we can come back, and we'll stump Walden with a whole bunch. Of All right. What show do you want to play? I was just going to ask you, would you like to do um, the Amos and Andy or the Fibber let's, McGee? Let's do the Fibber. That way it gives me time to go have dinner. Oh, you haven't had dinner yet. Well, last time I had something until I was 3 o'clock, so I'm ready. I'm ready for oh, a nice meal. Oh, you poor guy. Uh -huh. Okay, let's see what we've got here. You've got the spirit of Christmas. Okay. This is a Fibber McGee and Molly show. Now, the Spirit of Giving was broadcast on December 25th, 1951, so this truly is a Christmas show. Um, and it, it was filled with, and it, it was broadcast in the evening. What time did Fibber McGee and Molly come on in the evening? Uh, it was 6 o'clock, 6.30 West Coast, 9.30 Eastern. 9.30 Eastern. Isn't that interesting? The really popular show said the 9.30 slot. How about that? Okay, so from 9 o'clock on, they, were, they had people dropping in to leave gifts for the McGee's. And poor Fibber was having a hard time really discovering what the spirit of Christmas is all about. He is measuring the spirit by the dollar sign. Teeny is the one who helps him find the real spirit of Christmas, and it, it really is an adorable show. It's one of the relatively few shows in which Molly and Teeny have a conversation with each other. Now, for folks who are new to Fibber McGee and Molly, Marion Jordan played both characters. She was the voice of Teeny as well as the uh, played the role of Molly McGee. So having a conversation with herself ordinarily, I think, would probably be a challenge for a lot of actors and actresses. But she pulled the switcheroony very easily. It was, you know, she went from Molly to Teeny to Molly and, and did it flawlessly. So it is little wonder that an awful lot of people for an awful long time didn't know that Marion did the voice of Teeny. So for Christmas in July, we are going to be listening to the Spirit of Giving from December 25th, 1951. The Pet Milk Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The first evaporated milk, Pet Milk, presents Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, Vic Legrand, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The show is written by Phil Leslie and Keith Fowler. Directed by Max Hutto, with music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra. 
You don't have to stand under a sprig of mistletoe to get kissed if you're one of the good cooks who cook with pet evaporated milk. No, ma'am, expressions of love and appreciation are bound to come your way when you fix favorite holiday foods with pet milk. There's a wonderful difference in gravy, stuffing, creamed vegetables, salad dressing, cookies, candies, cream pies, eggnog, in everything you make with pet evaporated milk. Because there's a difference in the milk itself. Pet milk isn't just ordinary milk. It's good, sweet country milk concentrated to double richness by evaporation. And that double richness just naturally means extra goodness in many favorite family foods. And that's why pet milk, the first evaporated milk, is the first choice of good cooks the country over. This may not come as any great surprise to you, but today is Christmas Day in Wistful Vista. And here at number 79, an eminent local philosopher is explaining the true spirit of Christmas giving to his wife as we join Silver McGee and Molly. Have you ever had a New Year's Eve become one of the worst evenings of your life? Well, that's what almost happens to young wife Sally Carter until she makes an impulsive telephone call. And with it, an important New Year's resolution in the story of the week on Pet Milk's Mary Lee Taylor program next Saturday morning. The second big feature is the Pet Milk recipe of the week. Next Saturday, it's for hot tuna sandwiches, a quick and easy main dish that's been voted extra good by husband. For the best in entertainment and information, turn your dial to NBC next Saturday morning for Pet Milk's Mary Lee Taylor. Proceeding transcribed. Next, it's Big Town, then Playhouse on Broadway on NBC.
something very romantic about organ music and the radio. It works terrifically well. Hello there, Patricia. It makes my ears smile. It does. Yeah. It's, uh, it's got a nice sound. <clears throat> yep. Yep, I, uh... It's something about music. It's definitely the, uh... Global language. It doesn't... You don't have to be the, uh... You probably don't have to have the same word, know the same language. Mm -hmm. Um... A terrific instrumental can cross all boundaries in a lot of ways. Agreed. Yep. It's like a hug and a smile. Yes. And music. Yes. Good combination. Very universal. Good combination. You, you know what you get when you got a hug and a smile and good music. You know, it's impossible to give a hug without getting one back. That's true. So, next to impossible. That's true. And it's hard to not get a smile back if you smile at somebody. It makes people, they feel good when they get a smile. Uh-huh. Everything's all right in the world, at least for that moment. You know what else makes a person smile? What's that? When she can find a Christmas CD that she's been looking for for two years. No! Yes. Where was it? About a year and a half. It's a Celtic Christmas CD. I, I think I've heard you refer to it. Where was it? it well, I found it on Amazon. Uh, it's pre-loved. Oh, I thought it was already snuck away somewhere in, in the uh, uh, the labo of Patricia, and she just couldn't find it. Oh, no. I have it. I, I have the CD. Ah. And it's one of my favorites. You can go searching for a Celtic Christmas mm -hmm. CD, and you will have easily 200 to choose from. And this particular one is honest-to-goodness Celtic medieval-type music sounds for Christmas. It really is a beautiful CD. But I didn't realize it was out of production. I don't know why people do that. You know, you take a really good piece of work and people love it, and then you take it out of production. Well, I think in the old days, you used to have a thing called production costs. And they only printed so many. Now, I don't think that's really an issue anymore, per se. Hello there, audience, or listener, caller. Anybody? <laughs> hello, everybody there. How are you? Are you saying hello to me? I'm hoping so. Okay, good. Uh, Walden, I have a question to ask you. You know, last night on your program, you played an interesting... Um, um, so, is it a takeoff of one man's family? Yes, uh-huh. Um, yeah. But, but it was formatted a little differently, right? Right. It was, what it is, Carlton Emo's, uh, loved one man's family so much that he repassed it several different times in several different ways. And that was his attempt. Um, I think that particular show we heard, only was heard in the summer in 1945. And we have, like, two episodes of that. And so what he did, he took the earliest scripts from One Man Family in the early 30s and, you know, switched names and went ahead and put it out in summer of 45. Um, it kind of, it, it was kind of rough. I mean, uh -huh. um, it, it was interesting, and yet, um, um, what was it, the boy? You, the yeah, father was going to... The father was the stern businessman. It's not like Father Barbo here. Yes, yes. He was, he was very attached and very... There was not a lot of warmth about... And that, if you notice, I was played by King Christie, Keith Gates. 
Um, I think the 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 uh, the fire with Paul. He was a little more. He didn't have the warmth in the voice. Uh, the male kids seemed to be a little more. The family, the family seemed more disattached. It didn't have the, yeah, right. the, um, the warmth and love of, of the family unit. So, you, do you know if that show remained on the air for a while? or Just for one summer, like six weeks. Oh. It was just strictly a attempt. But, you know, Carlton repassed it again and called it, remember, you might remember the series Woman in My House. Right. That was on for nine years in the fifties, a daily fifteen minute show, and that was pretty much the one main family just named it the Carter family and had a lot of the same elements. So Carlton had a tendency to repackage his ideas and try to resell them. I think one man Sunday was the the one that of course lasted, you know. Yeah, that was his heart. You know, that's where um he was busy writing he was basically writing cops and robbers and detective shows out in San Francisco through the late 20s and early 30s, and he needed a break. Oh. And he, uh, I forget what the name of the series. He read a, in college, he read a whole series of books, and he sort of based his idea of that book on the one-man family. And everybody at NBC in San Francisco told him, Carlton, you are written out. There is no way anybody will want to hear uh, a family story after they got get got home from work and having trouble with their own family. And he uh, went to the very high of NBC in San Francisco, the vice president, and he said he put his son uh, to play the young son Jack, uh, Paige Gilman, and it was Donald Gilman who said, if you can let this go for six weeks and wrap it, I'll let you have a chance. And that six weeks ran one up for almost one day short of 28 years. So, you know. Did, did you follow Adventures by Morris? Uh-huh. It was, um, it was Carlton's reshaping of trying to resell I Love a Mystery. Yeah. Um, he, which of the, which of the, um, Adventures by Mars, did you think was a better, the best of all that you remember? Um, Snake with the Diamond Eye? No. I like the one, I think it's the, uh, I think it's with the, the Unburied Dead, the one that they, they, one they, you know, the end fighting everybody and the climbing up through the cave. Um, you didn't like City of the Dead? Yeah, City of the Dead. That's what I remember. That's the best, the best of all. I think it is. Yeah. And basically, Carlson couldn't use I Love a Mystery because he licensed it out for movies. So he just reshaped the characters and just repackaged it as a syndicated series. I, I, I thought yeah, I Love a Mystery was the best. And if you listen to the last chapter, though, the, the first, I think there are 10 chapters. Mm-hmm. I, the, for first, the first nine was very good. And the last one was, the chapter 10 was okay, I mean, the conclusion was okay, but it was the weakest of all the... <laughs> well, Carlton never scripted out his storyline. He just woke up every day and had no idea, and he just started writing. He wrote for five hours, from four in the morning to nine, and he would wake up from his sleep, and there would be the pages done, 
and for many weeks, he had no clue how his story was going to go. And then he figured he had to pull it there at the end. And that's generally sometimes you have that feeling about his stories. Now, um, okay, that's enough for that. I, I just, I, it was quite interesting last night that the spin-off of One Man's Family or yeah. whatever it was, um, it was so different from One Man's Family, you know, the writing. Right. Yeah. Now, Patricia. Yes. You have, um, Let George Do It. Oh, yes, it's a great show. Yes, I've got a whole bunch of them. Okay. Well, me too. I just. Oh, I thought you were asking me if I, if you if uh, for you to have some. No, no, no. I just, already got it. Uh, yes, I do have. Let George do it. Okay, I just wanted to kind of. And also, before I, I go for for sure this this time, um, could you email me that love and Abner thing too while you're emailing it to Walden and the rest of the people that you would be happy email. to. Yeah, just just send me an email also. Okay, we'll let you guys go. For sure, this time it's getting well, late in we, Hawaii. We, we expect you to call in another hour or so, whenever, whenever you strike the fancy line. But I, I really enjoyed that the takeoff last night of, of um. It, oh, oh, hey, by, by the way, both you guys, you might be interested in what I'm going to play tomorrow night. That's done done with Dr. Michael Beal. I'll play a Jack Mini show. I'm going to play an interview that John Dunning did with Bob Bailey's daughter. Oh, yes. So you'll get to hear uh, her version about her dad, Bob Bailey, from her viewpoint. Uh, it's a really, very good interview. Um, I'm really glad for that. There's not an awful lot of information about Bob Bailey. Bob, of course, was the quintessential, or people regard him as the quintessential Johnny Dollar, and yours truly, Johnny Dollar. He started, I believe it was 1955, right. and went right through to the end of the series in 19, to, almost to the end of the series. Yeah, until they moved it back to New York. Yeah, he had a five-year run. Yeah, and um, I guess it ran for two years after that. Um but he also was George Valentine in Let George Do It, which was immediately before he took the role of Johnny Dollar. And he was such a good actor. He oh, really had a did one... Bob, did Bob Bailey have some um, alcoholic problems and stuff? Or... Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. Yes, he did. And, he was and, a very happy person. Well, and the sad thing, he fell out everybody's life. They didn't know where... The, his friends and the acting, his family didn't know where he was. For a long time. Yeah. Well, he had a devastating stroke as well, and that, of course, would have kept him from even reaching out to anybody if if he were in a position to do that. So it it was really a very sad. And an old time radio group Spurvac, some of them found him in a nursing home out in the desert, and so for the last year or so, they kept in touch with him. Well, he 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 was in a care home. Yeah. Uh huh. Because he he had a devastating stroke in the. I don't know, like in the late 70s. So he was in a, a nursing home facility. Now, was Mandel Kramer the last of the Johnny's Dollars, or was, was there somebody else after Mandel Kramer took over? I think... No, I, I think it might be uh, Bob Reddick. I think Bob was the last one. Mandel Kramer was... Next to the last, I think. He, those two, because once in New York, those two actors had it. And I don't remember who had what. I think it was Manuel Kramer and Bob Reddick. I, I know that Dick Powell uh, was the first to yeah. fight off 
And, you know, I, I got the CD of Dick Paul doing, doing Johnny Dollar. It was just not good at all. It would make, it, he made the right choice by going for Richard Diamond, as far as I'm concerned. Well, what do you think of him as Richard Rogue, though? It was interesting. I was listening to an interview today that Dick Powell did in the early 50s about Richard Diamond, and he talked about Richard Rogue, and he said it was basically, uh, it was sure it was a takeoff from the movie, and as he said, I think he was still trying to, they were still playing with the character to try to figure out exactly how to, how to develop it, and so I think in a lot of ways, Richard, uh, Dick Powell looked at it as sort of uh, a balloon to try to see if that kind of private eye was going to work in radio. So, I think in a lot of ways, experimental. I don't think it's as good as Richard Diamond. No, it wasn't. And, you know, his, con his conscience would talk to him or mm -hmm. something like that. It was, it was kind of different. Yeah, it was Ugo. Yeah. And you know what that, you know what, and you know what that was? No, what was it? It was Rogue, spelled backwards. Oh. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Uh-huh. Well, anyway, I... I'm, my wife just came back. I'm on my way home. Oh, are you going to drive? Um, she's not letting me drive, no. Oh, jeez. made a driver. People who have very little faith. Yeah, oh, you have little faith. Yeah, uh huh. Is she afraid she, you're, you're going to drive out in the ocean, huh? <laughs> well, anyway, we'll talk to you guys later. All right. So, so email, yeah, always email to come also. Okay. Uh, okay, so, thank you. Aloha. Aloha. This is what designated drivers are for. It's a quite a life. I, you know, we who enjoy being chauffeured around town, it's pretty nice. And you've got an entourage, you told Uh-huh. My okay, entourage. it was uh, Bob Bailey, and then in uh, December 1960, Bob Reddick, and then... Then Mandel Kramer? He won. We went to Mandel Kramer. Okay. So Reddick, it, it was Bailey, Reddick, Kramer. Okay. And uh, Bob Reddick's son listened to our show. Oh, really? Yeah. How cool. Yeah. I uh, got an email. He wanted to hear something about his dad and his grandfather. His grandfather was the first saddle. Frank Reddick. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he was the one that was here the creeping... Orson Welles, uh -huh. you know, laughter, and then he played it, then Orson Welles took over. But he was the first uh -huh. acting shadow. Oh, my goodness. We're just so lucky to have people who can help us reach and touch. So lucky. Oh, yeah. Anyway, I want to I wanted to finish my story about about my, my CD. Yes, you were going to tell me about the Celtic Christmas album. Yeah, this really is a journey. So I wanted a, a copy of this for a Christmas present last year. And I start looking for stuff like that, you know, like October. So I usually have enough time to get it before Christmas. I could not find, I found one copy in one wildly obscure place for $30 because it was out of print. And I thought, my gosh, I can't pop $30 for a CD. I'll make a copy of my own. <laughs> so I said, no, I'll bypass it. So Christmas in July has got me thinking in Christmas terms. So I went to Amazon.com again. And there are several copies of this for sale by sellers, not Amazon because it's out of print or out of production, but 
the individual third-party sellers, several of them have, and I bought a pre-loved copy that is listed as used but like new, and I decided a long time ago that you do not lose quality you know, the quality doesn't leak out if the shrink wrap isn't on the, on the cover. Mm -hmm. So I ordered one, and I now have something that I really, 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 really wanted more than a year ago, and I found it. So I was really pleased with that. So, the moral of the story, are you going to give up? Are, are, you going, are you going to wait till Christmas to hear it? Oh, no, I've, I've got my copy. So you're, not, you're going to already enjoy it? I'm already listening to it. This okay. was for somebody else. I uh, wanted to give it to another person uh, because I think it is just such a joyful sound. I thought maybe she would enjoy it as nice, well. Nice. If anybody is looking for this, by the way, and because Amazon.com does have some used copies up there, plus a couple of new ones starting at $23, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it's Celtic Christmas, C-E-L-T-I-C, Christmas. And the producer is Dan Cleary, C-L-E-A-R-Y, and that will get you to the right, uh, the right CD, the right production. In my humble estimation, 90% of what is listed as Celtic Christmas is contemporary wrapped in a harp. It just doesn't work. But this really does have a very nice Celtic sound to it. And I think anybody who likes that kind of music would enjoy this one. The end. A high recommendation. We need to we need to put out Patricia top ten unique Christmas CDs. Whoa. And put unique and Christmas. Okay, Patricia is a fine collector of that type of uh, genre of music. So if you're looking if you're looking for something to uh, you want to submit for a uh, review, <laughs> <laughs> we we will be happy to do that. Oh, uh, but she's got such. Peculiar taste. That's okay. Because we're looking for the word unique. You know? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and that, 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 that means unique. It doesn't mean uh, Patricia doesn't like it. Not, I guess I want something unique. Unusual. Unusual. Okay. That, that way we can put that out there at Patricia Top 10. Oh, that sounds okay. Uh -huh. I would put this particular CD. Um, on the list? Um, I, I think it would go. You know, music is difficult to rank that way. I don't think it happens with radio shows, and I don't think it happens with books or television or movies, but I think music is um, its subject to mood. Mm -hmm. Good way to put it. it. It's a victim of mood. So... A song that really hits you just right one day is a piece of music you don't want to listen to the next day. Right. And I don't think that happens with other forms of entertainment. What do you but, think? But I think music it can be timeless if you haven't worn it out. Oh yes. Uh, I think it could it could you could still enjoy it for years and years and years and years. Uh huh. And worn out by person personal taste, you know. But yes. Um. If you ask me what my favorite piece of Christmas music is tonight, it will likely be different from one that I pick for tomorrow. Mm -hmm, maybe, but I, I think there is, I think that yeah for person for personal taste for I think that's true, but I think there are some sounds that seem to cross cross barriers and lines and it's mm -hmm. almost timeless. Mm -hmm. Oh, I agree. Yeah, and. 
you know, I was just, you know, for example, I mean, some of the music we were just listening to from the organ, some of that could last forever. We, it's the sound or something about a certain sound that strikes. Now, you know, this, this theory, and I, they, they really think all the great hits of all time have a basic structure and a basic elements to it. I and they have and they have used the computer generation model to try to come up with the uh, uh, what what makes a popular song. Uh huh. I don't know how true that really is, but it's it's an interesting thought. Are they they looking for common sounds, common characters? Uh huh. Sounds and wording. And that that there are common elements that are used in different ways in various songs, but those elements are are the ingredients for it. A successful right. work. Uh-huh. Isn't that interesting? See, I don't see. I could see that with some some form of the arts, you know. Uh, but uh, but see, I think music has such a wide create can be a wide ranging creative style. I don't. It's endless. It's endless. It, there there is no end to the combination of notes and instruments and strings and. Touches and what have you. I mean, my my taste runs anywhere from the Trans Siberian Orchestra and Mannheim Steamroller to the the, the highly traditional um, Canterbury Choir. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just it runs the whole gamut. But there are things in between that I don't appreciate. I just it, it, they're fine pieces. I just don't enjoy them. Right. But you know, I think but there's. But when it touches your heart and your soul and your mind, mm-hmm. it, then you're at a certain uh, plane. I don't know. It's, it's, and I think music is more apt to do that than other forms of art. But and anything else, you are so right. But you know, but the, you know, the language and writing can do that too. But maybe it's harder. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I think music. I, I can't see that even somebody like, it, it would be an interesting topic to um, talk with Norman Corwin about mm-hmm. because his style is poetic. Right. He is a poet. Right. And so much of his work was written in verse. So he might have a really different perspective on this. I don't think even verse by the masters can compare to music in in terms of timelessness. I think you can listen to a piece of music a whole lot more often than you can read a piece of work. What I'm also wondering too is, can a, wor- a, a, a work mm-hmm. touch you especially? What's it, I guess what of the different arts form had the best shelf life? Music. Music, probably. Mm-hmm. Because you think about it, we still recognize and appreciate certain pieces from Beethoven. Um, oh, my goodness. Way, oh, way before then, we, we have um, um, Gregorian music from the 6th century that if you hop up on Amazon, it's available all over the place up there. And I just think we still recognize certain pieces today. That was 400 years old. I don't know if necessarily we have that with literature. Nope. You know? I mean, you, you do not have literature from the 6th century. Mm-hmm. You have writings and you have pieces of history, but we've got music from the 5th yeah. and 6th centuries. 
I guess paintings, you know, should we, if we look back to the, years ago. if we look at the Renaissance and those periods, so some of those are still are striking. But not, Absolutely. I mean, there are pieces of art, there are pieces of um, writing. Mm-hmm. It exists all over the place. I still say you can listen to a song a whole lot more than you can read a particular passage. Even if you're moved enormously by a particular passage in poetry, you're not going to read it as often as you will listen to a piece of music that you love equally. So, I wonder with music more across boundaries, in other words, across um, the classes. Sure, it's a common language. It's a common language, because I think the, let's face it, the, the the great artwork was was sponsored by people, and I don't know if some of those great artwork was the general public would ever have a chance to see back in those days. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, same thing with writing, how many people were able to read to enjoy. Mm-hmm. But music, I think, probably was able to cross more boundaries. No matter what level you were at on a social scale, you could make your own music. Mm-hmm. You might not necessarily be able to make your own book, make your own poem, but you could make music. Mm-hmm. Everybody can make music. So that that was a universal item across the board. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I found my Celtic Christmas. Hooray <laughs> for Patricia. Hooray, hooray, hooray. 714-545-2071. Do you have a unique Christmas album that you like to recommend for us to listen to? Please let us know. We're open to good good music, the good things in life. Yes. Especially when they're free. And stuff like that there. That's right. Here. Okay, oh, this, this one will be good. In 1836, the first state in the United States recognized Christmas as an official holiday. What was that state? That's a great question. Yeah. What was the first state to recognize Christmas as an official holiday? South Carolina. What made you pick South Carolina? Um, just a, a something in my head. It was something, uh, and I think, and I got got thinking logically, it had to be pretty close to the original thirteen colonies. And I could be easily off, but it can't be that too far off. No, it, it, it was an interesting choice. Now this is eighteen thirty-six. Right. Um, and it was Alabama. So it wasn't too far away. It was, my, my gut, You're my, walking. It was a good distance. Yeah, my gut hunch was tempting in the south. Walking between South Carolina and Alabama will take you a while. Yeah, but still. But I, it surprised me. Alabama, I thought, was an unusual state for something like that. I, I would have picked... Um, my, my pick would have been Virginia. Uh-huh. However, it's not... Okay, let's see. Let's see, let's see. Um, Many people believe that the Friday after Thanksgiving is the busiest shopping day of the year. 
but that's not true according to this information. So what is the busiest shopping day of the year? Well, it doesn't tell us. Just oh, geez. <laughs> so this is, in my book, this is suspect. It says it is the fifth to tenth busiest day. It's somewhere between five and ten busiest day. The Friday and Saturday before Christmas are the two busiest shopping days of the year. Oh, it did tell us. Okay. Well, Friday and Saturday before Christmas. I would buy that. I would think that is correct. Well, I'm now. I'm wondering if that's all out the window now. It just seemed seemed to me. Well, a couple of things about that. A, seem like department stores are really starting their Christmas sale so much earlier now. Mm-hmm. And B, I mean, I never heard of Black Friday, the slogan. You know, I, you know, to me, that's almost like a recent phenomenon within the last 20 years or so. No, it's been around for a very long time. But it gets to coin the phrase Black Friday to me. Um. I know people like to go shopping historically the day after Christmas, but I, I guess I never, or day after Thanksgiving, I guess. Well, I always, you know, I'm not necessarily that. I always, I always assumed the day after Christmas was even a bigger day. That's a big day for returning, and you're right. That is a, a big day. Yeah. But when when you squash everything together, mm-hmm. um, Friday and Saturday before Christmas are probably the busiest days for the post office as well. Most definitely, yeah. 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 Now, Black Friday is not a bad thing. The word black in, in the Black Friday has to do with the cash register. I never knew that. They need to come out in the black, not uh, red, in terms of a business. If, I never knew that. If they come out in the black, that's the target for that day. If they come out in the black, they're going to have a decent, or they have a, a good chance of having a decent holiday. Right. Uh, in in terms of sales, if they're in the red, that is not a good thing. So Black <laughs> Friday means the books are in the black. It does not have anything to do. And it took me. It was not until maybe two years ago that I realized that we weren't talking about a bad thing like Black yeah. Friday or Black Tuesday. Or so I think we associate Black Thursday with the stock market crash in 1929. Uh-huh. And, and Black Tuesday in the, what was it, 1987? 87. Yeah. When it tanked. Yeah. And that was Black Tuesday. So, yes, it's the natural brain that would take it to a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Actually, a good thing. If you have a Black Friday, it's a good thing. Hooray! All right. Let's see now. <laughs> um, an artificial spider's web. An artificial spider and web uh-huh. are often included in the decorations on the Ukrainian Christmas tree because the spider found on Christmas morning is believed to bring good luck. No kidding. If I find a spider on Christmas morning, <laughs> it's dead. Does her name needs to be Charlotte? Uh, yeah, Charlotte's web. That was uh, a sweet story. Yeah, it sure was. That was really nice. Let's see what else we have. Animal crackers are not really crackers. What? That's what it says. But they're called crackers. Well, that's what they're called. I, I guess you can call anything you want. Now, when did animal crackers show up in the United States? Well, I remember as a kid about the early 70s, but I bet they were around way before then. It says... Probably in the 40s. This whole thing. Now, this is a British site that I got some of this information from, so Uh. I'll I'll buy that this is from England here. Animal crackers are not really crackers. They are cookies that were imported to the United States from England in the late 1800s. Mm. 
Barnum's circus-like boxes were designed with a string handle yep. so they could be hung on the Christmas tree. Oh, I, well, I never knew it was supposed to be for Christmas. I, just, just, I thought it was just a fun novelty item. Hmm. It, it, well, I mean, kids eat animal crackers all year, but That's apparently right. when they first arrived and the circus box was designed, it was designed with a string so you could put the boxes on a Christmas tree. I bet they look cute. Uh-huh. I, uh, you know, the way they had, you could pop it up and it had this little handle to uh -huh. carry it, then the string. Right. And then the crackers. And they were cookies. They were cookies. Uh-huh. Now we have to go out and buy some animal crackers and see whether or not they're telling us the truth. Well, do we get to have milk with it? Well, I, you can have anything you want with it. I just want to go out and see what they look like. I think we should do that. Okay. Mm -hmm. you're, you're, <laughs> you're appointed. You're the animal cracker kid. All right. Is somebody going to give us a call? It's 4 o'clock in the morning here. 714-545-2071. They all gone to bed. Oh, I don't know. I got a note um, just a little bit ago from Nolan. He's fine. Good. And I sent a note to Harwood, and he's fine. Good. Don't get shy. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. As long as we know everybody's fine. You're not obligated to give us a call. We just really care, and we'd like to know that you're okay. That is true. All right. At Christmas time, Ukrainians. Oh, my goodness. This is where we need to be, Walden. Ukrainians well, let's see. Let's see. On our, on, our, on our upcoming trips, let's see. Yeah. We, we, what do we have planned so far? We have, we're going Ukraine to... Ukraine isn't there anymore. We're, where, we're, where would we go? Let's see. We're going to Williamsburg, right? I'm trying to make our trips here. Yeah, well... We got Williamsburg. We got Hawaii. Yeah. Now, if we're going to go to Ukraine, and then I think the easiest way to go, we'll go on those Christmas boat things. You know, they go down and we can... You know. We're going to wind up in the Ukraine. We're going to wind up in the, in the part of the world where the Ukraine and all all of the countries that were broken up. That's what I was thinking. Anyway, that's what I was thinking. The easiest way to get there. What what the sea? What the ocean over there? Haven't I raised you right? If we go by Santa's sled. Oh gosh. Okay. I was just thinking of a nice way to go by Europe by these Christmas holiday boats where you can go down and step out and uh, visit all these Christmas cities. How else could could we do that except by Santa's sleigh? I think that's a good point. This is good. That's a okay, good so point. So now we're we're in the in the region of the Ukraine. Yes. And they prepare a traditional twelve course meal for Christmas. Uh, which one's the chocolate in? Boy, I hope it's an eleven. <laughs> I mean, eleven. Well, I, I guess, oh, number eleven. I just thought we had to, we had to wait to the eleven course before Patricia got her chocolate. Wow. It says a family's youngest child watches through the window for the evening star to appear, and that's the signal for the feast to begin. What do they do on a cloudy night? I, don't they do something similar to Passover? I think it's the youngest child involved uh, looking for the seat. Looking, looking it's just, it's, for the... Um, maybe Hanukkah. What, is either Passover or Hanukkah that the youngest child is looking to see... Um, that if the Messiah comes, so maybe that's Hanukkah. No, well, no, it's not the Messiah. Um, in Passover, they they look for the uh, for the matzah. Yeah, but I think it, I think in Hanukkah they're looking for the, they're waiting for the Messiah. No, Hanukkah is the feast of lights. Right, but there's something to do with 
I think there's something to do with a child involved, and they're, they're going. They send a child out to see if he can find the the way to guess. I think we need to do some searching on that one. The oldest. I'm pretty comfortable. The oldest child lights the candles in the menorah. Right. And that's and the celebration is. Right. The, I know that, but I seem to remember it. It there's something to do with the Messiah. particular holiday. Well, I guess we'll find out. We will find yeah. out. Yeah. Okay, let's see what else we got here. Um, let's see. Before settling on the name Tiny Tim for his character in A Christmas Carol, mm -hmm. three other alliterative names were considered by Charles Dickens. They were Little Larry, Puny Pete, and Small Sam. I think I don't think any of the way works very well, especially Little Larry. That doesn't sound you quite. You know, I I just can't imagine Charles Dickens. Well, maybe he could. Dickens was good at that kind of stuff. He was having a rough night. Puny Pete. Little. That's a tough night. Little Larry. That's a tough night. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's see what else we got here. Oh, candy canes, candy canes. Oh, this is good. Candy canes began as straight white sticks of sugar candy used to decorate Christmas trees. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, some of this is folklore, so you, you never know whether or not... So that means it's all true. Yeah, well, yeah. Let's pretend it's all true. Okay. All right. Candy canes began as straight white sticks of sugar, um, of sugar candy used to decorate the Christmas tree. How do you put sticks on a Christmas tree? See, it's really, really difficult. We're into faith here. This is a leap of faith. Mm -hmm. A choir master at Cologne Cathedral decided to have the ends bent to depict a shepherd's crook, and he would pass them out to the children to keep them quiet during services. Oh, gosh, I would have preferred a reward for being silent instead of <laughs> using candy to keep them quiet. But it does say it wasn't until about the 20th century, the 1900s, that the candy canes acquired their red stripes. Do you believe that? I'm gullible. I believe, I believe everything Patricia reads because she would not steer me in the wrong direction. Yeah, but I didn't write this, and I didn't research it. I just found You just read it. I did. That's it. I read it. You read it. I'm the messenger. Don't kill the messenger. I think Patricia wouldn't read something that wasn't true. Don't kill the messenger. I'm not. I'm just... I, I, I can take a, I can take a change. I, I can go with this. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, we have to look up red stripes. I think we that, have to look up red that'd stripes. That'd be nice. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's see what else we got here. I got so many good things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I asked people, and I asked you last year, what mm -hmm. does wassailing mean? When you go wassailing, wassailing. Um, it's a it's a drink, hot apple cider. Well, that is wassail, yes. Yeah. But what's wassailing? Is it is it drink? Is it sharing a cup of of a uh, of a uh, hot apple cider? It is sharing a cup of hot apple cider, and wassailing. It is actually wassail. Vasheel, I, I do not pronounce Celtic words very well, but it is good health. You are drinking to someone's good health. Uh, Isn't that 
nice. I wish you nothing but good health, Patricia. Thank you. Wassile to you, too. Yeah. Hooray. <laughs> um, okay. Now, now, we're getting into the Christmas tree thing here, and I think Christmas tree growers wrote some of this stuff. For every real Christmas tree harvested, two to three seedlings are planted in its place. How can that be? Well, it would, uh, when I take the tree out, it has a big hole, and I just drop two or three in to fill it up. Yeah, you know, they would, they would fit as seedlings, but what happens when they start to grow? Uh, three trees in one hole. Well, two trees grow the other other way. Like one grows... Oh, good old Waldenies coming up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, what else? <laughs> so one grows down, and one grows up, and one grows to the side. Uh-huh. All right, well... Okay. Oh, okay. All right, you want George Washington next? Sure. All right, in 1776, poor George spent Christmas night crossing the Delaware, and of course the, the weather conditions were just awful. You think he was cold? I think... I, I think it's a miracle that these people survived. I don't think my Patricia would have been able to make it across the Delaware. Your Patricia couldn't have said goodbye to the boat without <laughs> <laughs> I could not have made it down to the dock. Oh, my goodness. How awful. Okay, so Christmas, 19, uh, Christmas 1777, the next year, was a little bit better at Valley Forge. Hello? <laughs> um... Washington and his men had a miserable Christmas dinner of fowl cooked in a broth of turnips, cabbage, and potatoes. Now, I have to tell you, with what these men went through at Valley Forge, I think fowl cooked with fowl meaning turkey, probably. Yeah. was probably wild turkey. With turnips and cabbage and potatoes, that sounds like a pretty decent feast compared to the rest of the time that they were spent, you know? I mean, it was just awful. They were eating their yeah. shoes. It's a, it's a really good radio show, if you haven't heard it yet, from Cavalcade called Valley Forge. Uh, one was played by Lionel Barrymore playing George Washington, the old world. You get a feel how bad it really was. It was awful. It was it, just... It was... Uh, it is truly a miracle that any of them survived. Mm -hmm. They were honest to goodness eating their boots. Yep. Or they were walking, or I'm walking on their bare feet. All right, well, we can get back to some of that stuff later, but right now, we have, what would you like? Your history question, your Stump Walden question, your baseball question, or your brain teaser? Well, let's do the hard one first. What's if my brain teaser? I'm never... I, I I I can miss this one pretty easy. So let's go for my brain teaser first. This one should be, you know, if you think literally, you're a literal thinker. You think so? Yes, you are a literal thinker. <laughs> so this one might be right up your alley. This is a story about Jessica. Jessica dropped an earring in her coffee, but the earring did not get wet. How could this be? Um, there were no, uh, H2O in the coffee. I would get the coffee grind. That's exactly right. You are a literal thinker. It was in the coffee grounds, or coffee beans, whatever. 
See? It's just magic. I have to find more that have literal answers to them. <laughs> All right. So now we've got a Stump Walden question. By the way, we are at 714-545-2071. Where is our family tonight? You've all gone to bed. I think they all gone to bed. They got wassled out. They they they're, they're having oh they're having visions of sugar plums dancing through their heads. And I looked up sugar plums last year. You did. I did. Now I have to go back and. <laughs> because I don't remember, but they were not plums rolled in sugar. It was something quite different. Okay, so what do you want? Your baseball question, your history question, or your stump walding question? Let's go for the history question. A uh, history question. What year did Washington, D.C. become the seat of the United States government? Mm. Crackling you hear is the fire going on in Walden's soul. This is not dead air. This is Walden thinking. Take a shot. 1797. You're not too far off. 1790. That's earlier than I thought it would be. Maybe because I miscalculated it. Because I knew that George Washington never lived in the White House. And I was trying to think of uh, when the White House was open. I knew it was during John Quincy time. So I guess they moved it from from New York to D.C. at that time. Well, they, they moved to D.C. in 1790. doesn't say anything about a White House, though. So... Did George Washington not go to Washington D.C.? He picked what? out the land. He picked out the land where it to be built. Yeah. And that was it. But he, he, never lived he, he never lived there. He never lived in Washington. What we know today as Washington D.C. Correct. They strictly in New York. Uh-huh. Isn't that interesting? Well, you did very well. Okay, now we've got a stump Walden and a baseball question. Well, let's go for baseball. Baseball. This one is cool. Mm. In 1936. The first players were elected to the Hall of Fame. Yes. And and there were five. Who yes. were they? Uh, we had Babe Ruth. Right. We had Ty Cobb. Right. We had Cy Young. No. No, Cy Young didn't make it. No. We had, uh, I think, Chris Speaker. Say that one again, please. Chris Speaker. Nope. Honus Widener. No. Hornets Weiner didn't make it. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. Yes, yes, yes. Hornets uh, Nat Lashway? How about Connie Max? Nope. And Nat Lashway, um... Do, do, Walter Johnson? Uh, Walter Johnson, yes. Okay, well, I think we're missing one. We're missing one. Christy Masterson? That's it. Oh, be gosh darn, you did it. Wow. Well, I missed some, I missed some ones, though. Oh, man, you came up with names that nobody even heard of. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's an interesting, you know the story about Christy Masterson. Great picture for the New York Giant. Listen, I had to copy his name. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> I do not know anything about Christy Masterson. Yeah, but he gave up his life to save people. What did he do? He, he went, they had a, uh, a ship. Uh, ship sinking, and he went swimming to save people, and he gave up his life to save people. 
I don't know. I don't remember. Probably not too far in in New York. Probably. Okay, he pitched for the New York Giants, I believe. Wow. Oh, that's a heart hurt. Yeah. What a sad story. Mm -hmm. All right, now tell me about Honest Wagner. Honest Wagner was a great shortstop for Pittsburgh Pirates, whose baseball card is worth the most in history because uh, when they first printed baseball cards, they used with tobacco. And he didn't believe in uh, tobacco products, so they had to stop issuing his cards. So his baseball card is worth more than anybody else. I'm impressed. So they went into production, said, you're not going to do this anymore. They pulled it out. That made his card extremely rare. Right. I think sometimes it's gone over for a million dollars for a piece of cardboard. And that's what I was going to ask you next for this, this thing mm -hmm. that could have been a matchbook cup. Yep. Yeah, I, I think sometimes it a 100000 I think it might have gone up to a million during the height, but it reached 100000 for sure in okay, normal so years. let's see. Honest Wagoner, baseball. Oh, come on, guys. And he was long-legged. He was he was a great athlete at a shortstop, but you know, he, for his day, he was in usual shape. Well, I would look if my internet was connected. <laughs> <laughs> this is... Patricia's internet service just has not been steady. Can can we say I'm steadier I'm steadier going with Patricia than her internet service is. That's Willikers, it. You're, you're standing oh. on one foot than this stuff is. <laughs> um, I'm keeping records now. Okay. You know when I when I had this conversation with these people, uh -huh. I gave them information that said I have lost by my calculations 13 hours of service. And this is what it is worth to me in terms of reimbursement. It was like, came out to like $10. I don't know what it was. Right. But I put everything on the list. And she, she came back and said, well, I don't have any work orders. There's no record of any, any work orders or complaints registered. I said, could we get real here? If your service went down for three minutes, would you call and put in a work order? She said, no. I said, that's good, because neither did I. <laughs> I hope to tell you. You are so good. Oh, you know, I mean, get real here. So yeah. now you're my witness. This is twice yeah. in the same night. And the whole world can hear us. Boop. You know. It's just, isn't this frustrating? Yeah. Don't they know that this isn't my day job? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to. All right, well, that was your baseball question. Now we get to the Stump Walden question. Ah, uh, yes. And my... When we have a show later, I'll pull the plug again and get back on the internet. Okay. Okay, this is your Stump Walden question, and I suspect that you know the answer. But it's interesting because Dennis, was it Dennis who was talking about um, Archie and Ed Gardner and Duffy's Tavern? Yes. It, it was Dennis. Okay, and that's my question. I mean, how many times can you pull Duffy's Tavern out of the hat and we hear it twice in the same night? Okay, Ed Gardner as Archie in Duffy's Tavern greeted one of his guest stars. Now, they had a guest star. It was almost every week. Would you say? And there was a period in... Yeah, yes. Very, very much that voice, yeah. <clears throat> they yeah. had a guest star. Somebody mm -hmm. whose name was very well known would come in and be part of the show. So he greeted one of the guest stars with, what do you know besides everything? Who was the guest? It was uh, Eleanor Roosevelt. Oh, what do you know besides everything? Oscar Levant? You're darn close. Keep going. Kristen Fadiman. Yes, 
Yes, it was wow. Kristen Fadiman. I don't recall that Oscar Levant was ever a guest on that show, was he? Um, I would not have been surprised. I don't think I've ever, I think I've heard a, in my back of my mind, I seem to hear a recording. But we're not bank on it for sure. Oh, now I have to go digging yeah. my, my Duffy's Tavern. Martin stuff. Graham is working on his Duffy Tavern book, so we'll probably know for sure later this year when he's gone to and finished all the scripts. This is Martin? This is Martin, yeah. Graham's is doing Duffy's Tavern. How yes. cool. Yeah. So he can tell us whether or not Oscar Levant was a guest. He'll be able to tell us, yeah. Yeah. Well, Clifton Fadiman, of course, was the MC of Information Please. Mm -hmm. And he really didn't know everything. He just had the answers on the helps. in front of him. He was a very smart person. We can always, a lot of Martin's work, I think, is up on Jerry's site of in Duffy Tavern, so we could go, when you ever get internet service back, uh -huh. do a word search and see if Oscar appears over on that page. Unless you're willing to hang up again. <laughs> I can do that. No, I, I don't can want play you more to... Christmas music, or we can just... No, I don't want you to hang up. All right. Play a little show in All a right. minutes and come back. Okay. Um, all right, well, the Duffy's Tavern. Anyway, Clifton Fadiman was, <laughs> as mm -hmm. you probably would suspect, it was a very smart person in order to be able to MC a show on the level of information, please. I mean, these people were absolute geniuses. It was not that they were just walking encyclopedias where they would spit out information. They understood the information. They could put it to work. They pulled it out of their bunny hats like magic. And um, Clifton Fadiman could easily join in. One of the shows that is the most fun, actually there are a couple of shows, that are the most fun are the ones with Fred Allen when he comes on as a guest and before the end of the show he turned tables and said, okay, I'm taking over Clifton Fadiman's place. Mr. Fadiman, you could be on the panel and I'll ask the questions. And the first question he asked in one of the earlier shows, nobody knew the answer to. And he just stood there and said, nobody? Nobody knew. They didn't have a clue. He said, that's fine because that's the question you gave me the last time I was here. <laughs> on that show. They had good humor, good senses of humor. They had great jokes. They were just down-to-earth people who knew a lot of information. And the audience, or the listening audience, was uh, was the group that turned in the questions. It makes you wonder why yeah. that show clicked. I mean, if you think about it, yeah, if you think about it, their target audience was not... Uh, an uneducated group. You well, think about it. I have to tell you. Yeah. I have thought about that. Yeah. Because the show really was successful. And if you listened to the questions and answers only, you would have to consider it a highbrow show. Right. But their senses of humor were so good that it was a general population humor that they could back and forth with, but I think the key to the success of the show was that they invited the audience to send in the questions to stump the people or stump the panelists, and as long as you have an audience participation like that, you're going to get everybody watching. It's like Dancing with the Stars. Uh -huh. I think it was the audience participation that was the magic in that show. It sure worked. It sure worked. Dan Paul sure uh -huh. had a great idea. Yeah.
But it, it was a great show. Oh, yeah. That's on my list tonight of, gosh, folks, nobody has asked for information, please, recently. Hollywood. If you want information, please, you know where to call. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one, and stuff like that. There. Mm -hmm. Would you like some useless but fun? You bet. Useless but fun. The first stethoscope, which was, it says invented. I'll say used as opposed to invented. Was first used in eighteen sixteen. Was made from a roll of paper. Huh. That is hardly an invention. That's why I said used. I do not think a roll of paper qualifies as an invention. Although, the use, I don't know, maybe that's splitting hands. When it closes its eye to wink, it is the only bird that closes from the upper lid, all the other birds raise their bottom lids up. Owls close their eyes. Wow. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Potatoes. How much in percentage, how much of the potato crop grown in the United States winds up as potato chips? Uh, 10%. You are so darn good. Eight percent. Wow. I bet even most even that, I, I would, that's a lot. I bet I, more people would have guessed it'd be a higher percentage. I I don't know. When you start to think about how few potatoes are used to make a bag of potato chips. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good point. Hmm. Good point. I have to ponder that. Eight mm -hmm. percent is a lot of potatoes. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, here we go. If you are right-handed, this was in your mom's email, by the way. <laughs> yeah, this was one that was in your mom's email, uh -huh. making, making circulations here. If you are right-handed, you will tend to chew your food on the right side of your mouth. If you are left-handed, you will tend to chew your food on the left side of your mouth. It, but there's one qualification onto that. Well, I'm, I must be ambidextrous because my mouth just doesn't <laughs> care. <laughs> what was the qualification? If you have teeth on that side of the mouth. Oh, this is good. Yeah. This is good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think I have an ambidextrous mouth. You can do both. I chew on both. You, you are talented, Patricia. Yes. Boy, this is great. Oh, oh, man. Not only can I chew gum, I can chew on both sides. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. Okay. In ancient China, this is absolutely charming. In ancient China, towns were often arranged in patterns. So if the town was seen from the air... The community would resemble an animal or a symbolic design. Some of them were snakes, stars, sunbursts, ah, dragons. Okay. Can you imagine having the engineering ability in ancient times to lay out a town so that it would look like a dragon That's from the sky? That's amazing. People are just amazing. Yeah. Okay, Andrew Johnson. Mm-hmm. I want I I have no idea how they figured this out, and I know Andy wasn't around for him to interview. But it says that Andrew Johnson, the 17th president of the United States, the person who succeeded Lincoln, was the only president who sewed his own clothes. 
I'm not surprised, but can I think he was a tailor by trade? That will make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. I want to know, in the wake of the Civil War and the assassination of a president and his impeachment, how he had time to make his clothes. I don't know, because, well, you know, it's interesting how Lincoln shows him. He was a Democrat from the South. Lincoln was trying to pull the Union together. And, you know, it just made it a rough time for him when Lincoln was assassinated. So made a very rough time. Yeah. Uh, you know, the poor guy, he was just... You're on the air. Hi there. Good morning. Somebody hung up. I don't think they did, but we're going to hang up on them. Pulling and, I'm, uh, and he's having trouble with his equipment again. That's my guess. Interesting. Okay. So hang up and we'll try again. Yeah. Well... Okay. Should, we, should we do a little rationing thing while we're seeing if they're going to try to call again? Sure, we can do that. Mm -hmm. And you know, maybe they're having the same trouble that my internet is having, which is no luck. I'll tell you what, frustration reigns here. All right, we've got to get um, rationing information. Got to get stuff like that there. And you can keep talking to me. Ah, uh, hi, adorable. Um, I've got stuff all over the place here. So, well, should we just go ahead and play the 15-minute show, and then that way we'll come back? I got it. Oh, right. Are we ready? We're ready. Okay, now, this, I, I found some information about World War II rationing in Great Britain. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. They were picnic lives in this country compared to what they dealt with in, in, um, Loss of supplies and, and items. Hello there, you're on the air. That might have been me. Oh, well, we thought it might be you. No, I don't know what in the world happened because I wasn't through dialing. Well, you know. I heard some, I heard some talking and I picked the phone up to my ear. Yeah. Just as y'all cut off and I, I still think it was y'all. So I don't well, know. Hey, well, good morning. You know, well, maybe maybe you have interesting phone systems in North Carolina. It only needs six dials. Well. I remember when we only needed four. Could, could you tell me, please, that your use of y'all, as in it's y'all fault, does that mean Walden or both of us? Is that a singular? Well, see, see y'all can mean <coughs> singular, plural, or whatever you want, I guess. I understand that. That's why I'm asking. Was this a singular? Well, in this particular case, it was plural. It's plural? I, I think I heard both of you. I, I didn't have the phone. He's got the phone. Well, that ain't what I meant. Uh, yeah, well, I heard. I thought I heard you when everything went blank, well, but I wasn't through dialing, so I don't know what happened. When you said, I, and it's y'all fault. Yeah, well, no. I just said it happened when I thought I heard y'all talking. And it was y'all and, and fault. 
I will. Walden, do you, are you taping this show? You bet. All right. We're, we're just going to, and it's singular. Um, it has to be singular. Walden's got the buttons. How are you? Wait a minute. I thought, yeah. I thought, we, were I thought we were a team. Well, we are, but you got the buttons. <laughs> <laughs> That that all that all depends on what's going on. Yeah, that's right. I've got the motor mouth. He's got the buttons. How are you? Yeah. How are you yeah. doing? I'm doing, I guess. I'm here anyway. And I think I'm awake. You think? You just think. Yeah, I, I, I think. Make the coffee yet? Yeah, it, well, it's making. I guess it's about done. I haven't had any yet, though. How are you feeling? Well... Uh, better than I was, but my back's still pretty sore. I, I don't know. I just got the bad feeling. <laughs> this thing's not going to work. Yeah. And and the doctor's starting to talk operation. I told him he could forget it. Yikes. That wasn't. I was going to have to be a whole lot worse off when I did that. <clears throat> but you know, maybe it just hadn't quite been long enough time period since the shot. But uh, you know, I won't say things are not better. But um, it's a long way from being well. I'm still wearing one of these. Well, I think they call it an elastic corset. I wouldn't really thought of it that way, but that's what they called it. Uh -huh. And uh, that helps a whole lot. And once I get going in the morning, it's not so bad as it is when you get up. It's just, if, if we could skip the preliminary step, everything would be fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm afraid you cannot do that. Cannot do that. No, uh, it doesn't, doesn't work like that. What have you been doing to keep yourself out of trouble, or have you? Oh, uh, we, we have really been busy. Um, you know, we were making those curtains again, that same company we did. Had to have another batch for another purpose, and then the company here in Greensboro that's doing the work, putting these things up and brought the order to us, decided they wanted to do their own set for a welding shield, not a flash shield, it's not actually the welding shield. But anyway, uh, we just got through with both sets of those, and he, I don't know how true it is, but anyway, he's half talking about the company wanting an extra set um, in Raleigh that we did the first ones for, but we don't have an order for that. But it was about to run us ragged, and um, we had a couple other small jobs that we've gotten caught up, and, you know, it's... Uh, most of the pressure's off anyway, so you do a job won't be quite so tired. When you do a big job for this company or for any other company, who sets the deadlines? Well, usually whoever wants it. Now, in this particular case, the first batch we did back during the winter, we were having an awful hard time because of the weather. And he was just on us every day or two about it. Uh, this last time, things were a lot better, and um, he only called once. And we were about done when he called, you know, on the first part of the order. Um, so usually that's, that's it, although, you know, we try to work as fast as we can, but sometimes it's not fast enough to suit them. my ignorance in, in terms of your business, what happens in a company that this becomes an urgent order as opposed to uh, a proactive order? 
they get antsy, they get in a hurry, they want it now, and sometimes you just can't do now, or, you know, you can work on it now, but just because you ordered this morning doesn't mean that you can have it done by tomorrow morning. I mean, it's not like, I mean, they're custom things, and you, you can't just go pull them off the shelf that you already made. When they got to fit a given area, sure. um, you can't do that. But they, you know, they just get in a hurry, and I guess most things are like that. Usually, though, there's not as much involved as there are on these, and you can get them done a little quicker. But I know this is not a big order as big companies go, I guess, but as little as we are, it was a big order. If it puts food on the table and keeps your bills paid, it was a big order. Well... It was for us, and we were glad to get it. I'm not complaining. And I guess as work goes, we've had a lot more difficult. Thank goodness it wasn't as much of it on the more difficult. And it wasn't the easiest thing in the world, but, it, you know, it, it was... I'm not complaining at all about it. I was tickled to death to get it and hope there are more. Yeah. They just don't have a habit of planning themselves out correctly. Well, I guess it part of it, but see, they were doing a lot of other work for this company, and everybody is paying very well, and I guess at one point, on that first order anyway that we did back in the winter, um, they kind of caught up with everything they were supposed to be doing, and they were waiting on us, so then they got to pushing, um, and I guess that was a lot of it, and as I said, this last one went a lot faster, too, so they didn't really have it strung out to make them want to push so bad because we got it to them pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. We've got a, a thing we've been on for the Army Corps of Engineers relating to, to antenna, our tower, not canvas. That's the other part of the, uh, uh, the main thing here. Um, the... Um, Army Corps of Engineers has a 1,900-foot-long pier at Duck, North Carolina, which is down at the Outer Banks. And they've got a little 50-foot tower out on the end of the pier, and it's got to be replaced, and we've got to replace it with exactly what's there, which is no problem. So that's a brand we mostly sell, but, um, I mean, you know, you can't get heavy vehicles out there. Everything's got to be done by hand or light equipment. And um, I'm really hoping we're going to get that, too. Uh, there wasn't but two of us bidding on it. And the other outfit, I don't think it ever put a tower up before in their life, but um, it remains to be seen what happens, I guess. Does this pier, the 1,900 feet, boy, that's one heck of a pier. Does it go out into water, or is it on marshland? No, it goes out into the ocean, and it's uh, about 30 feet above the water. Oh, my goodness. This is concrete? It really makes no difference. I mean, it, it, it wouldn't have mattered if it was 5 feet above the water or 50 feet above the water as far as we were concerned, because we would not be using the water in any fashion to try to help do this. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Does the waterway uh, give you another option to haul in equipment and supplies? But I guess not. It's not really practical because, uh, 
you know, for your backyard, yes, this tower is pretty hefty. As towers go, it really isn't. The uh, sections come in 10 and 20 foot lengths, and we have to use two 20s and a 10 foot length. As I said, it's, you know, it's only 50 feet, which is practically nothing, but the 20 foot sections weigh 330 pounds a piece. And when you're trying to, you know, carry that 1,900 feet, um, just carrying it is not very practical. You can get something about the size of these uh, gator vehicle things that I think John Deere makes a gator, but there's others out there, but something like that. And um, Gene went and looked at it last Thursday before we bid on it, and he said we can use a, you know, balance the thing on a small trailer and get it out there without having to actually carry it. But if we'd had to carry it, I would probably build a two-wheel dolly to balance it on, and then two people could, you know, push it out there fairly easily. But it's not going to quite come to that. It's more difficult to get the first section up. Once you've done that, then there's nothing to it because you use a gin pole, which will attach to the first section, and then you can lift the rest quite easily. You can lift the rest quite easily. Walden and I are just going to be sitting here by the phone. <laughs> well, you know, it's, that's just the way it's done. And, you know, in some cases, in normal situations, not on piers, obviously, they really get heavy to start it. Uh, you use a boom truck or something like that to set them up, because some of the sections do get heavy. But after that, it's, um, it's a winch mounted on the tower, a winch trailer, a winch truck, and guys climbing, moving the rigging from one section to the next and jumping the gen pole up, and you just keep doing that over and over and over until you get done. Get done. Okay, new subject. Do you have my lessons for tonight prepared? I do not. <gasps> just haven't even had time to think about it. Oh, oh I'm crushed. Walden. He doesn't have my lessons ready for me. I know. Well, he said he just got up, so... Well, I've been up for a little bit, but I just, I really haven't had time to think about it. I'll try to do better. I, I think I think what we could do is work on glossary terms for Patricia and work those out throughout the, the week. Glossary of terms. We've already gone through that, <laughs> and I passed very well. I knew what young'uns were, even. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's good. Yeah, I know. I did really well. So. Well, maybe next week we can work on cinnamons. On what? Cinnamon. Oh, cinnamon? Yes. Oh, okay. well, yeah, well, we've, we've been working on that, too. Okay. I'm feeling very comfortable with this because if you... So, so you can start writing uh, Southern style. No, I can't write you all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to write you all. I, I'm just learning how to talk you all. But it makes me feel comfortable because if you are okay with coming in and not having homework for me, that means I'm making progress. Well, no, I guess it means the teacher was fooling around. Uh-oh. I'd, I'd prefer to think that I was making progress and you weren't okay. really concerned. Well, I was, yeah, you did, you did pretty good, so better than a lot, so I guess I really have no reason to complain. Well, she's, she's on summer vacation then, huh? Yeah, it's like, it's like summer vacation. Um, I started to say spring break, but it's not spring, so I guess oh. it's just a summer break. And it, the 
daylight has been getting shorter now for almost yeah. a month. Isn't that scary? It is. I mean, it sure goes by in a hurry. I don't know why, but summer seems to go through a lot quicker than winter does for some reason. You don't have as much suffering in the summertime. Not lately, anyway. Yes. Well, you've had, you had some brutal winter spells this year. Well, they're all like that to me anymore. I just I have a hard time with cold. I, I didn't used to, but I do now. Yeah. How are you with heat? Um, well, I don't stay out any much. I don't know why it's easier to, to stay in and stay a little cooler than it is to stay in and what well, what you do have to go out to deal with the cold. I, I don't know why that's such a difference, but it seems to be. And you know, people come in the shop, oh, it's cold in here. Well, you know, the thermostat is higher in the summer than it is in the winter. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's usually set anywhere from 72 to 74. In the winter, it's 68. So it's colder in there in the winter than it is in the summer. But I guess it's a difference in relationship to out and in yes. at the time, and they don't seem to realize that. So coming in from, from heat into something that's comfortable must be like walking into, it is, it's like walking into a refrigerator. Oh, yeah. Although sometimes I think I'd like to have it lower because if you really get to working, it, it you get hot anyway. But um, then when you sit down, you cool off, so it's, um, it's all right. I have a really hard question for you. All right, well, I'll probably give you a dumb answer, but go ahead. I don't know. You, you usually tell me, you know, oh, that's too easy. That's too easy. That's too easy. Okay, so here we go with the Great Gildersleeve and Fibber McGee and Molly. Each one had a favorite store where they did their Christmas shopping. Which one shopped at Hogan Brothers and which one shopped at the Bonton? Well, McGee shopped at the Bonton, and I didn't realize that Gildersleeve shopped at Hogan Brothers, but you pretty much answered that to start with. I knew which one went to the Bonton. So there you go. You've done good. That was a hard question. Well, I would have never really thought about that as a question, but... Um, it's fine. <laughs> One day you're going to say, Patricia, that was such a fabulous question. You're going to get a gold star. Well, the question was fine. It's just I would never have thought to try to use it as a question. But it's because I guess I wouldn't have thought about it at all. <gasps> and wrong, nothing wrong with your question. It, it was good. Okay. I'll believe uh, it. My problem is I don't always know the answer. <laughs> I know, but sometimes you tell me, oh, that's an easy question. That's an easy question. Uh, It was was only easy because I knew which one went to the Bonton, so the other had to be... By default. Right, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's how I came up with it. If you'd asked me where um, Yildersleeve shopped, I could not have told you. Now, if you asked me where McGee shopped, I would have known that. Did you know that there was a second department store in West Vista? I did, but don't you ask me the name of it, because right now I cannot remember it. Walden, do you remember the name of it? I do not. We had it just well, probably two months ago. Okay. Yes, it hasn't been long ago, but I mm. still can't remember it. The department store was um, in downtown West Vista. Probably at 14th and over. Right, right, right. And we had to tell him over the show, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. 
Weaver was filling in for Mort Toops. And he went to the... Yeah, exactly. And he supposed to be thought he was going to the Bonton. Uh-huh. He went, he went to the Bonton. That wasn't where he was supposed to go. Right. And he didn't know that until the old-timer filled him in at the end of yep. the show. He was supposed to be at the downtown department store. Isn't that creative? That, that was right. the store, the downtown Absolutely. store. Say that again, Walden? Absolutely. Very creative. One of yeah. Don Quinn's best writing pieces. Yeah, it was the downtown department yeah. store. So what can we interest you in, sir? I do what? What can we interest you in, in terms of radio shows? Well, I ain't got time to think about it. Oh, yes. I don't have any Sherlock Holmes. How can somebody and be going through life? That, that's terrible. <laughs> How can you go through life without a Sherlock Holmes? I, I know it. I got thinking about that the other day. And I thought, no, you know, this is crazy. And, I, you know, I like him too, so I think I like the um, Battle Rathbone with the best. Um, and Tom... Tom Conway? Yeah, Tom Conway. He's second. After that, I really don't much care. But Battle Rathbone, I mean, he is it. Now, that's all there is to it. I, I agree. And I have, I have them separated out pretty well. So I've got a collection of Basil Rathbone and um, Nigel Bruce, a, yes. a collection of shows with the two of them, so it'll be easy to uh, to pop them on a CD. Well, I mean, that that's as good as you're going to find. Cause I know. I don't think anybody can do either one of them any better than those two. Agreed. I'm interested in the uh, Tom Conway comment that you would pick him as number two and he's one I would have fired. Tell me what what appeals to you about him if there is anything in It doesn't. It, it's one of those deals, well, if this is the best I can do, I'll listen to it. Uh-huh. That, that is how he got to be number two, not because that I thought he was that good, but, um, you know, comparing him to Basil Rathbone is really no comparison. No, no. It's, um, it's a Tootsie Roll and a Godiva chocolate. Well, you know, it's back to the same deal. When you start comparing, um, like, Davy Crockett, there's only one Davy Crockett in the movies or whatever, mm-hmm. and nobody else can do it. Now, I guess if you never saw first class, uh, second class is fine, but um, it just, you know, it's about the same deal with, with um, Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. It's interesting what you're saying. We were talking about that earlier tonight. Why movie producers will attempt to reproduce what is already perfect. I know it's, for lack of a better term, I think it's a lot of lack of sense. Mm-hmm. They, they don't seem to get it that you can't improve on certain things it's been done already. Yeah. I think Walden... Uh, but they just don't seem to realize it. I think Walden hit part of it when he said it's a matter of economics when you take something that was already successful and find a way to reissue it. They're looking to buy on previous success. And I, I think it's, it probably hurts them more than helps them. Well, that's the way I feel about it. But now there again... And I'm not trying to be a devil, devil's advocate here, but I think the only way that they can do that with, with a situation like that is younger people seeing it that didn't see the first one. Mm-hmm. And I think they can get away with that. Yep. But as far as people have seen the first round, 
or go feel like it's junk. However you want to look at it. And I think that's the market they're shooting for. They're shooting for people who had not seen it the first run, but they're hoping that yeah. it had some credibility uh, with it, you know, mm-hmm. the, the trend off of. Yeah, and I, I hadn't thought about that when we were talking about it earlier. It is something that we've talked about before, that we're coming up against a whole new generation of moviegoers or listeners, whatever they're reissuing. One of the things that, that just made me wince was when they tried to reissue the Pink Panther, which was a Peter Sellers masterpiece over a series of movies. I mean, he, he was the quintessential Inspector Clouseau, the bumbling bubblehead of um, a French inspector. And they put Steve Martin in the role, and it was terrible. It, it was just, it just didn't make it, even with the newer generation. Well, uh, you know, there's two situations. One is, it's bad to start with, no matter who's looking at it. And then, of course, the people that, that like it that don't know any better. They never saw a good actor doing it. Yeah. So, therefore, they don't know they're not seeing a good one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just kind of a case of ignorance. It's not that they're stupid. They just don't have anything to compare it to. I mean, it's like all these deals, especially in South America, but this happened in this country, too, with the Lone Ranger. Uh, reproductions of that and all. And... You don't have a couple Lone Rangers. And all these other things are just more jokes than anything else. Mm-hmm. And I just can't help, if I, well, I wouldn't even bother to watch or listen to one of them. But yeah. people would never have, I don't know, that's, yeah, that's great. And either they don't know any better or their ambitions aren't too high with what they're uh-huh. watching. Do you like yours truly, Johnny Dollar? Oh, yeah, I've got a bunch of those you sent me. Now, there were five... They're great, but they're, again, Bob Bailey, there's, nobody can compare with him, that was, in my opinion. That's what I was going to ask you. He was number three out of five. There were two ahead of him who had played Johnny Dollar. He had the, the center of the pie. And yep. uh, it's, it's very unusual to find somebody who picks an actor other than Bob Bailey as the quintessential Johnny Dollar. Right. Well, I mean, you know, he's just like Clayton Moore or whoever. I mean, he's it. And they couldn't find anybody better, I don't think. Mm-hmm. But there again, I guess it's not my opinion. I, well, you've got us on your team. That's three out of three. That's pretty good. We better stop. Well, I guess. <laughs> I mean, when you get 100%, um, <laughs> don't push my luck. Right. Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad that you called in tonight. We were starting to get a little concerned and hoping that... Well, like I said, I've just, I've been so beat, even on Sunday morning. It's just been all I could do to drag around, and I haven't even listened, much less even think about calling in and... I knew you hadn't it's been just, feeling on top of your game by any means, and we just wanted to know everything was okay. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm still kicking for whatever it's worth. Well, as long as...